she likes to uh suck people's life energy out of them and then loves like a costume theme party she loves a theme no one loves a theme like celine celine invented the theme party actually in fifteen thousand bc (laughs) and it's been the same theme ever since which is hot sluts x-men x-men in the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and joining me today for the second part of the three-week Cerebro Halloween spooktacular is... Returning guest, a three-peat guest, finally, Alex Abad-Santos. Hello. Journalist, culture (laughs) critic, fellow gay. Alex, how are you today? I'm good, yes. Journalist, culture critic, fellow gay. That is me. That felt like it was right. It is. It's perfect. Barry's bootcamp enthusiast. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I could... (laughs) All those are euphemisms for homo. It's so, true. So it's fine. Like culture Dazzler critic. fan. I, yeah, culture uh, critic, I feel like, is every homosexual. So. so I feel like most of my clients, when I say culture critic, they're like women. But if it's a man, yes, we're saying. Yes. Fag. <laughs> In a, a nice way. A, a you cigarette. Know? A cigarette yes, emoji. Yes, a cigarette emoji. We are here to talk about Celine. Celine. Black priestess of Nova Roma. <laughs> Formerly Black Queen of the Hellfire Club, now a board member of X Corp. The girl boss. The ultimate girl boss, really. (laughs) Girl boss gaslight gatekeep. She's doing it all. For 17,000 years. For (laughs) 17,000 years. I love this character. She is one of my favorite X-Men villains. Unfortunately, she hasn't had very many good stories. So I feel like we're going to talk about all the stories, but mostly I think we're just going to vibe a lot. Right. Like when I was talking to you, I was like, when we were figuring out like how to read this and I was just like, so I think like a lot of it is just like, I like her, but I don't necessarily love all the stories she's in. Right. Like what is happening? Why do I care? (laughs) Like it's not... It seems it feels like Chris Claremont never really got to achieve his goals for her before mm-hmm. leaving the franchise. And nobody after him, until I gotta be honest, Teeny Howard, has really seemed to know what to do with her. I thought that X Corp was a perfect place for her, and I thought she was characterized really, really well in that. So that was nice to see. Yeah. We'll see where she turns up next. I just feel like she's a character with so much potential who's so fun just intrinsically, but has never really had the proper spotlight. Right. And completely goofy too. At yeah, the same she's time. so stupid, but like in the best possible way. I'm like nervous about what voice you're gonna give her because I will not stop giggling. Cause I think I remember I the ladies' mastermind were the cock destroyers. I'm very, they were, yeah. <laughs> very nervous about where I guess Celine, what kind of voice you're gonna give her. I'm I'm super excited about it. I think I'm just gonna go like high drama and we'll see. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna like do a Greek accent, you know? Like I don't think I can pull that off. I mean, I think you could. You shouldn't. But also, like, she's ancient Greek. (laughs) And she lived in Brazil for thousands of years in the jungle with Romans. So I don't know what... New Romans. The Nova Romans, yes. But they were, like, classic-style Romans when she got there. I mean, she was, you know, she helped set the whole thing up. Coca-Cola classic, but ancient Rome. Mm -hmm. I think I'm just going to vamp it up, and we're going to have fun. We're going to do what we do. 
So I don't have any business to report because I've recorded a bunch of episodes without putting them up yet because I'm recording in advance right now. So nobody has been able to correct me yet, which I love for me. <laughs> but there will presumably be corrections at some point in a future episode because people love to email instantly the second that I get something wrong, which, you know what, I support you. With, with great power comes great Comes respons- great responsibility. <laughs> yes. This is not a Spider-Man podcast, but <laughs> it's true. Yeah. He, they were right sometimes. Sometimes the Avengers and Spider-Man are right sometimes. It's funny. I was thinking back to episode three on Emma Frost, our mm-hmm. first Cerebro together, which is, by the way, at the moment, the most listened episode of the entire podcast. Oh my gosh, I think we should come back to her eventually. I'm trying not to do repeats, but yeah. I feel like there's a way we could do another character that would enable us to talk. Also, like about. I feel like you've gotten so much better at this and I've become uh, well, thank you. better at giggling at your jokes and so I feel <laughs> like if we come back to Emma, it would be great. I think we can find a character who would enable us to talk mm-hmm. a lot about Emma without repeating myself. Because there are like 500 characters in this franchise. And yes. I feel like if I start yeah. doing repeats, I'm going to get really lost. <laughs> but we are here today to talk about Celine. And I was going back to that episode and we talked about how you encountered Emma through Pride of the X-Men and the Konami game, but also through a trading card that was confiscated from you <laughs> in school yeah. because it was too sexy. This is my origin story, yes. <laughs> I think that I met Celine for the first time in a very similar way, which mm-hmm. is that I had Black Queen trading cards in those sets, and her cards were even more outrageous than Emma's, honest. Because like Celine is really just a dominatrix. <laughs> yeah. It's not even white to like offset the vibe like she's just in a black leather corset and little panties and holding a whip she sometimes she times sometimes has like a tasteful elegant cape yes yes no she had a cape in the in the card that i'm thinking of but she Mm -hmm. was holding a whip out like Mm -hmm. come here and i am amazed honestly that that was never confiscated from me (laughs) maybe they knew (laughs) she also was in one of the super nintendo games was she yeah well it's weird there's like in Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge, when they're mm-hmm. in Murder World, one of the boss fights is like a giant Celine robot. <laughs> okay. I Very weird. I don't think I ever played that. It was not good, but I loved everything X-Men, and so I played it a lot, and I didn't get very far because it was really, really hard. Too hard for children. Is that the one where opinion. Storm's like underwater? Underwater! And you're shooting Which lightning Which is bolts. so stupid. <laughs> you have, like, I get that it's to make her limited, I guess, yeah. because like Storm's too powerful, but... She's swimming the entire time. Right. And I hate a water level. Nobody likes a water level. Yeah, she's swimming the entire time. And I remember when that came out, I was just like, okay, well, my parents didn't get me the Sega Genesis. And around the same time, the Sega Genesis version came out. And it was like, oh, that seems more fun. There were a bunch of cool Sega Genesis X-Men games. And I also did not have a Sega Genesis. I had a Super Nintendo. And the Super Nintendo offerings were not as impressive on the X-Men front. Not great. Not great. Not great. Zaladane, notably, <laughs> in the Sega Genesis game. Yes. Nowhere to be found on the Super Nintendo. But going back to Celine, I think when you see those cards and they had the like the projections and it was just like, oh, well, look how high this person scores. I'm pretty sure Celine's scores were pretty high. I can't quite I think recall. so. That sounds right. I feel like she had, you know, like a really high durability rating yeah. like because you really can't fucking kill her <laughs> no. 
So it was like, I think she had like a full seven and then like six or seven in like energy projection or whatever. Like she's definitely. But but it was kind of funny because you kind of are like, well, this supremely powerful being that's been alive for 17,000 years is friends with like apocalypse. They like go way back, back in the day. And then uh, it's like, oh, well, look at this comic card that says she's very powerful. And then you get to like the comics and you're Mm -hmm. like, what is happening? She mostly just like drinks wine and is a bitch. But you know what? I love (laughs) that for her. Well, I mean, yeah, she's a bitch. She likes to uh, suck people's life energy out of them and then loves like a costume theme party. She loves a theme. No one loves a theme like Celine. Celine invented the theme party actually in 15,000 BC. (laughs) And it's been the same theme ever since, which is hot sluts. Hot sluts, maybe death, sometimes. Sort of a mask of the red death, but everyone's in a bustier kind of vibe going on. (laughs) Yes. And here's the thing. If I were 17,000 years old, I too would be pretty bored of doing anything but having parties, if I'm being real. Right. Like how many midlife crises has Celine gone through? Right. Like that she's just like, you know what? I think I want to go have like a little party called Nova Roma. Celine's crisis era of like I cut all my hair off I'm trying to like be single for a minute I just ate my ex-boyfriend and I'm going through it you know and then she just decides you know what was great ancient Rome (laughs) can we go back so Nova Roma we've mentioned Nova Roma many times this podcast Nova Roma let's just I'll just give it to you right now so right Nova Roma is a secret civilization in the Brazilian jungle that is introduced early in the run of Claremont's New Mutants. It is the home of Magma, a character who sucks. She is... <laughs> we'll get to her someday. Celine and you will agree on that. Yeah, well, she's very disappointing to Celine because over time it's revealed that she's actually Celine's granddaughter and Celine finds her enormously whack and is just like, how? Yeah. This it's is like, so it's depressing. Basi- it's basically like if Tippi Hendren... <laughs> South Dakota Johnson and, Dakota and hated jo- her and, hated her and was like, excuse me, <laughs> what happened? She's like, Melanie was doing great. What's going on here? Now, luckily, Dakota Johnson's doing great, too. So if Tippi Hedren were Celine, I think she'd be pleased. But it is exactly that. It's like you're a third generation boss bitch, except you suck. And that's very disappointing to me as your evil immortal grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're many levels of ex-gene nepotism. And you, this is the best you could do. And it was like, she got nothing going mad. on. <laughs> maybe, maybe Celine has an Italian accent. <laughs> maybe. Mamma mia, my granddaughter. Maybe, you know, I think Celine is actually probably close, like close to Dorit. <laughs> she just lives That everywhere. is, you know what? <laughs> That's absolutely right. And I'm now going to do a Dorit voice for Celine for the rest of the podcast. So thank you. If you're not a viewer of The Real House of Beverly Hills, first of all, this past season was incredible. Although rough for Dorit. I am a noted Dorit head, but this was not her best season it, ever. It, it was a fall from <laughs> grace from, from her yeah. previous season. If you're not a viewer of that show, Dorit is from Connecticut but her husband is British and her father's Israeli and like she has this very indecipherable accent that is magical because is it fake we can't tell Kathy Hilton called her my friend the English girl this season she was like I'm not English I'm from Connecticut 
<laughs> and it's also like she speaks fluent Italian and fluent French and too. Hebrew and French. Yeah. So well, sure. You know, sure. absolutely. I mean, you know, Celine speaks like 500 different languages and is telepathic. So, yeah. you know, she could roast you in every language possible. I mean, she's lived so many places for so many centuries that I feel like her accent would be completely indecipherable at this point. Right. So right. that's sort of my, I just we're going to go for kind of a Dorit vibe, I think. Anyway, Perfect. so Celine to go way, 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 way back. Celine is the oldest known mutant on record. <laughs> if we discount Jason Aaron's one million B.C mutants because as i've mentioned on this podcast that doesn't make sense because mm -hmm. there were no humans in 1 million bc and mutants have to evolve from humans but that aside because there are sci-fi ways you could explain that i just don't like it because it eats celine's lunch which i think is rude <laughs> yeah. but what i will say is i think what preserves celine's place in the franchise is that she is the oldest mutant who is still alive she's from the hyborian age which is conan times <laughs> Mm -hmm. Conan times is obviously not a real point in time in actual human history, but it is a fun place to put her because it has a long history in the Marvel universe. It mm -hmm. is basically this pre-cataclysm. It's like before the flood, before Atlantis, all of this stuff mm -hmm. for a long time. And now again, actually, but they lost it for a while. Mm -hmm. Marvel had the Conan license. So there's a memorable by which I mean that a lot of people hate it, but I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Arc in Uncanny X-Men in the Claremont run where Kulan Gath, the evil Hyborian sorcerer, turns all of Manhattan into Conan times. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's I fucking so love it. It's a great, that's a great Celine story. That actually is a great Celine yeah. story. But so it was fun to put her there because there are other characters in the Marvel Universe who've been sort of established to be around that time, like Jared Nah, who's like Jennifer Kale's ancestor and all sorts of like Marvel magic-y type characters from way, way back in the day. Dakim the Enchanter. But Celine is just a mutant who was there, which is crazy. <laughs> she upends the Children of the Atom conceit, right? That it's yeah. all born out of nuclear power. She is considerably older than that. Celine is like the Forrest Gump of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> It's like, yep, she was there. She was there for uh, for everything. <laughs> you look at photos, she's there. You look at agent hieroglyphics, she's there. Yeah, actually, did you ever play Xenogears? No. I'm the JRPG? Sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's like one of my faves from that PlayStation era, the PS1. The antagonist in that is a woman called Myang, who turns out to be spoilers for like a game that's literally 30 years old. Mild spoilers. You can, it's it's fine. It'll be fine. You figure this out pretty quickly. Myung is like sort of an Eve figure, like a progenitor of humanity. Uh -huh. So as you discover that this character, who at first seems not that important, is actually this like calculating immortal, they do literally find like all these pictures. But in Xenogears world, they've had photographs for like thousands of years because it's like a future kind of thing. Right. So they're like, well, this is 500 years ago. Look who's standing <laughs> behind the president. Yeah. And she's just there, just yeah. chilling. And you're like, hmm. <laughs> Or it's like The Shining at the end when like yeah. he's at the party. Like Celine was always there. Yeah, it's that episode like... of Angel where it's like, wow, Angel is in this photograph in the forties. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's also like something that like Patty, what's her name, Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman director, would love to be like, look at this picture of Celine. <laughs> in yeah, <laughs> she loves she loves to Photoshop Gal Gadot into a historical <laughs> image. And I feel like you could absolutely do that with Celine in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, the most fun would be like. Whenever they go to like <laughs> Apocalypse's stronghold <laughs> yeah. in Egypt, yeah. and then you see like 
a wall mosaic and it's like all these Egyptian people and like a couple gods with animal heads and then just like this white lady sitting there in a corset and everyone's like huh this dominatrix who is this archaeologists are mystified by this strange leather clad babe in (laughs) the ancient Egyptian mosaics right next to it's like hieroglyphics that's like don't let this bitch into my house (laughs) I'm excited I want to know like, because she is 12,000 years older than Apocalypse and the Okaran mutants, right. I do want to know what her relationship was like with them. Like, does she go way back with Iska and Genesis? <laughs> does, like, Iska think she's hilarious, but, like, not want her to come by? And, like, was Genesis like, honestly, A, she's fun. I don't know why you're so melodramatic about this. Aren't you in a coven with her? And he's like, not the point. I don't want her in the house. (laughs) Right. She eats people. She also, I bet you, they were like, she was probably like being like, guys, I really need a theme for this. Well, yeah, right. I'm glad you're finally here. We can finally kick it. Can we we get this themed? (laughs) You know, and she was like, look, ancient Egypt is a theme. Love that. (laughs) You're all doing that. Now, at the time, it was a contemporary theme because ancient Egypt was still going. Exactly. So she wasn't like, you know, it wasn't kitschy in the same way that Nova Roma is in 1982. Yeah. Also, like, don't you think Celine gave all of them their nicknames? Like Iska the NB. Celine was probably like, you know what? I think this sounds nice. Has anyone ever beaten you? And Iska's like, no. And Celine's like, I think you should advertise that. Yeah, she's just giving them PR advice. Because if there's one thing Celine's good at, and this is why it was so funny to put her in X-Corp, if there's one thing Celine's good at, it's PR. Over thousands of years, Celine has ruled empires. She has been the focus of cults she has been worshipped as a goddess Mm -hmm. she has a hereditary line of priests that continued all the way to the present she can turn them into dog people by waving her (laughs) hand she's got a lot going on i mean i feel like she probably helped apocalypse with his branding they were like at the externals party that happens every hundred years or whatever and she was just like look i feel like maybe blue like armor (laughs) like a suit Maybe you need like a look. She's like, I have a look. I wear these black things. I've got like stuff going on. Sometimes I do a purple, but it's in the same sort of palette zone. She's like, I think we could be more coherent here, is what she's saying. She's like, I think we could really, really go for something better. Right now, you're just a gray person, but you could be a gray person in a blue suit of armor. And he's like, sure, I guess. Well, it's it's funny because Celine, whenever she uh, whenever she pops up, it, unless it's a surprise. It's always like there's someone <laughs> announcing her. It's right. Always... It's like the Lady Celine, <laughs> goddess of the this and that, ageless one, the hunter of time immemorial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes it is just a surprise, though. It's like, oops, you forgot about Celine. If you're Rachel Summers, yes. oops, it's Celine happens to you a lot because Celine is obsessed with that girl. I mean, I feel like it's the other way around. Well, like, it I, I quickly feel like... becomes two way street because, like, Rachel comes to Earth, is lost. This guy who owns a gay club takes her in to, like, let her have a shower or whatever. And then Celine eats Rachel's new gay bestie. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it is... My favorite bit in that story, actually, which I went into in detail on the Rachel episode, but mm-hmm. basically she senses Rachel's power and decides to play with this new prey that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So she kills this guy, Nick Damiano, and leaves his body for Rachel to find and then confronts her, and it's fun. Right. But one of the things that's really cool about it is we learn that when Celine absorbs someone's life force, 
she also gets all their memories. Right. And so she calls Rachel out because she's like, do you even remember his name? No, no, no. Wait, you have to set this up better because (laughs) Rachel is stalking like rent free in her mind. Like that is Celine in Rachel's mind. And Rachel's having like these very like crazy nightmares. And it's almost like Freddy Krueger-ish. And she's pulling It's very nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Wolverine gets dragged. It's because Rachel got powered up with the Beyonder. Don't worry about it. It's truly not important. <laughs> but the important part is she goes to Celine's house and Celine is sleeping. <laughs> and the, 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 the little the little side is like Set the scene. Set the scene because this is an incredibly important characterization moment for Celine. Oh, right. Because I, I sent this to you earlier. You did. And I was like, <laughs> we need to talk about this on the air. So there's a panel of like Rachel basically assuming I think a different someone per- someone's persona I think it's like a waitress or she dresses up as a maid maid that's what it is she sneaks into Celine's room and it's like the side is like look at Celine she's sleeping so peacefully you wouldn't even know that she's a seventeen thousand year old vampire and you see Celine's bed it looks like a very glamorous elegant bed it's like canopied it's beautiful yeah. and then right next to it is a little <laughs> mannequin dress form. <laughs> <laughs> with Celine's outfit <laughs> carefully laid on there. No closet. No. It's just the one outfit. <laughs> it's the one thing she wears all the time. Celine walks in at the end of a long day at the Hellfire Club, strips off her corset, her tiny little panties, and her elegant cape, and hangs them carefully on a dress for mannequin beside her bed. Because I guess, I don't know, it's like a security blanket maybe. She just wants to turn if she wakes up in the night and be like, ah, Still there, my couture dominatrix outfit. Some people have a big glass of water next to their bed. Celine has her, her mannequin dress form of dominatrix outfit. I love that. The best part is Rachel goes, you killed. It's like she's basically like, you killed him, you stupid bitch. I can't believe you did this. Where is the humanity? And Celine goes, stop. Wait, do you even know his name? And she goes into this very like Erica Jane. Tom rolled his car by time. <laughs> <laughs> she, she goes, I know this man. She's like, I know this man's life inside and out. He was born in 1963, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like, you don't even know him. And Rachel's like, wait, how did you do that? How do you know this? What the fuck? And so he's like, well, because I absorbed his soul. His name was Nick Damiano, by the way. Did you even ask? Rude, frankly. You were staying in his house. I ate him and I remember who he was. You're all mad about some guy you never bothered to ask about himself. Little selfish, Rachel. Little self-absorbed. While she's being strangled by Rachel's TK, I think. Yeah, like well, she, she's unbothered. Yeah, she's just the like, thing about, she's like, who's the bitch now, Rachel? Who's the thing the about Celine that we don't know yet in that story, but it's sort of implied because like they basically dropped her in a volcano in the New Mutant story and she got better. Uh-huh. Celine does not die. And this is before the concept of the externals is introduced by Fabian Nicias and Rob Liefeld. Right. At the time, it's just sort of like, hmm, I don't know, guys. You can't, you can't do it. You can't kill her. <laughs> she just gets back up. She's like the fucking Terminator. Like, she's not killable. And so she's basically like, yeah, strangle me. Enjoy yourself. You know, like, I'm going to be fine. I mean, also, there's like a very Jennifer's body thing about her going on too. like a very like horror slash eats boys gets hot. It's also very Jennifer's body in the sense of like, there's a serious lesbo energy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's very specifically like, 
I eat men, but you, Rachel, you're special. <laughs> like, I'm going to break you and make you my slave. Like, yes. it's that kind of... There is you know. extreme psychosexual shit going yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a... I do feel that Celine is the ultimate Chris Claremont villain. Yeah. She is all of his kinks and quirks rolled into one bad guy. And she is also, like many of the most classic Chris Claremont things, basically an homage to a famous thing that already existed. So to go way, 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 way back to Nova Roma, because I've never properly contextualized Nova Roma on this show. Mm -hmm. Nova Roma is, again, it's an arc in the early part of New Mutants before Sienkiewicz. It is widely seen as a pretty bad arc. I actually think it's fun. Like, it drags in places, but all of the Celine stuff is really fun. Right. What it really is, though, is just She by H. Ryder Haggard, which is a famous book that was then turned into a famous movie. And if you can watch the movie She from the 30s that Ray Harryhausen colorized shortly before his death, the colorization is incredible. Here's the deal. She sometimes called She Who Must Be Obeyed, is mm -hmm. a novel by H. Ryder Haggard that was sort of an adventure novel. It's very racist. Great. It's about an expedition to Africa, and they discover this white lady who is the queen of this long-lost civilization in Africa. Mm -hmm. Her name is Aisha, She Who Must Be Obeyed. Ugh. She's actually Arab, but H. Ryder Haggard thought of Arabs as white people, so it's like, it's complicated. But the point is... Mm -hmm. People often comment that Nova Roma feels a little low-key racist. I would say that given the source material it's based on, Claremont made it significantly less racist. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. that. In part because it's like Nova Roma is not enslaved indigenous Brazilians serving Celine. It's like Caesar died, we got freaked out, and a bunch of us moved with the help of this witch to this colony that we made in the jungle that we'd hidden from everybody. Right. The New Mutants wind up there. That's where Magma shows up in blackface. That part's racist. Then <laughs> shenanigans ensue. Magma and her like 500 names. Right. Amara Juliana Olivians <laughs> Aquila, which is not good Latin. As a former classics major, it's been a long time since I looked at my declensions of Roman names. But I can tell you for free that <laughs> Amara's name is nonsense. And Celine Gallio is also nonsense. That's just the fake identity that Friedrich von Rohm made for her when she got to New York. But her husband, Marcus Domitius Gallio, the family name there is Domitius. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is just a Xi'an Khoi Man moment of... It was harder to research these things back then, right? Right. There was no Google. Similarly, Nova Roma is stated to have expanded its population by merging with remnants of the Inca Empire. The problem with that is that the Incas are on the west side of South America, not in Brazil at all. Mm -hmm. So doesn't really work. In that first story, it's implied that Celine is herself Inca. That is dropped completely after this initial story. There's a question about that, so we'll get into it later. Point is, it's not... 100% colonial because the idea is that it's also like the indigenous people were also invited to join the society, which is very Roman. Mm -hmm. Romans were not like racist in that way. They just cared if you were like Roman or not. So mm -hmm. if you become Nova Roman, you're Nova Roman, essentially. Celine is introduced as the mysterious sorceress wife of Senator Gallio. He is the head of the guard of the city or whatever. He is in a protracted political battle with Magma's father. Mm -hmm. 
it's all sort of political intrigue with these characters who will never matter again. So I think that's why people are sort of like, this arc is dumb. Mm -hmm. He dies by the end of the arc, but the big reveal is that Selene is actually the black priestess of this cult that is under Novaroma in the volcano (laughs) that is there. She is sacrificing all those Sacrifices virgins to the volcano and drains their life force, and it keeps her young and beautiful forever. Mm -hmm. This is where we first see that when she uses her magic, it makes her physically age and that she then drains life force out of people, which is her mutant power. Mm-hmm. She gets a taste of Danny Moonstar and then becomes obsessed with Danny because it's a Chris Claremont story. <laughs> and later she will similarly be drawn to Rachel. In this story, it's said that these are the first other mutants that Selene has ever encountered. Don't worry about it. That's just like retconned out pretty quickly mm-hmm. when he decides to keep her. But it is a lot like the story of She, which ends with Aisha's death as she is trying to prolong her own life and yada, yada, yada. So mm-hmm. it's very much that. That movie, again, is freaking great. It stars Helen Gagan as Aisha, and she later became famously a progressive congresswoman who fucking ruled and ran against Nixon for Senate. But she lost because she was accused of being a communist. So, frankly an icon, RIP to Helen Gagan Douglas. Iconic. Iconic gal mm-hmm. of old Hollywood. Her portrayal of Aisha in that movie was the visual inspiration for the evil queen in Snow White. Got it. Walt Disney loved this movie. And and there's that undercurrent with Celine. Yeah, and I will say the movie she, if you're hesitant about watching it because of my description of the book, moves the action to Siberia. So all of the servant people in the city are white and it's a lot less distressing. I'll just put it that way. Got it. Anyway, point is... <laughs> Initially, it's just one of those. It's like how Callisto kidnapping Angel is just from Barbarella or how Mm -hmm. the Shi'ar stuff is very Star Trek and Star Wars. Like, it's just Claremont having fun with pastiches and homages. But very quickly, because she does check every single one of his boxes, he decides to bring her to New York because she's intrigued by these young mutants. Now, this is where I do think you can... This is where the Children of the Atom thing comes in. Is We know later because of retcons that she knows Apocalypse, yada, yada. Like mm-hmm. she knows the other externals. I mean, but... wait, can we go back for a little bit to End of Nova Roma, which is like oh, an sure. ama- amazing scene where <laughs> Sunspot goes crazy and he throws her into the volcano. And all sure the does. Other, and he's like, I must do this. We must kill her. And he throws her into the volcano. <laughs> so he's like, well, fuck, I'm going to the volcano, I guess. And all the other new moons are like what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> like, what? We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to kill people. <laughs> and he's like, I had to, I had to throw her in the volcano. And everyone's like, what the fuck? And it's just kind of an amazing WTF moment. <laughs> yeah. I think you went a little too far. I actually want to read just a, a little tiny bit here when she's like trying to kill Danny before that happens. Mm-hmm. She goes, now I am certain for countless generations I have wandered the earth alone, believing myself to be unique, a different, better breed than human. You and your companions have shown me that I am not alone. And Danny thinks, what's she saying? That she's a mutant? Are we such monsters? No wonder people fear, hate us. You will all join me, serve me, hunt by my side as I leave my exile and reach out across the wide, wonderful world to claim it as my own. You resist to no avail, Moonstar. I have tasted your blood and through it touched your soul. Which is great. It's kind of horny. 
It's like extremely horny. Absolutely. So horny. Unfortunately for Celine, this whole volcano adventure activates magma's mutant power, which is over <laughs> lava. So it goes pretty pear shaped for her pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Beto throws her in the volcano and she apparently dies. But, you know, she's immortal. She's immortal, which they don't know at that point, but she's going to pop back up. My favorite bit is actually, I love in that Kulangath. Oh, it's so good. Story. <laughs> when So when Kulangath transforms all of Manhattan into the Hyborian whatever, like Conan and Red Sonia times, mm-hmm. Celine. Well, everyone's freaking out. Like there's like. Uh, a, obviously. There, and they can't remember a, who they are. Like there's well, a lot going. I think. I think. Beyond like the bubble, everyone's just like, "What do we do?" All our superheroes right. are. It's stuck. like Wandavision. <laughs> yeah, all our superheroes are stuck in weird costumes. None of this makes sense. What is happening? WTF? How are we going to get out of this? And then it cuts to an alleyway, <laughs> or I guess it's not an alleyway. It's like it's, it's I just like pulled a up the panel. It's just a yeah. It's so she's standing between. I think she's like maybe she's at the mat or something, but she's standing between like two columns, like mm-hmm. marble columns. And it casts a shadow. <laughs> and it's just her little face peeking out with like a cape, a capey thing. It says, but hidden in nearby shadows. And she goes, careless as ever, Kulan Gah. Your enchantment has no effect on a sorceress who was old. Her power feared when this world was in its infancy. Which is just so funny. But it's just that it's her little peaky face. And then... She's like, you forgot about me. Yeah, it's like, you forgot about me, Kulan Gath. And then she, like, like a vampire, literally like fucking Dracula, just, like, puts her cloak in front of her face and then vanishes into the shadows. So funny. Yeah. Well, I it's just like, love it's that like, bit. It's, it's, like, it's like, is the only hope Celine? And she's just like, yes, I just love when she gives her speeches. Like, basically, between theme parties, she just sort of writes free verse about herself. Uh-huh. Like when Rachel finds Nick dead. So Celine's mutant powers are A, the life force thing, but then also she's telepathic, but not as good a telepath as like Emma. Jean or Emma or those people. Yeah. She's a low level telepath. She's also, though, an extremely powerful psychokinetic, mm-hmm. meaning she's telekinetic, but she can only affect inanimate objects. Which makes for some really funny twists, like yeah. when Rachel walks into Nick's living room and finds him like zombified in his chair because Celine sucked <laughs> all his juices out. She goes, "You!" and then Celine folds her into a rug. It's like a Persian rug that just like wraps her up. Yeah, there's she also loves like a like an inanimate like monster. She loves like a little just to make monster. things out of stuff. She loves to like have telephone cables like mm. snap and wrap around people she loves that yeah she a ton of bondage Lots yeah of bondage. i like power limitations like that because they give the character flavor it's like yeah. oh she's a limitless telekinetic but she can't affect living things because now <laughs> it's like well i'm gonna have to drag you by your shirt or whatever like it becomes funny yeah like or there was this the fight after that rachel part where she's just like hey rogue wouldn't it be funny if i just deteriorated your gloves yeah if i just made your gloves disintegrate and she does it she's like adam by adam bitch like surprise so good. But yeah, I mean, this is this is the one that I always think of. It's speech-wise. So Rachel goes, you, and gets wrapped up in the rug. And she goes, mm-hmm. did you truly believe, dear Rachel, that I would allow you to escape? And Rachel goes, murderous, why did you kill him? And she goes, I am a predator, child. Since time immemorial, homo sapiens have been the prey of the dark huntress, Celine. <laughs> and she's like doing a pose. She's got her hands out. Mm-hmm. It's like a jazz hands moment. There's like light exploding kind of behind her. She's doing. Do you remember that moment 
it was the Oscars where Angelina Jolie just like had a leg out (laughs) of like a black dress with a really high slit. It was just, yes, yes, yes. Here's my leg. And it became a meme. (laughs) Celine did that decades earlier. (laughs) She's in like a black robe dress with like wizardy sleeves, Mm -hmm. but it's a sexy sort of sheath dress that's slit way up the side. And she's just kicking out a leg like, yeah, surprise. I've caught you, my pretty, you know? Yes. And she's all, she's always in a shadow. She always has, like, a little cape, and she's always, like, spooky. There's always, like, a spooky It's just heart. always drama. She's just like, oh, I'm sorry. You forgot about it. Because it's always, it's literally, like, we haven't seen Celine in a couple years, and then, hmm, something nefarious is afoot, and they round the corner. It's like, oh, of course. There you are. And she's like, hello, it's me again. But I do I do love that Kulan Goth. Uh, arc where she's just like it's like all hope is lost it's so good what are we gonna do and it's like it's Celine it's Celine so Celine disguises herself as Magma which is a troll I love that this is in the Kulin Gathering she disguises herself as Magma which is absolutely a a huge troll and is very funny and then a volcano no 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 someone gets someone gets their ass beat and they're like magma why didn't you do anything she's like i don't know i suck i don't know i'm just bad i can't control my powers but it's actually celine Celine. it was celine in a magma suit that was an illusion actually celine loves an illusion loves an illusion because she uses magic to like make her illusions even better right yeah like she has like aside from her powers of just like being a really cool telepath, she's also she's a like, seventeen thousand year old sorceress so yeah. you know she's, she's probably is she a strong like i I know when she in the in the necrosha arc when they're like oh all the super powered sorcerers and wizards whatever will feel this and so it seems to indicate that like well she she is probably a pretty good magic wielder because she's mostly been confined to the x-men stories we Mm -hmm. haven't seen that much of it but we know that she outclasses amanda sefton who is one of the best Mm -hmm. at least or she did in the 90s amanda sefton is one of the most powerful sorcerers on earth Mm -hmm. i don't know if she's like dr strange's caliber Mm -hmm. but in part that's probably because her magic is old as balls like i don't think that she is keeping up on like the latest right wiccan gossip right like right, she's right. not hanging out at the sanctum sanctorum reading about frankly anything that's happened since like the time of christ she's just going real old school with it it's like greek pharmaca <laughs> persian magic like very that purist kind of stuff. very yeah very purist. she's like very old timey with it yeah necromancy like she's not <laughs> trying to do like you know you know she's not interested in techno pagan stuff she's not interested in any of that nonsense she's also like the into like transmutation like transmutation is her shit she loves turning (laughs) things into other things yes she's a fiend for it is there a thing you need to turn into something else as long as it's inanimate (laughs) celine's your girl she loves that huge fan but she also does i mean in that rachel thing she was just like watch me turn this man into a dog man who will sniff out where rachel is right now well that's very specific yeah so that's what happens after the so what happens with nick damiano (laughs) after he's dead i mean nothing happens with him he's dead Mm r.i.p to nick a gay king professor xavier shows up with the x-men and he is able to his telepathy is stronger than celine's and he's able to like you know banish her essentially and she flees into the night and like runs away and her like you know she kind of batmans away in like a dracula sort of way right then she <laughs> it's so good it is then so good. she shows up she shows up at a jewelry store on Park Avenue, mm-hmm. owned by Friedrich von Rome, who's this new character. He has appeared half as Aladdin. He's not important. 
He, however, is the hereditary high priest of the cult of Selene, which apparently has just continued for thousands and thousands of years in Europe. They have worshipped her as a god. Mm -hmm. She shows up and he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And like, she's like, hello, I'm in need of a place to live. And she like makes him buy her a house, which is very funny. And then he takes her to the Hellfire Club because mm -hmm. she's like, I need power. I don't know where I'm going to get power, but I would like some. I'm in this concrete jungle of yours. I've been in the actual jungle for like 3,000 years, so I need a little help here. Yeah. Where am I going? Mm -hmm. And so he decides, well, I'm a member of the Hellfire Club and the Black Queen position is vacant because the whole Dark Phoenix thing didn't work out so hot. Right. So he brings her to the club mm -hmm. and it's very funny. There's a speech. He, there, there is a speech. He like introduces her. I mean, first I love when she shows up at his store, mm -hmm. he goes, gasp and drops <laughs> what he's holding. And then he goes, by the sacred fire, Celine, after two <laughs> millennia, our goddess has returned and falls to his knees. And she is wearing... It's like a skirt suit or like maybe it's a trench coat. She has giant shoulder pads. <laughs> it's very much girl boss, like of the 80s. It's exactly that moment. Right. It has the vibe of like she could be a villain in an episode of Murphy Brown. Yeah. Well, I think what happens like in later times, it's always like, you know what they love? It's like writers love like Celine looking like an old ass lady mm -hmm. and then Celine like sucking some life force and then getting hot. So I love like whenever Celine shows up and <laughs> every old lady in Marvel, when she when an old lady shows up, you should be like, could be Celine. Is this Celine? Maybe. I guess it is a skirt suit because I just turned the page and she has little fishnets on under it. So like it's not just a coat, but she's drinking glass of wine. He's like, as your high priest, blessed one, I exist to serve your slightest wishes, my command. And she goes, such loyalty of Rome is most welcome. I require a residence, one that will allow me both to exercise my powers and safety and bring certain plans to their fruition preferably mm. one which provides access to wealth and influence and he goes i believe i have the ideal solution it is called the hellfire club and then he brings her before shaw mm -hmm. and this is so funny i have the high privilege to present as candidate for admission to the inner circle of the hellfire club as its new black queen lady celine <laughs> and she's in the Black Queen costume that she will wear for the rest of time, except right. initially she has like a kicky little black headband. I think she drops that pretty quickly. Right. She has a little garter with like a red jewel on it. She's looking good. She has a whip on her belt. And Shaw says, really? I grant you, Von Rome, your protege certainly looks the part, but the title <laughs> of Black Queen is a singular honor. It must be earned. And then she displays a lot of scary powers tessa is like oh this is really really bad which is when you know that something's really bad yeah. well she was just like here's how you know that i'm the black queen ba bam ba bam like, the inanimate powers come to life they're like yes and then there's the funniest she she says Sometimes a line of dialogue that's like bragging about powers mm -hmm. is just so funny and there's one here where she's destroyed Sebastian's throne, which is like what freaks them all out mm -hmm. with her powers. Right. So she says, I took the liberty of repairing your throne, <laughs> Sebastian. And he thinks, and she sits on it as if it's already hers. And she goes, as you have seen, I have absolute control over all forms of inorganic matter. Would you like a further demonstration? And he says, thank you, no. This was quite sufficient. <laughs> and they let her in immediately. But they spend the entire 80s trying to figure out how to kill her because 
it's really bad. Like they're very, it's very clear that this is bad. When Rachel and Amara at one point try to kill her, and that's when they dress up in their little maid costumes, and she like enraptures Rachel and turns her into like a mind slave and offers her to Sebastian as a pet. Yes. Um, well, no, the funniest part about that is that <laughs> Rachel's actually very funny in that issue. Like she goes, she is. It's Magma's best stuff. That's yeah. a great little arc. She goes into the Hellfire Club dressed up in their little in the little outfits and sexy French maid costume with the fishnets. Right. And then she like leaves the room for a sec and she's just like, oh my god, these jerks are so stupid. And she's just like cracking herself up. And she's just like, I can't believe how funny they are. They are so silly. I cannot believe this is happening. Amara isn't that funny. And then like it's like zonk. Like I think like uh, it's like it's Celine pretending to be Amara again. Doesn't that happen? And then she's just like, oh, no. And then Celine also coming out of the shadows is just like, oh, it's me, the Black Queen, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) But it's another shadow moment when when she's just like, yes, I think Celine is just trolling people at this point. And she's just like, I'm going to pretend to be Amara again. Well, and the funniest thing is like, Sebastian does not know who she is von rome has given them this false dossier that's like full of bullshit details about celine gallio who is not a real person yeah and he's just like uh okay so that's where actually the firestorm mini comes in emma murders that pony because she's trying (laughs) to groom firestar into an assassin who can kill celine that's the whole point of that story it does not work for various reasons. Shaw is also constantly, like, Tess is always just like, hmm, when she offers Rachel to Shaw, <laughs> Tessa thinks she's like, Sebastian, take her, take this Phoenix girl and use her to destroy Celine. Like, they're all just thinking the entire time, how can we kill her? Because while they don't know where she's come from, it becomes very clear to them very quickly that she is not what she says she is, that she is way too powerful to be hanging out in their house without explaining herself. <laughs> right. And, Shaw's like, she wants my seat at the head of the table. I can, like, she's not even hiding it. She's like, I want to take over your, I want the club. It should be mine. Right. Well, the fu- there's also a funny part where Shaw's like, what should I do with her? Because she's just like, well, in my country, we give them pets. And she instantly is like, here are your pets. And it's Rachel and Amara. And yes. goes, and goes like, Tessa, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> Tessa, I... She just say yes. Just, just take just, them. Just, just take them. Just say yes. <laughs> just say yes. I do not know this lady, but just say yes. Do not just, say no. Just don't. Let's not piss her off. Maybe <laughs> is sort of my analysis of this situation. Like, Tessa, analyze. Okay, my analysis. This is a bad situation that we're in, and you need to de-escalate this situation so that we can kill her privately. But it's also like after that, she's like, I think right before that, I think she also like displays maybe teleportation, and it's like Tessa, what happened? So what's going on? <laughs> There's just too much magic going on. They're not comfortable. <laughs> it's this lady that just went from like the top rope, like, <laughs> like on the first. They beat. have never had a Hellfire Club application go quite this way. I feel like lots of rich people show up and they're like, because it's funny. It's like, you know, Beto's dad shows up mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, Emmanuel DaCosta, you're rich. You can be part of our club. Mm-hmm. He doesn't show up and start like displaying <laughs> godlike feats of mystical strength. It's like a very, you know. So then we, the readers, learn about her association with Kulan Gath when that storyline happens. And yeah, she poses Amara, which is hilarious. <laughs> then when she reveals herself, though, it's actually her magic that wakes up Storm and Callisto and helps them remember who they are, which right. is how the whole thing gets resolved. But 
Celine's plan is like, so it is literally WandaVision, like Kool and Gath's bubble that is Hyborian times is spreading and eventually will consume the entire earth and turn it all into like time immemorial, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Celine's like, hmm, I'm going to pose as magma. I'm going to play everyone against each other and try to kill all of them and then seize control of the spell myself. Yeah, she wanted to swoop in at the last minute. Yeah, so Kulan Gath is fighting Warlock, and suddenly a volcano explodes from beneath them. And it's like, Magma, what are you doing? But it's not Magma, it's Selene using evil magic and her power over the inanimate. She goes, ha, 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 It's like a whole lot of ha's. And then Magma turns into the Black Queen. She goes, Kulan Gath, you utter, complete, pathetic fool. To think one who knew you so well would allow herself to be taken captive with such childish ease. The girl, Amara, she was the sorceress all along. Why risk myself, after all, when there are so many noble heroes to fight and die for me? Now none are left to oppose me as I cast the master spell over the entire world. A world Celine shall rule forever! <laughs> and Rachel says, I knew, I wanted to tell, but Celine's spells kept me silent. I'm trying to resist, to rebel, but I can't. Enslaving Rachel is like her second favorite thing to do besides eat people. She loves it. When Claremont comes back in the reload period, it's very specifically because, like, other bitches are trying to hurt Rachel and Celine shows up and like is wrapping them in her shadow magic and is like, the star child is mine. Find other prey. Yeah. That's my girl. It's very funny. And there's also like, it's very like horny-ish because it's like, oh, it's Rachel the Hound again. And it's just Oh, like... it's, well, she wants to put Rachel on a leash. It's yeah. extremely horny the whole time. I mean, I know a lot of lesbians and queer women who love this character because she is sort of the ultimate, like, sapphic villain. Yeah. None of the men she interacts with, she seems to care about that much, but she develops these obsessions. Like, she, like, the men are food. Mm -hmm. But these women, she's like, "Mm." like, you get the sense with Magma that what she's trying to do is shape Magma. Yeah. Like, she wants to hone Magma into the granddaughter that she wants. Absolutely. But... She's going to do it by killing everyone you love. I mean, there's this great moment when the much later when after Magneto becomes the White King mm-hmm. and he and Celine and Emma all start plotting together to get rid of Shaw, which is a fun arc. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just had to open a White Claw there because that's what I do when Alex is on the pod. <laughs> She's talking to somebody at the gala that they're throwing the new mutants show up to with Magneto. And someone's like, that girl is staring at you with such hatred. What's that about? And she's like, oh, just a small matter. I killed her mother. <laughs> and Magma is like about to like lava out and fucking kill her. Yeah. And I think it's Ilyana has to walk and be like, not right now. Yeah. It's Danny. One of them is just like, not right now. Not right now. And Magma's like, I will. And it's like, not right now. We have a truce. And the reason they have a truce actually is because Rachel eventually get sick and tired of this woman trying to dom her (laughs) and decides to kill her. Yes, yes, yes. Which is, again, my favorite, wants to kill her, wants to ruin her mannequin with her little dress form and her little corset. I know, it's very rude. It's like, listen, I'm here in my bedroom. I'm just vibing. I had an edible earlier. I'm just going to sleep. Like, there's no need for this. Yeah. It's a very Chris Claremont moment. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel the need to read this because A, it's so gay. B, it's just Chris Claremont at his most thought bubbly, which is like when I really, truly love him the most, I think. Mm -hmm. Rachel walks in. She knocks 
Friedrich out. And then when the maid comes in to check on him, she knocks the maid out and steals her outfit. So she's walking around in a little sexy maid outfit. She goes, her thoughts tell me all I need to know. She'll sleep till morning as well. And her uniform should get me the rest of the way unchallenged. Only one of the Lord's cardinals in residence, Celine, the Black Queen, in her suite on the third floor. A shame. I was hoping for more. But I guess I have to start somewhere. I've closed my shields tight around my mind. To a casual telepathic scan, I radiate the same psi pattern as the maid. All is quiet. Celine has no idea I'm here. She's in for a big surprise. And then we see her shadow over <laughs> Celine in her canopy four-poster bed and the little... I will post this on Twitter because it's so good. The, just the little mannequin with Celine's outfit on it. Even the little garter. Like, she did the whole fucking thing. <laughs> well, it's just like we were talking about it. It's just like, do you think she hand-washed it and then <laughs> gently I think it that she dry-cleaned it with magic and then used her power over all inanimate, inorganic <laughs> matter to... Although it's leather, probably. So can she affect it? <laughs> now I'm not sure. It's thinking. inanimate. I think she can. It's inanimate, I mean, but it's not inorganic. But you know what? If she is magic and she is and she's old magical, school, yeah, old, no, old exactly. Like, do you think? Well, like, here's the point. The point is that Chris Claremont <laughs> didn't want to define her powers because he wanted her to be able to do anything at any time. So mm -hmm. she just does all kinds of random shit, and it's like, well, it's magic. I remember I had the '80s role playing game as a kid, and her power block that was like explaining all the things she could do was demented. Was insane because. <laughs> yeah. It was just like everything actually is what she can do. Right. Also, like, you know, she was just probably like, if I, she just probably like magicked away Nova Roma and gave them all like shampoo and like body wash. And she was just like, I don't yeah, oh, yeah. Things. Everyone's, oh, everyone is <laughs> well groomed in Nova Roma when we get there in that arc. Everyone has like amazing bath products. <laughs> Later stories were revealed that she dipped out of Nova Roma sometimes to like go do stuff. Like I loved when Teeny in Excalibur did a flashback to like a meeting of the externals and uh -huh. scenes in a nun costume <laughs> for no explained reason. It's just like, yeah, that tracks. She has a lot of stories. She's just like, I'm a fetish nun now. It's 1420. <laughs> like this is what I'm doing at the moment. But so Rach goes, look at the witch. So vulnerable. So innocent. So deceitful. For eons, she's preyed on humanity, slaughtering her victims without mercy, terrorizing those who survived. This moment's long overdue, and now she aspires to be Black Queen. That was my mother's title. When Mastermind seduced her soul and turned her against the X-Men, she fought her way free, but emerged transformed into Dark Phoenix, all because of this accursed club. And people like you. You're responsible for untold misery. If not stopped, you'll cause more. But is this right? For a moment, only weeks ago, I followed in Mom's footsteps. I became Phoenix, and through that power, one with the universe. I beheld life in all its myriad glory. I couldn't kill then. Can I do so now? That was different. Those were innocent lives. The Hellfire Club is evil. Its inner circle, these Lords Cardinal, chose to be what they are. This is no less than they deserve! And she Phoenixes out, explodes the room. <laughs> Selene so goes, ah, hey, what? Under attack, psychic and physical, but who? You don't remember me, Selene? She has creepy Phoenix word bubbles now. She goes, you don't remember me, Selene? I'm hurt, of course, since then I've changed a bit, unfortunately for you. Only Selene would be woken up by this gigantic TK explosion. <laughs> be like, who the fuck is this? Who is this? What's going on? The mutant girl, the X-Men's ward, Rachel. I knew she possessed awesome potential, but never dreamed it would be so quickly realized. She radiates such power. It's like battling a living star. But I am not without resources of my own. I can animate every object in this room. And she starts shooting like the pieces of the bed <laughs> at Rachel. Rachel goes, big deal, and like destroys them. Celine, who sleeps in a bikini, by the way, yeah. it's like a black bikini. It's maybe, I mean, I guess it's like a bra and panty set, but it's funny. I feel like that's just, that's Marvel Comics because there's no way Celine sleeps with anything on, right? 
It's like very Carrie Bradshaw. It's like, why are you going to sleep in a bra, Carrie? Mm-hmm. That's like not something. Yeah. Why are you having sex in a bra? I Carrie? mean, I do that's love. Just, that's sleeping. not something people do. <laughs> I do love the campiness of Celine sleeping in a bikini, though. I want in a say- bikini. <laughs> I I choose to believe it is like a black designer bikini that she just sleeps in for funsies. She goes, I need time to recover. Or maybe she was down at the Hellfire Club's pool and like got <laughs> hammered and then went upstairs and was like, I'm not going to bed. She goes, I need time to recover my strength to plan. The floor will hold her fast until you caught me this way when we first met. This time I'm ready for it, for all your tricks. Do you recall that night, vampire, <laughs> the man you killed for no other reason than that he was kind to me? And Celine, so then... Phoenix reaches out. <laughs> Rachel reaches out and grabs Celine in a big fist that she makes out of like the Phoenix wing. Yeah. And Celine says, Nicholas Damiano, a courageous heart, a noble soul. His essence fed me well. And Rachel says, you know his name. And her bubble now has like a red stroke around it. Like to emphasize Phoenix is really pissed. And is really loud. Yes. And Celine <laughs> says, I honor him. Yes. As I do all whom I slay. As I shall you. That's so good. (laughs) He had meaning to me, as he obviously had none for you. Else you would have remembered. Like, I remember his name, but you don't. Mm, Sad. (laughs) And then this is what I love, which is there's they're fighting. And it says, from time immemorial. Claremont loves an immemorial with Celine. Mm -hmm. From time immemorial, Celine has dreaded slash yearned for this moment. When she finally faces a foe worthy of her capable even of destroying her. She gazes into her young foe's heart and soul to behold a hunger, a dark solitude that rivals her own, coupled with a rage that will not be denied. Within Celine's rooms, all is primordial chaos. Without, there isn't a sign that anything's amiss until the lights go out and the fire alarm sounds. Immediately, staff and members race for the exits. In the confusion, no one notices a shadowed figure step wraith-like in the other direction. It's Wolverine who's coming to stop Rachel from becoming Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only way we can explain it, because this plot never really gets explained. Wolverine, like, mortally wounds Rachel to prevent her from killing Celine, and it's never really yeah, something that gets it's addressed. Like, it's like they all basically were like, oh, she took all of our life essences, and now we're all part of her, but, like, Wolverine is in her dream. Rachel had stolen everybody's life for us because of the thing with the Beyonder, so they're all kind of pissed at her about that, and they've been all dragged into her stupid dreams. They were all like, is that consensual? Yeah, Do no, it was not yes. good. You lose, Celine. Your reign of darkness is over. Your countless victims are at last about to be avenged. And then Wolverine goes, Rachel, stop, darling, before it's too late. <laughs> Wolverine, I've come to take you home. No, you're not real. You're from my dreams. Still chasing, always hunting, here to kill me. Why, Logan? What have I done to fill you with such hate? Nothing. Yet. (laughs) A trick. She's playing with my mind or with yours to make you save her. But I'd know it if she did. She's helpless. Then show mercy. To her? Never. Wolverine, no court, no human law can touch her. If I don't punish her, stop her, no one will. Maybe so. But who appointed you judge, jury, and executioner? Bold talk, little man, from a natural killer. That's right. We have something in common. We both killed. Odds are we'll kill again. But this, Rachel, this is murder. And so what's funny about this is like (laughs) it continues and eventually he snicks her and that's the end of the issue, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. Because she's like, the only way to stop me, Logan, is to kill me. And uh, he does, basically, Mm -hmm. or tries to. Like mortally. But what's funny is that like the whole time, Celine is just watching. She doesn't say (laughs) anything. She's like wrapped up in the phoenix fist and she's just like, hmm, this is annoying. But like, she doesn't... She's just like, I want to see what happens next. She's like, I'm, I wonder what's going to go on. What's going to happen here? I'm curious. And then in the following issue, 
she runs out into Central Park to the Ramble, which is very funny. I know. If you know anything about. Yes. That's a cruising zone for the flat scans. <laughs> so it's just a funny Chris Claremont like wink. Right. But instead of gay guys cruising for hot sex anonymously in the Ramble, we see actually a woman being threatened with a knife She's by a like mugger. She's mugged. Yeah. And he is going to rape her, actually, like is what he's sort of suggesting. And then Celine, who is a withered crone at the moment, but in a kicky dress. In a shadow. Her arm reaches right out of the shadow with like a (laughs) cute little bracelet on. She loves, she loves it. She loves to just pop out of the shadows. She grabs him and goes, tonight, oh man, Celine does you the greatest of honors. She lifts him. Up into the air by his collar. She's just like with one hand mm-hmm. picking him up. By taking your misbegotten life essence for her own. And she makes him collapse into dust. <laughs> sucks all of his energy in. And then suddenly she's hot again. Yeah. And she goes, better. Ah, better. <laughs> but to have to remember such a creature as this. Shemach, the fates can be cruel. Because <laughs> now she has this guy's memories, which she doesn't like having. Yeah. And she's just like, it's gross. It's rotten. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of this. I don't know what language she's supposed to be speaking mm-hmm. in these, but, you know, I don't know. I guess it's like Hyborian, right? Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you know what language she's speaking, write in, because I don't actually know. Yet such is the price demanded for my survival, the experience of the lives of those I slay, mm-hmm. no matter how foul. And then the woman who was attacked looks up at her and goes, you saved me. Thank you. And then Sling goes, or innocent. And then you just hear the woman screaming as it cuts away because Celine eats her too. Then she gets into her sexy outfit. She like pulls it off the mannequin. Mm-hmm. She summons all the Lord's Cardinal. Hopefully the mannequin was not harmed. <laughs> no mannequins were harmed in the making of this comic book. Yeah. So she's like, my dear Sebastian, earlier this evening, the Lord's Cardinal were attacked by Rachel Summers, the X-Men's young Phoenix. Mm-hmm. She meant to kill me. And Shaw says, a pity she did not succeed. (laughs) Well, they're all, you know, they're all like, oh my God, why didn't, what? They were like, what? So close. Why didn't anyone tell us? Like (laughs) Shaw is like, the X-Men don't kill. Because Celine's like, she wants to kill all of us. And Shaw's like, the X-Men don't kill. You're being ridiculous. And she goes, are you calling me a liar, Shaw? And he goes, and if I am. And then Tessa goes, Shaw, Celine. Wolverine's intervention, the fact that he inflicted a near-mortal wound (laughs) on a putative comrade, indicates that Phoenix may have broken with her teammates and become a rogue operative. And then Celine turns to Shaw and says, Heed your leman, Shaw, (laughs) as ever Tessa speaks with wisdom. And that's great because it's one of the times that leman is used, or lemon, I actually don't know how it's pronounced, is used to refer specifically to people we know are fucking. So then later when Claremont (laughs) uses it to refer to Destiny and Mystique... That's how he sneaks it past the censors. <laughs> anyway, that's when Celine flips the switch in Friedrich von Rome's genetic code. Very unclear how this is supposed oh to Oh my work. God, it's so good. Well, the whole thing is like, because Rachel's morally wounded, she's like crawling around in the park. She's like running around Central Park, like bleeding yeah. out and they're yeah. tracking her. Yeah. The X-Men are using Caliban <laughs> to try and find her. Yeah. <laughs> Celine's form of Caliban is, yes. look at this man, I will turn him into a feral dog. Like into a yeah, feral so child. Friedrich, first she dresses him in this outfit he's in like a tank top and some little like leather daddy arm bracers 
and fingerless gloves. Mm-hmm. And he's got like a little red sash that matches his little red headband. Uh-huh. It's fully crazy. He looks like he's Ryu from Street Fighter. Yeah. Shaw says, what the devil is Celine playing at with that idiot of Rome? <laughs> and Celine says, your carelessness, Friedrich, nearly caused my death. But I offer you this opportunity to atone for your transgression. The moment has come to demonstrate the hereditary talent of my high priests. <laughs> And he just bends over and goes like, ah, and like becomes a dog man. His like nails elongate. He doesn't like, he doesn't turn into a werewolf. He just like is a werewolf, but he's like the same weird old, like chubby guy with mutton chops. Yeah. He's like flying, flying her blood set. <laughs> and she it goes, and Claremont narrates, with her thoughts, Celine closes a genetic switch. And the black rook is instantly transformed to something less than human, but far deadlier than any beast. And she goes, find her blood scent. And Friedrich says, as my, as goddess-, my goddess commands. Oh, it's so good. And everyone's like, what the fuck just happened? Why is that guy running on all fours? Why is he barking? Shaw's like, what the fuck is that? Tessa, analyze, please. And she goes, most probably a specific voluntary transmutation talent akin to lycanthropy activated through some psychic interface with Celine's own power, which is great. Like Tessa, that's this is where you start to get like the sage stuff feels like a retcon because it is, but her computer brain stuff Claremont does establish pretty early on. It's so good. It's so good. And they're just like, I mean, if you saw that in real life, because <laughs> this is like going back yeah, to Celine being bad. like, well, this is going back to Celine only liking like old school magic. Right. Like new school magic. She probably like figure out like where the blood is. She was just like, no, I'm going to turn this man into a dog. I'm going to turn him into a dog. <laughs> he will run on all fours. Find me, Rachel. And find the blood scent. <laughs> the blood That's how we did it <laughs> in, in ancient Anatolia, bitch. <laughs> That's some Thessalian witch <laughs> magic right here is what that is. And it just shakes. Every, the, I think my favorite part is just everyone's reaction. to like, this is fucking crazy. They're like, we hate this, actually. And she goes, a panther is not so fast nor so strong. This night, I think Von Rohn will serve me well. And Shaw says, as you, I trust, serve me. And she just looks at him like, LOL. Actually, no. <laughs> Anyway, he does manage to track down Rachel, but... <laughs> I mean, he finds the blood scent. He, find- he finds the blood scent. <laughs> At one point, Rogue is trying to help. Nimrod comes. But then, well, first, <laughs> Celine. So Celine, right. this is so funny. So Friedrich tears Rogue's costume and her skin touches Friedrich's by accident. <laughs> yeah. He goes, oh no, his bare skin is touching mine. Oh, Immediately, Rogue absorbs von Rome's power, his memories, the totality of his psyche. And since he was Celine's slave, she becomes the same. Yeah, Your like- blood, your heart, you wretched girl, <laughs> are mine. And soon, so soon, your soul will belong to my goddess. <laughs> Also, like, what are the rules here? Excuse me. This is something that happens to Rose sometimes in the Claremont run specifically. Like, when she touches Sinister, Sinister possesses her. Like, minds that are more powerful than hers. And in this case, I guess it's Celine's mind influencing There are a lot of minds more powerful. Unfortunately for Rogue, there are a lot of minds more powerful than Rose. And that is a problem for her sort of consistently. And so... Then Rogue goes, what? And suddenly, like, she is wrapped in rock and earth that like piles up around her and you see Celine standing with her hands up in the air like ba-bang and she goes this prison of rock should hold you X-Man until the power you stole reverts to its rightful owner behold Sebastian Phoenix is ours for the taking then they fight they fight they fight and then yes Nimrod shows up (laughs) oh yeah that's when she tries to save Colossus from Celine who like 
throws him into quicksand. Also, also, kid, he's like, yo, Rogue is fucked up. She is so scary right now. <laughs> it's so good. She was like, what the fuck? It's like, what <laughs> is going on? Why is any of this happening? I hate it. It was like, why does this vampire have the power to turn my friend into a feral child? <laughs> You're like, why? Kitty sort of is like turning to Chris Claremont. Like, can you explain her powers? Can you explain what she does exactly? Because we're very confused. So the quicksand, basically, it's not... Actually, that's not Selene now that I'm thinking about it. It's Harry Leland, who's yeah. there in a terrible outfit. Not as terrible as Shaw, who is in a purple romper with <laughs> green thigh-high boots and opera gloves. Yes. I like it. It's, it's, it's campy. It's, it's festive. Festive, certainly. Harry Leland's in, like, a blue romper with a cape. So he has the power over density, so he makes Colossus sink into the earth. Yeah. Rogue's like, Peter! And jumps in to help him. <laughs> and Selene says, no, Rogue, you'll not save him. I possess absolute control over any and all inanimate objects, including my gloves. Selene's disintegrating them. I'm absorbing Peter's power. My body's turning to steel. He's become human, but Leland's still dragging him down. If I don't let go, I'll tear his arm out of its socket. So she lets go. Rogue has to end up diving beneath the earth to try and save him from suffocating. <laughs> Rachel's dying. It's all really bad. And then Nimrod shows up. And this is where the Hellfire Club and the X-Men finally make a truce. Mm -hmm. Because Tessa is like, uh, okay, this is not good. Well, no, I... I, I also think the funniest part is like the, the the we cannot stress the rogue disintegration of gloves is like it's so good, <laughs> but it's not as good as the disintegration of Friedrich von Rome, which happens shortly thereafter. Because it's, it opens with, most of these mutants are the Lord's Cardinal of the Hellfire Club, leaders of a secret cabal whose goal is world domination. Celine is their Black Queen, and she thinks Nimrod, the mechanism calls itself, after the greatest hunter in history and legend. Well, creature, Celine is a legend herself and a power to be reckoned with. <laughs> Oh, no. Friedrich von Rome is the Black Rook, transformed by Selene into a bloodlusting man-beast. This is issue 209, by the way. It fucking yeah. Rules. yeah. She is his <laughs> goddess, and he would die for her, but he'd much rather kill. Tessa has no title, but wherever Sebastian Shaw, the Black King, ruler of the Lord's Cardinal, goes, she is always at his side. And he goes, analysis, Tessa! And she starts <laughs> analyzing. <laughs> and it all goes real bad, real fast, like... Vaporized. Von Roem, yeah. yeah, Von Roem tries to fight Nimrod and li <laughs> like to defend Celine, and he is literally just vaporized. In it goes the 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 sound effect is fzatsk, which is F Z A T S Z K, and yeah. Wolverine goes cripes as it's actually there's a question mark too. It's like an interrobang, so it's like cripes. But so Friedrich gets completely disintegrated, and Nightcrawler goes the robot disintegrated him. <laughs> Which is like, yes, Kurt. We all saw that happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rachel, Rachel's still. Meanwhile, bleeding. Rachel's getting seduced. Rachel's bleeding out and runs <laughs> away and gets seduced by Spiral into the Mojo World, and we don't see her again until Excalibur. Mm -hmm. But the Nimrod stuff it goes poorly for everyone, mm -hmm. and that's when Tessa is like, "Hey, uh, Storm, the cops are coming. You want to come to our place?" And that's when sort of the truce between the X Men and the Hellfire Club starts ramping. Up. Right. Well, it's also Storm like showing off like. Because Claremont loves Storm as a leader. And it's like, yeah. and she's just like, well, this is what we're going to do. And it's like, everyone, please listen to me. Otherwise, we're yes. going to get vaporized. <laughs> you saw what happened to the barking man. <laughs> Let's get it together. And I think 
I think uh, Leland doesn't Leland get shot a little bit. He too? dies. <laughs> he he uses his power to extensively and drops dead, yeah. which is like rough, buddy. And he's never come back. He was a good guy. Hopefully, he comes back. But he was very obedient. And I think he's gonna be. He he must be in the queue. Yeah, I mean, he saves the day basically because he's just like he is. He's basically. Storm goes, hey, uh, please do something about Nimrod. And he's like, I can make him dance. <laughs> right. I can make him super dense, I guess. Right. Yeah. Also, Nimrod shoots Shaw up into space. Yeah. And they have to bring him down. And, they right? have to, and so Leland has to make Shaw super dense to bring him down instead of having him shoot off literally into outer space where he will die. The effort of pulling Shaw all the way back down to Earth like kills him. I think. Right. And me and and uh and Rogue is still going a little bit loca because she has absorbed two people at this point. Yeah, it's not it's not great. <laughs> also, like she doesn't like when she absorbs physical mutations like Peter's. So mm-hmm. yeah, she's just not having a good day. Yeah, that is unfortunately apart from like her and Emma teaming up with Magneto to try and to successfully oust Shaw from the club uh-huh. and name Magneto Gray King, who's like he's hot enough for both of us, basically. That's really all she does for the rest of the 80s. Like, she's not... This is the thing. Like, she's always around. She's super fun, but she doesn't really get to do much. And she's super powerful, but she's... It's always, like... But she's just vibing. Like, she doesn't really <laughs> yeah. want to, like, work too hard, you know? Yeah. It's like, she should be a lot scarier than she is, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things I really did like in X-Corp is, like, when she's pissed at Sarah St. John and she just, like, is like, I'm going to take you into a telepathic hellscape now. It's like, oh... Yes, this is what the character should be doing a lot more of. Like, yeah. mystical telepathic illusions that make you terrified, just beating the shit out of people. Like, she's super strong. She should just kick ass more. Yeah, but also, like, I feel like it kind of makes sense with the character. If you're uh, Right, if, she doesn't <laughs> want to. She has slaves for that. It's also, like, if you're 17,000 years old, like, how like how horny can, like, beating up people make you? Right, right. You've probably done it for 3,000 years. It's the vampire dilemma. It's the problem of immortality. She's just kind of like, okay, I'm bored is the thing. Um, Can we talk about how sometimes she's a vampire, sometimes she's not a vampire? There's a question about that, so we'll get to it. But first, I think now is a good time for the Cerebro character file on Celine. I will take you through her complete publication history from the Nova Roma arc in New Mutants up through Teeny Howard's X-Corp. And then we will return here for more with Alex Abad Santos. We'll talk about our other favorite Celine stories, and then we will answer questions from listeners like you. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. The immortal Cellini, in modern days called Celine Gallio, is an iconic X-Men villain who has never quite met her full potential as a character. Created by Chris Claremont and Sal Buscema, she is the oldest X-gene mutant known to exist, born before recorded history and subsisting on stolen life essence. Celine debuts as an antagonist for the New Mutants before menacing Rachel Summers and becoming the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. Recently returning to the title Black Priestess, which she used in her earliest appearances, Celine now serves under Monet Sancroix and Warren Worthington III as a board member of X-Corporation, the business arm of the Krakoan state. Celine debuts in 1983's New Mutants No. 9 by Chris Claremont and Sal Buscema, part of the Nova Roma story arc, in which the New Mutants stumble upon a long-lost colony of ancient Romans still thriving deep in the Amazon jungle in Brazil. Celine is first presented as the wife of Senator Marcus Domitius Gallio, a corrupt politician who aims to seize control of Nova Roma. Unbeknownst to her husband, she is also the Black Priestess, the living goddess of a Nova Roman mystery cult that sacrifices women to the volcanoes beneath the city. 
Selena's also a psychic vampire, a mutant with the ability to drain the life force from others, and this power, used on the sacrifices, has kept her young and beautiful for centuries. In this story, it's implied Selena's of ancient Inca descent, but this will never come up again, so don't worry about it. When Selene chooses young noblewoman Amara Aquila as her next sacrifice, Amara's new friends among the new mutants come to her rescue. Fascinated by the team's leader, Danny Moonstar, in whom she recognizes deep mutant power like her own, Selene threatens to turn the girl into a psychic vampire like herself. Unfortunately for the immortal, Amara's own mutant power catalyzes, giving her control over the lava around them. The new mutants overpower Selene as a group, and Hoberta de Korshta, aka Sunspot, hurls her into the volcano to her apparent death. Amara joins the team, taking the codename Magma, and the teens return to New York. Selene isn't dead, of course, this will become a theme, and decides to follow the new mutants to New York City, intrigued to see that mutant powers like her own have apparently become more common in recent years. She returns to publication in a memorable cameo in 1984's Uncanny X-Men 183, where she and the Juggernaut go on a date together, with him unaware of her identity. The Juggernaut gets into a bar fight with the X-Men, forgetting about the woman he brought with him, which, yeah, that tracks. And we only realize she was Celine at the very end of the issue. In the following issue, she senses the vast untapped power of Rachel Summers, the time-lost future daughter of Cyclops and Phoenix. Craving a taste, Celine begins stalking her, murdering Nick Damiano, a man who had taken Rachel in and given her shelter. Celine nearly overpowers and devours Rachel, but is halted by the arrival of the X-Men. A few issues later, she arrives at a jewelry store on Park Avenue owned by Friedrich von Rohm, who turns out to be the heir to a line of hereditary priests of a cult of Celine. He is eager to please, securing her resources and setting up an audition for her at the Hellfire Club, where the position of Black Queen is vacant. Selene's vast powers, both mutant and mystical, frighten Black King Sebastian Shaw and his attaché Tessa, who reluctantly gives Selene the position despite her obvious interest in taking Shaw's power for her own. Rachel and Amara, both keen on revenge against Selene, follow her to the club to destroy her, but end up placed under her psychic control and offered to Shaw as brainwashed slaves, because this is a classic Chris Claremont joint. The intervention of the X-Men frees the girls and prevents further bloodshed, and Xavier reminds Rachel that the X-Men do not kill. Selene is allowed to remain at the club unharmed, though the rest of the inner circle longs to be rid of her. Emma Frost even trains the young mutant Firestar, in the miniseries by that name, specifically in the hopes of shaping her as a weapon to use against Selene. In Uncanny X-Men 190 and 191, the ancient sorcerer Kulan Gath, who has been in suspended animation since the Hyborian Age before recorded history, casts a massive spell that transforms Manhattan into a replica of Conan times. Selene is unaffected by the spell, revealing she and Kulan Gath are ancient enemies, and she attempts to play the heroes and villains against each other so she can seize control of the spell herself. With help from Doctor Strange, the X-Men destroy the spell instead. Rachel, enraged at being manipulated by Selene again, and motivated by a recent encounter with the Beyonder, don't worry about it, once again infiltrates the Hellfire Club to murder Selene once and for all. Using her newfound power of the Phoenix, Rachel overpowers Selene, but she's stopped by Wolverine, who refuses to allow one of the X-Men to commit murder. When Rachel refuses to back down, Wolverine stabs her in the gut with his claws, mortally wounding her. Rachel flees into Central Park, pursued by the X-Men and the Inner Circle. Selene uses an ancient spell to unlock a bestial inhumanity in her priest Friedrich von Rohm. It's implied this is something Selene has bred into all her priests over the millennia. He's then able to track Rachel by blood scent. The battle between the X-Men and the Hellfire Club over Rachel is interrupted by Nimrod, a time-traveling super-sentinel robot from the future, who vaporizes von Rohm with a single laser blast. After the battle with Nimrod and Rachel's disappearance, don't worry about it, check out the Rachel episode, the club and the X-Men declare a truce when Tessa convinces Storm it's in both teams' best interest. The following year, in New Mutants 53, the New Mutants attend a gala at the Hellfire Club with their headmaster Magneto, who has recently been admitted to the Inner Circle as White King. Amara is troubled by a statue, which a club member says depicts the ancient moon goddess Selene. 
Amara insists that the original of the piece is owned by her family in Nova Roma and is a depiction of her great-great-great-grandmother. Celine casually reveals that both things are true. It depicts the goddess and Amara's ancestor, both of whom are Celine herself. At this same party, Celine admits that Amara has reason to hate her, as Celine killed her mother. Celine doesn't get up to much of import for the rest of the 80s, except for teaming up with Emma Frost and Magneto to oust Shaw from the club and seat Magneto as leader in his place. Eventually, Magneto leaves the club as well, but with Chris Claremont's departure from the franchise in 1991, this doesn't lead to many more stories for Celine. Just before that, in 1990, she pops up briefly in Mark Grunewald's Captain America, and then there's a fun Marvel Comics Presents story in 1991 where she tries and fails to seduce the Hulk. In 1993's New Warriors 31 by Fabian Niciesa and Derek Robertson, a major retcon reveals that Nova Roma was all a lie. Celine had missed ancient Rome and, feeling nostalgic, kidnapped and magically brainwashed a few thousand British people to make them believe they were ancient Romans. This retcon is very, very funny and fixes a lot of problems with Nova Roma, but will later be reversed by Chris Claremont in his run on Extreme X-Men in the early aughts, where it's established that this was a trick of Celine's and Nova Roma was real after all. Honestly, don't worry about it. Back in 1993, in Uncanny X-Men 301 by Scott Lobdell and John Romita Jr., Selina is revealed to be the secret benefactress behind the Upstarts, a group of rich sadists who kill powerful mutants for sport as part of a game between them. She started the game to eliminate her rivals in the Hellfire Club, but one of the Upstarts, Trevor Fitzroy, turns on Selene, realizing she's worth a lot of points herself. He places her into a horrific torture device called a spooler, which unravels and re-knits her body over and over on the molecular level. The following year, in Excalibur Annual No. 2 by Eric Fine and Derek Gross, Selene manipulates the sorceress Amanda Sefton, girlfriend of Excalibur member Nightcrawler, to help her escape from the spooler. She fails to force Amanda or Nightcrawler to take her place in the device, and Selene also finds that she left the spooler too early in the latest cycle, leaving her with grievous wounds that will not heal. She returns restored a year later, no doubt through lots of vampirism, in issue 7 of X-Man by Jeff Loeb and Steve Scross, a solo series about Nate Gray, Cable's equivalent from the Age of Apocalypse timeline. Do not worry about Nate Gray right now. Nate has used his vast power to resurrect Madeline Pryor, the powerful clone of Jean Gray. But Maddie came back amnesiac, and Celine takes an interest in her. She seduces Madeline into becoming her dark apprentice in sorcery, and Maddie moves into Celine's home. Meanwhile, in the pages of X-Force, now also written by Jeff Loeb, who replaces Fabian Luciesa, the subspecies of immortal mutants called the Externals, see the Cannonball episode, has been causing trouble for a long time. They're almost all slurped up by Selene, who has been revealed as one of their number, and steals their life forces to further empower herself. The only Externals left are Selene, the sorceress Kandra, and the terrifying Apocalypse, whom Selene dares not confront directly. Kandra gets killed off in another story around this time, leaving only Selene and Apocalypse, the characters who predated the concept of the Externals, alive. Back in X-Man, now written by Terry Cavanaugh, Selene has Madeline track down Trevor Fitzroy so Selene can take revenge. We don't see exactly what happens, but when we next observe them, Fitzroy loyally serves Selene. She presents Maddie and Fitzroy as candidates for the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. And while Shaw and Tessa aren't happy to see Selene again, they see the wisdom in her new plans. Unfortunately, Maddie and Shaw strike up a romance, which alarms Celine and Tessa, but this plot winds up entirely dropped after Maddie regains her memories due to Tessa's mental tampering. Celine turns back up in 1998's X-Force 75 by John Francis Moore and Adam Polina, aka the Karma's a Lesbian Issue. Attacking X-Force at the music festival Colossal Man, Celine steals some blood from Danny Moonstar, a former Valkyrie, in an effort to seize control of an Asgardian rune staff. The plan fails after Moonstar breaks Selene's concentration by manifesting her greatest fear, an ancient withered crone version of Selene with no superhuman powers. The following year, in the 1999 Fantastic Four Annual by her creator Chris Claremont and artist Jose Ladron, Selene plans to revitalize the largely defunct Hellfire Club by making it literally hellish. 
Consorting with the demon lord Blackheart, whom she installs as Black King, Selene attempts to conquer Earth with a soul-corrupting spell that turns people into demons. The Fantastic Four stop her, and with the help of some mystical allies, seal her and Blackheart in the lower levels of the club building. It doesn't seem to take, though, because she begins appearing again in X-Force, where she returns to Brazil and approaches Sunspot, who once tried to kill her in Nova Roma so long ago, in an effort to gain his assistance in battling the evil Damocles Foundation. Selene actually plans to seize Damocles' evil power for herself, obviously, but Danny Moonstar stops her once again. Furious, Selene overpowers the entire team and promises vengeance. She places most of the team in nightmares, but spares Huberto, whom she still hopes to corrupt as petty revenge against his late father, Emmanuel da Costa, who had been a rival of hers at the Hellfire Club. Sunspot resists her, rescuing his friends, but Selene makes an offer he can't refuse, the resurrection of his girlfriend, Juliana Sandoval, who was killed before he joined the New Mutants. Wanting to save Juliana, Beto agrees to become the new Black Rook and serve Selene. This plot gets dropped in the shuffle as the line relaunches around the Morrison New X-Men rebrand, so don't worry about it. Four years later, Selene returns as a minor antagonist in Chris Claremont's 2004 return to the Uncanny X-Men title, where she mostly just bothers Rachel Summers, as is her want. She has cool new shadow powers now. This plot, unfortunately, also does not really go anywhere, but in 2006, she appears in the Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost run on New X-Men, in which she seduces the runaway Xavier School student Wither after he flees the mansion amid the trauma of the decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants worldwide have been depowered. Selene is still empowered and convinces Wither, who also retains his power, that he should use his natural talents to be a predator like herself. Another three years pass before Selene gets her biggest push ever, as the primary antagonist of the 2009-2010 franchise-wide event Necrotia, spearheaded by Kyle and Yost. With the help of Eli Bard, formerly Elythus, a Roman nobleman Selene cursed with vampirism millennia ago, Selene uses a combination of black magic and the Technarch Transmode virus to begin resurrecting all the dead mutants on Earth, in an effort to consume their souls and ascend to godhood. She recruits her own inner circle of mutants with death-related powers, Wither, Mortis, Blink, and Senyaka, and travels to the ruins of Genosha, where 16 million mutants had been killed a few years earlier in the genocide launched by Cassandra Nova. Selene distracts the X-Men by sending resurrected friends and foes under her control to attack their island haven Utopia, including new mutant Doug Ramsey, aka Cypher, whom she tasks with eliminating Amara, now explicitly identified as Selene's granddaughter. She then begins reanimating all the dead mutants on Genosha, managing to find about a million souls that have not been depowered retroactively by the decimation that followed their deaths. It is in this story that we finally learn Selene's origins. Born in Europe 17,000 years ago, she manifested her parasitic mutant power from birth, and the mystics of her tribe demanded that the entire tribe, including Selene's own mother, sacrifice themselves to the newborn goddess's hunger. In the present, using a special ritual knife made from the bones of her mother, Selene completes the ritual and becomes divine, only to be immediately slain by X-Force member Warpath, who uses that same knife to destroy her. She gets better, obviously. Four years later, in 2014's X-Men 11 by Brian Wood and Chris Anka, the new Sisterhood of Mutants manages to resurrect Selene by using Asgardian sorcery on a box containing her vaporized essence. Restored to life, Selene feels no especial loyalty to her new sisters, and abandons them when Storm offers her a rain check on battling the X-Men. She pops up again in 2017 in Ed Brisson and John Malin's run on cable for a time travel plot about the externals that you truly do not need to worry about. The following year, she becomes a recurring antagonist in Tanahasi Coates' run on Captain America, becoming a U.S. government religious official after Hydra takes over the country in the event's secret empire and places supervillains in charge. She does various nefarious things, but this is not a Captain America podcast, and this was a recent book, so go read it if you want. The important thing is she eventually devours the evil alternate Nazi Captain America, which is fun. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Selene is one of many mutant villains offered amnesty for past crimes if they will swear fealty to the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. 
Data pages inform us that she and fellow vampiric mutant M-Plate have been tasked with regulating Krakoa's energy intake to keep it safe for all inhabitants, and in return are being given cruelty-free sustenance themselves. When Apocalypse slays most of the other externals, apparently permanently, to empower a mystical gate, Selene is one of two, alongside Gideon, who decide to side with him against the rest of the coven. In the 2021 miniseries X-Corp by Teeny Howard and Alberto Fichet, Selene pursues a role on the board at X-Corporation, Krakoa's corporate arm. She impresses CXO Monet Sancroix and is named to the board after rescuing Monet from the human scientist Sarah St. John. Celine's hands-on approach to corporate warfare delights Monet, who joins her in directly attacking the unscrupulous rival company Noblesse in a very hostile takeover. As X-Corp concludes, Celine is sitting pretty with a power position in the New Mutant Order, but her hunger never abates, and only time will tell how long she's content to play by the rules of others. X-Men, X-Men. I just told Alex, we're back, by the way. I just told Alex, like, I guess we should cover the upstarts. And Alex said, I don't really care about the upstarts. And I said, nobody does. I don't really care. I know Celine was in some, like, Avengers stuff. I don't care about that. There's a fun, like, Ron Lim page where she's, like, rubbing up on Captain America. And I'm like, same. And then later, in Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America, she gets to eat the evil Captain America, which she clearly enjoys very much. She finds Nazis tacky, which I think is a fun thing about Celine. She's just like, you're all food. Being racist is dumb, <laughs> which I think is like a fun character beat. She's like, I'm 70. Because also like that, again, goes back to in the ancient world, if you're as old as Celine, like mm-hmm. the modern concept of race would be super irrelevant to you. Yeah. It would it, like you would care about whether someone was foreign or of your culture. Mm-hmm. But since Celine is from like before culture, yeah. like she was born to a wandering tribe in like caveman times. Mm-hmm. She's just sort of like, who can show me a good time? <laughs> you know, as I said in the Candy Southern episode, Celine's a hoot and a half. She just wants to have fun. She wants a theme party. She wants you to come. She's like, you have to dress as a Zodiac sign or something. Like, she's yeah. that person. She has a party. You have to dress as your favorite character from Friends. And yeah. like, everyone's like, you watch Friends? She's like, I was so bored. I binged it all in like two days. <laughs> she also is like, yeah, it's very much like, she just wants, she's just here for like some cool costumes, a really good time and to suck some life. Right, and she probably would be into, like, I actually, I bet the Nazis were disappointed to her because, yeah, <laughs> not for the reasons that other people would be disappointed in the Nazis. I feel like she probably looked at them and was just like, these uniforms are great. <laughs> but this whole goal is stupid, unfortunately. She's like, what is this all about? I liked in X-Court when she basically said to Fenris, like, this is the stupidest, like, motive. Like, this kind of, like, white supremacist. Not- it's so dumb. Like, who cares? Like, you are just <laughs> right. as much an ant to me as any other human being. So yeah, she- <laughs> maybe get over yourself, basically. <laughs> yeah, she was basically like, yeah, like, like you mean nothing. And that's why I think Genesis might have been pals with her back in the day. I feel like Apocalypse was just like, I hate Celine. She's powerful. She's part of my coven. But like, I do not want her coming over for lunch. <laughs> and Genesis was like, I don't know. She's fun. She- you know, and Iska's just like, I mean, you know, Europeans are a little weird, but she does, she does have great outfits. She is serving looks all the time. Whenever X-Corp pops up next in whatever book and Celine has a cameo or a larger role or whatever, I want like fetish wear office style. Like I want like a PVC blazer. I want like, you know, I want like a necktie, but it is like a collar with it. Like I want the whole thing to yeah. be. Like, well, like, a, like a shirtless tuxedo almost. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Or like, like a skirt suit, but it's backless. Like I just want drama you know what i mean anyway after claremont leaves the celine plots of the 90s are kind of 
week, and we're just going to power through those because, as we were just saying, no one cares about the upstarts. <laughs> Celine starts the upstarts because she's sick of all of the other inner circle people trying to kill her <laughs> and decides she's going to kill them. So the upstarts are a bunch of rich, bored people who she gets together in a contest to see who can kill the most members of the inner circle of the Hellfire Club, specifically. <laughs> so Shinobi Shaw mm -hmm. apparently kills his father. That gets retconned later and Shaw comes back. But at first, it seems like Sebastian's dead. And Trevor Fitzroy tries to kill Emma. He ends up leaving her in a coma, uh -huh. but he does kill all of the Hellions, which is the most famous upstart story. Right. Then, however, Fitzroy decides, actually, I could get more points if I kill Celine. So he captures Celine, and this is the, the this is the upstarts thing I remember because it's really upsetting. And I had this issue as a kid. I mm -hmm. bought it at like the pharmacy or whatever. It's Uncanny X-Men 301. Mm -hmm. Fitzroy puts her in a device he calls a spooler, where her flesh basically starts slicing off in ribbons and like floating around in this tank that she's trapped in. But because she's immortal, she keeps like healing and then it just like unspools her flesh again. Mm -hmm. And it's truly horrific. She goes, By the gods of Ebon, Fitzroy, the moment I'm free, I will. And he says, I'm afraid you'll expire long before you're free, Celine. The Black Queen gone, the way of the rest of the Hellfire Club's inner circle. Truth, the only reason you're still alive is because I need your pain and suffering. Your honest reaction to this unique form of torture to get the attention of the Games Master. So it's all like their stupid game, which yeah. Games Master then continues to run without Celine because he's just like, I love my game. We're just going to keep doing it. And that's mm -hmm. when like Young Hunt happens and all of that. Nonsense. Celine ends up in the Excalibur Annual, which this story is kind of fun. She uses her like mystical influence to force Amanda Sefton and Nightcrawler to come save her. Mm -hmm. Her plan is to put Nightcrawler in the torture device instead to like <laughs> be like, LOL X-Men, <laughs> fuck you again. But Amanda and Kurt escape and Celine, it turns out, has left the spooler too early in the process. Like she needed to wait until it spooled her. <laughs> So her wounds won't heal and she's all fucked up. And she pops up next in X-Man, which you don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. I do like her stuff in X-Man, though, because it's before the Maddie plot goes insane. Mm -hmm. Basically, Madeline Pryor's been resurrected by Nate Gray. We'll get into that in a Nate Gray episode one day that mm -hmm. will truly test the bounds of my sanity. Right. Maddie's back to life, but she's amnesiac. And so Celine reaches out to her because much like Rachel, Celine can feel Maddie's connection to like the higher power of presumably the Phoenix, right? Right. She takes Madeline in as her apprentice and starts teaching her dark sorcery and brings her to the Hellfire Club. But first, she has Madeline prove herself by tracking down Trevor Fitzroy, which she does. And then Celine walks up to Fitzroy, who is, like, all tied up or whatever. Mutant mistress of deception, deathless, vampire of the night, and once reigning black queen of the infamous Hellfire Club itself, mother of all who prey on the living and the dead. Indeed, Fitzroy, the very woman you watched unravel, quite literally, over and over again, <laughs> before literally. your very eyes, an immortal left to an eternity of mortal agony, much as I relish the irony of witnessing, from fear, of course, the eventual betrayal of your own mutant powers, your long, slow recovery was torture for us both. Vengeance is a grand and glorious first offering, Lady Madeline with so much more still to offer. And she leans close and grabs his face, and he goes, no, 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 no! 
screams tonight. We just see a streetlight. So she does something truly horrendous to him that we never see. But then in the next issue, he's fine. And it turns <laughs> out that now he's working for her, which is this is what Celine does. She's just like, I'm sorry. Did you think that you got one over on me? Because <laughs> I have a long game that I'm playing. I can wait, honey. Yeah. That's extremely her jam. This is many years <laughs> later at this point in publication history. This is like now the late 90s, right? Yeah. So she puts forth Madeline and Fitzroy as Black Rook and White Rook to Sebastian Shaw, who's back now. What she doesn't anticipate, and this I don't love, is that Madeline and Shaw are attracted to each other and start fucking. And so then <laughs> Celine reaches out to Fitzroy and to Tessa, who's also not thrilled. Tessa hates Celine, but is more troubled by what's going on here. <laughs> And is like, we got to deal with this. But then the plot never goes anywhere because the writer changes. And that's mm -hmm. all that happens there. So like, this is the thing. The problem with Selena, she has all this stuff going on. Like also in the mid 90s, she kills all of the other externals. Like this is how she gets her power back after the spooler. Right. Is that she shows up in X-Force and she goes, X-Force, <laughs> my quarrel is not with you today. Leave now while you can. This is a private matter. While she is draining all of the externals of their life force because Jeff Loeb was like, let's get rid of this plot because it sucks and killed them all off besides Candra and Apocalypse. Refer to the Cannonball episode if you want to know more about the externals. <laughs> they do not make any sense. Teeny Howard has somewhat salvaged the concept in Excalibur by explaining that they're like a mutant circuit, like one of the first sort of mutant magic coven circuits right. that Apocalypse and Selene set up. Like they finally have a context now that makes any kind of sense. But what you need to know about the externals, basically, as established in the 90s, is that when they die for the first time, they come back to life, and then they are immortal and cannot be killed. And a lot of the 90s is spent, like, backstabbing and them killing each other and trying right. to figure out who kill who's killing each other. Because it turns out they can only kill each other, maybe, because Celine certainly kills all of them. But then they all later will show up again in other stories, so, like, it's not really important. Right. But they're all dying of the legacy virus and Celine just like slurps them all up. <laughs> yeah. Except for Kandra, who dies in another story, so don't worry about her. And then yeah. of course comes back again. They always come back. It's also like if anyone was like, okay, well, all these immortal beings are dying mysteriously. I wonder who's probably <laughs> doing oh, that. It's either Celine or Apocalypse. Like no one else is doing that, right? Like that's what they do. Gideon does it for like a tiny bit, I think. But Gideon is more frequently <laughs> just like futzing with mortals. You know what I mean? Like he's because he's trying to figure out who the eleventh external is. Which, by the way, we never find out. <laughs> I like to think it's Dazzler, and that's why Dazzler kept coming back to life for that brief period in the aughts. Right. But don't worry about it. truly, truly yeah, don't worry about. They're it. just messy. They love to kill each other. They love for a long time, and then they made, yeah they made a gate. <laughs> so that plot goes nowhere and nobody uses Celine to do anything until Chris Claremont is writing the Fantastic Four, mm -hmm. which is also where like Roma and Saturnine are involved. <laughs> like he uses an alternate reality, Alisand Stewart. It's just like Chris Claremont's gonna write whatever the fuck he wants to write, even if he's writing Fantastic Four. But in the 1999 Fantastic Four annual, Celine is now fucking Blackheart, son of Mephisto, famous <laughs> character from the Marvel versus Capcom franchise. Yes. An amazing character. Yeah, love him. Gay icon, created by Annie Nascenti. Mm -hmm. He and Selene are fucking. She has decided, I'm going to make the Hellfire Club really hellish. He's going to be my <laughs> Black King. We're going to rule over all. They kidnap the son of Satan, Damon Hellstrom, and try to kill Margali Sardish because, of course, Claremont cannot help but fit these characters in wherever he wants them. Mm -hmm. None of this matters, so don't worry about it. After that, 
After that, she pops up in X-Force. She tries to seduce Beto into joining her in the Hellfire Club. He does. It doesn't matter. Go to the Beto episode. One thing that it's important to note is that Fabian Niciesa retcons Nova Roma in the 90s and declares, and this is very, very funny. The retcon is, because they're trying to figure out how to explain Nova Roma, and the retcon turns out to be, Celine just missed ancient Rome. She was like, you know? You know what was great? You know what was great? Ancient Rome. I had a great time. I was serving looks. I was uh-huh. doing witchcraft. I was watching Bloodsport in the arena. I miss ancient Rome. So she kidnapped a couple thousand British people and sorcerously brainwashed them into believing they were ancient Roman citizens and established Nova Roma for funsies as essentially an ongoing theme party. Yeah. I mean, that's camp. That's Celine. That that's is, camp. That I love that. that. I actually love that retcon. <laughs> and it is where the Alison Cressmere retcon of Magma happens. When Claremont returns a decade later for Extreme X-Men, he unretcons it. He just goes, oh, no, that's a lie that Celine made up to fuck with Magma. And it's not true. Because Claremont really cares about Magma actually being an ancient Roman noblewoman. So... <laughs> You know, but there was a solid decade there where Celine literally just had tricked everyone into participating in her LARP. Just decided to have an, like, it was like the village. (laughs) It literally was the village by M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Bryce Dallas Howard is magma. (laughs) Celine did it better. That's basically it. Celine's not an important character, really, for a long time. She pops up again in Claremont Reload to fuck with Rachel which is fun, but it doesn't go anywhere particularly. She has new fun shadow powers. Claremont makes her literally like become a shadow being, like a Dark Force character, which is fun mm-hmm. because it's, again, just an outgrowth of like, she's always just popping up from shadows. But the big, big <laughs> bang. Ookie, ookie, ookie. The big, big bang storyline that she gets and the biggest storyline she's really ever had is 2009 to 2010's Necrotia, a crossover centered around X-Force, the Kyost X-Force, Kylan Yost. Mm-hmm which is the first Black Ops iteration of X-Force. It's like the new, it's the X-Force we know now that's not the New Mutants mm-hmm. graduated to paramilitary from the 90s. I call them the Wolf x <laughs> It is just like, because it's literally just Wolverine, X-23, Hepzibah, who's like a cat now. Wolfsbane? For no reason. Wolfsbane. Mm-hmm. And then they add Warpath, who's not a wolf, but you know. Mm-hmm. He's pointy. They're very pointy. He has knives. Like, they're all very sharp. sharp. Archangel ends up joining them, like, with, you know, razor wings. Like, they're just, they're always, they're cutting people's heads off. They're ripping people open. Not until later. That's Remender. But yeah, no, but she has a sword. Like, it's a very, it's the Vanisher. It's Vanisher, right? Vanisher, yes. Yes. An elixir. An elixir gives Vanisher a brain tumor that's inoperable (laughs) to force him to work with them. Right. They like threaten him because he's like, I can make the tumor accelerate if you don't do what we want and you have to stay with us or I'll never cure it and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's the X-Force that everyone, the, a lot of boys tend it's to It's an love. extreme <laughs> book. Like talk about extreme X-Men. Like this is the extreme X-Men. So Necrotia is a storyline that builds over time. Basically, there's this new mutants character, the, like not the classic new mutants that people care about, the new new mutants who will eventually become Academy X. There's this character, Wither, who sad boy sad soft boy. yeah truly sad the saddest soft boy ever he has basically rogue's power but worse and so he when he touches things they decay any organic matter that he touches begins to decay into dust not his teammate dust the student (laughs) i mean like ashes basically so 
After M Day, when shit goes real pear shaped for those kids, the bus explodes, etc. We've mm-hmm. talked about this. It makes me sad because Wallflower is one of my favorite characters. I love that for you. I didn't know that. <laughs> Wallflower, I love Wallflower. Maybe I'll summon you back for a Wallflower. Who doesn't love? Okay, it's like it's she is like gay guy catnip. She is like. She wants she wants to be pretty. She has pheromones. The pheromones make her hot. She just wants to be popular. That's all she wants. She doesn't want to be a super X man. She just wants to be popular. She and hot. just wants to be popular. She just wants followers on the gram. I get that. <laughs> yeah, she wants to I be an, an influencer. She wants to yeah. be an influencer. It's true. And she's a cutie pie, and she is the love interest of Elixir and Wither, the sad boy. Yeah, there's a love triangle, right? Mm -hmm. Except, like, honestly, it feels very dating Polaris is gay to me. Like, (laughs) I do think that it feels like it's an Elixir and Wither tension going on, right? Right. That, like, Wallflower is just kind of the... She's she's the conduit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway... When M-Day hits, before the bus explodes, when M-Day hits and all of these kids have been depowered, Wither assumes he's been depowered and is overjoyed and grabs Lori Wallflower to celebrate and withers her arm into like a zombie skeleton (laughs) arm. And she screams and screams and screams and screams and screams. Pretty horrible. He is devastated by this. Again, everyone's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Maybe check on like an apple before you touch a person. (laughs) touch before you touch like a person you like (laughs) yeah like maybe just test it on something else first so he is devastated and runs away from the mansion and he encounters a weird old lady (laughs) on a park bench who's just like hey cutie like actually at first she's like normal she's not like sexy time at first Uh but it gets real weird real fast they're like squatting homeless together and then (laughs) Suddenly she like encourages him to kill people and he gets into it. And then she turns into Celine and starts making out with him. And he's like, this is the best thing ever because she, with the use of her, whatever Mm -hmm. magic is not decayed by his touch. So they start doing, and people are like, wow, a lot of teenagers having sex with adults in this book. And yes, (laughs) that is true. However, just to be clear, Celine is evil. So I don't think we're supposed to see this as like a good development he's also probably 18 he, so it's yeah. like he, he ran he runs away like yeah he's he's gone for a bit now like the age gap between seventeen thousand and eighteen <laughs> is obviously problematic but you know but she gets turned on by his power because it's just like she thinks it's cool that he can just touch people and kill them she likes powers that kill people it's sort of it's similar to her power where she touches people and sucks their soul out mm-hmm. but she's like cool hot into it yeah also i can manipulate you into a soldier in my army also part of the theme goes with the theme it goes with the theme because the theme of Necrotia. So Necrotia's whole, the whole idea behind Necrotia is Celine wants to become a god. She's sick and tired of all of this. Oh, we worship you as a goddess shit. She's like, no, 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 no. I would like to literally be a deity. So she has spent some time figuring out how one could do this. This is where we first get her very, very ancient backstory mm-hmm. where we see that as an infant. Right. 17,000 years ago in 15,000 BC. (laughs) As an infant, she was born the first known mutant to this tribe in Central Europe, it says. But I think that Central Europe, it describes a broad area. I think it should more be like Southern Europe. I think it should be like Turkey, Greece, like Anatolia kind of area. Because she's using the Greek name Selene in Rome, which suggests to me she was in Greece first, right? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I haven't said it yet in this podcast. I've said it in earlier episodes. It should be pronounced (laughs) Selene. But I think in America, she probably just says Celine. <laughs> okay. 
It's like Celine Dion calls herself <laughs> Celine Dion when she's in America. Yeah. Like, I think similarly, Cellini Gallio is... Celine. Domitia Cellini, more <laughs> properly, is just Celine Gallio because it's easier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Irene is supposed to be pronounced Irene, but nobody says that. They say Irene. Like, we don't do that in English, right? Mm-hmm. Irene Adler, initially, Destiny was called Irene Adler in the first issues with, like, an accent. Mm-hmm. And then Claremont dropped that because <laughs> no one was saying it that way, right? So anyway... Celine has decided she's going to become a god. She can do that by absorbing at least a million mutant souls in one nosh. Like, she just needs to chomp them all down at once, and she needs a very specific object, which is a knife. And that's where we get her backstory, because when she was an infant and her power had been manifested from birth, and she was just absorbing life force by touching people, (laughs) the priests of her tribe ordered everyone in the tribe to sacrifice their lives to this new goddess. And she drained them all, including her mother, and was just like a feral infant, I guess. (laughs) That's where she learned how to zap that man into a feral child. Yes. (laughs) This knife, this ritual knife that she needs, is made from her mother's bones. And is theoretically the only weapon that can kill her. But it's also the focusing agent that she needs to make this spell work. Which that's like a classic comic book problem, right? It's like, if you had just left well enough alone, Celine, nobody would be able to kill you. But since you're insisting on becoming a god, you went and got the one weapon that can kill you. So, you know, good work, I guess. Yeah. So she sends to get it (laughs) Eli Bard, ultimate simp. The most pathetic character (laughs) maybe ever appearing in a Marvel comic. The simpiest of all the simps. Eli Bard was a nobleman in ancient Rome named Eliphas. And the first time that Selene wanted to do this little gimmick, she was going to devour all the souls in Rome. And she seduced Eliphas and was like, you need to paint all these sigils around Rome because then I can just activate them and just like suck everybody down in one go. (laughs) (laughs) Like an oyster shooter. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And he was like, cool, I'm into it. You're so fucking hot. Like, I'm in. And this is after, like, he got cucked by this other Roman guy. His Uh, wife, like, kicked him out. Like, you're disgusting and you can't please me sexually. And, like, (laughs) this whole thing. So then he come when he comes across this beautiful goddess who seduces him, he's like, okay, sure. Like, I'll kill them all. Whatever. It's cool. But then he sees this little girl. He's like, this child will die. He feels bad about it. And so he tells the child, like, get your family and get out tonight because something bad is going to happen here in Rome. And the little girl tells her father, who tells the authorities, the authorities capture Eliphas and Celine, tie them up to burn them at the stake. Celine wakes up because she was like having a nap, I guess. And is just like, wow, I asked you to do one <laughs> fucking thing. She's like, I can't believe this goes sideways. How can I fucking punish you? So she kills everybody because like, you thought you were going to set me on fire. We were going to have a Celine flambe. That's not (laughs) happening, baby. So she kills them all. And then she turns Eliphas into a vampire (laughs) using some kind of sorcery and then says to him, you're immortal now and I reject you. You will never see me again. (laughs) Suffer. (laughs) Suffer for the rest of time. And then he gets like buried alive and eventually he claws his way up into like the house that used to be his house, but it's hundreds of years later. And he realizes that his wife and the guy she was having an affair with have had this whole like family that has been going (laughs) on now for centuries. And he just like eats them all. 
Yeah, like literal vampire, not a psychic vampire. <laughs> he's like a vampire vampire. Like yeah. he's ripping throats. He's drinking blood. Anyway, he then spends thousands of years trying to find her mm-hmm. and eventually does like locate her in Nova Roma, but can't get into Nova Roma. But he's just like, he's just simping on the sidelines for literally thousands of years. And when they find each other again, she's like, well, I suppose you could try to make yourself useful. <laughs> before that, she assembles her death team, right? Yes. And before, yes. <laughs> Basically, so... For the theme party. Yeah. Well, she she finds him first. Yeah. So what happens is... She's like, make yourself useful. <laughs> yeah. So he decides he's going to sacrifice a couple thousand of the purifiers to like empower her, to impress her because he was afraid to approach her in Nova Roma because she was like, never speak to me again. I just want you to suffer. Mm-hmm. While she was in Nova Roma, he was like trying to figure out ways to make her happy. But he then witnessed the technarchy warlocks people Mm -hmm. and how the transmode virus can be used to resurrect the dead like for example candy southern go back to the candy southern episode so he decides to resurrect this apache tribe that he had murdered which is (laughs) complicated don't worry about it we'll get into this in a warpath episode at some point he also resurrects caliban Mm -hmm. who had died in messiah complex then he gives Caliban to Selene as a gift and is like, this guy is a mutant who can track other mutants so he can find all of the power you need. And she's like, hmm, well, all right. You can come back to my side, but like, you can't fuck me. Just FYI, it's not happening. <laughs> Eli's like, it's okay, I love you. I'll just like, I'm just gonna hang out. Is that cool? Like, I'm just gonna <laughs> So then she travels the globe gathering her own inner circle, they are all people with, like, death touch, basically. And it's a very funny crew. So first it's Wither, who we see her, like, seducing over the course of those New Mutant stories. Mm-hmm. Then she gets Senyaka, who's an acolyte that you don't have to worry about, but he has, like... Death whips. Vampiric whips that can, like, <laughs> suck your soul out. Mortis, who is Dazzler's sister. This is a real fucking deep pull. Mm-hmm. She is a character from the Dazzler solo series. Go back to the Dazzler episode... She has literally just a death touch. She touches you and you die. That's her power. Mm -hmm. And she has this like asshole abusive dad who Celine basically like tricks her into murdering. And then she's like, actually, I love murder. And Celine's (laughs) like, yes, I know. Let's do that. Your name is Mortis. Well, Celine names her that. Yeah, she's just Lois before that. But (laughs) she's like, yeah, you're made like you. This is what you were meant to do: is kill people, and I'm going to help you do more of it. And then, truly, just to fuck with Emma. This is one of my favorite things that anyone's ever done. Just to fuck with Emma is Celine gets on a cruise ship. Or something like, like, like I guess a, a, just a, a, a cargo ship. Yeah. But she, she and Eliphas go into the middle of the fucking sea to the place in like the spatial whatever where she can feel the essence of Blink. Clarice Ferguson. <laughs> this is not Age of Apocalypse Blink, who becomes one of the exiles. This is six sixteen Blink, who died in Phalanx Covenant, sacrificing herself to save Emma and all of the Gen X kids by blinking the phalanx harvester out of existence but in doing so also like disintegrated herself celine just sort of stands around on the boat and is like (laughs) hmm oh no you're right you're right she's not actually dead and pulls her out 
of the air and reconstitutes her molecules and Blink just starts like screaming and screaming and screaming because the implication is she has just been like experiencing constant agony as like a discorporated series of molecules ever since Phalanx Covenant, which in publication years was like 14 years earlier. Which is amazing because like in the whole panel, it's just like she's the whole panel, she's like, hmm, like she's like she's like licking her thumb, feeling the wind. <laughs> she's just like, hmm. I sense that that child that Emma failed to save is here somewhere. And she's like, yoop. <laughs> and like Wither notably is also one of Emma's students. So this is yeah. all just very much like, remember that time that you killed that pony? Try and get that girl to kill me. Well, guess what, bitch? It's time to pay the piper. So Blink is the last recruit. It is kind of a loose interpretation that Blink is teleportation death. Yeah, because she's like, you teleport things by just like you, you, you discorporate matter by like teleporting it apart or whatever. So, you know. Okay. Well, the theme. It's a reach. It's a reach. But here's the thing about Celine. She will make you fit the theme. If she has a theme that she has figured out, everyone has to accommodate the theme. So she's like, well, she's a teleporter, but like, can you kill people by touching them in a sort of symbolic way? Yeah. Okay, that fits. We'll take it. The whips aren't really the same thing either, but she's like, it's fine. Yeah. And I I think I appreciate that she's a little bit of a bimbo like that because it's just like, isn't all, aren't a lot of mutant powers almost death that you can make them a little bit? Like if you squint a little, it's a little deathy, like... It's a reach, but like, yeah, she could absolutely have like recruited Storm and been like, you can electrocute people by touching them. Like she just, it's like a death touch thing is the theme. The theme is death touch. Talk amongst yourselves. Figure out how you can fit the theme. She's like, she's like, I'm leaving the room for 10 minutes. That's why Caliban doesn't get a cute little outfit. He doesn't get to be part of the club because he doesn't have a death touch power. He's just tracking stuff. Then she has truly, again, this is just like, hmm. What would make Emma really, really mad at me specifically in a way that would be funny? And so she decides, because like Caliban's like, hmm, I have a thought. Guess what smells a lot like mutant souls? Oh, uh, the ruins of Genosha, where 16 million of them were recently genocided by Cassandra Nova. Right. Celine goes to Genosha and they use the transmode virus and evil sorcery combined together to resurrect... The entire population of Genosha, like over time, it takes a minute, but she also starts resurrecting every mutant that's ever died in X-Men comic, which is the (laughs) hook of Necrotia is that like they come back as like, like zombies, basically. Yeah, but like they're, they, they're not really zombies because they're like, they have like circuitry on, like they sometimes when they're fighting or like they're hurt, you can see like the technarch lines and stuff on their face, but otherwise they look like themselves, Mm -hmm. which leads to a great, like, I don't love the actual X-Force issues in Necrotia, but the tie-ins are really good. Like mm-hmm. the X-Men Legacy story that Carrie does where they fight Proteus on Muir Island is really good. Right. The New Mutants arc that Zeb Wells does with the Hellions is great. Right. The Hellion stuff that happens in the main book is not great because Emma just like flips out. She's too upset to fight. She goes crazy to see her lost students. It's like, shut up. Yeah. But Celine also resurrects Destiny and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, who are both precognitive and has them like advising her and they're both like miserable and it's it's cool. Mm-hmm. She sends Sink and Skin to go after Emma also. Like she's just real mean and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> and like, you know, they send Thunderbird after Warpath. It's very much like, and what was weird is, and this is a coincidence as far as I know, Blackest Night was happening at DC around the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was just this very weird thing where both companies were having an event where like people's dead friends and loved ones are attacking them. Like, like, like 
there's a little bit of like shit posting that goes on with Celine. Like Celine, Celine <laughs> is little... absolutely shit posting all the time. That's why it's so funny in X Corp when she's just like shit posting. Like Celine in X Corp is just walking around like, what would be funny? What could I do that would be hilarious to me specifically? Like, yeah. That's really all that she's interested in doing, and that's what I like. It's like when you are seventeen thousand the people around you are like insects. Like not only are you 17,000, but from birth, your mutant power has meant that you are a parasite who must kill to survive. Mm -hmm. And like the first person you ate was like, the first people (laughs) you ate were your mother and your entire tribe. We only do things that are funny now because otherwise I'm bored. What what, what is going to top that? (laughs) Right, exactly. Like we got to just, we got to yuck it up because otherwise I don't know why I'm here. I put on a whalebone corset and these little panties. I'm walking around. I got a great cape on. Yeah. What are we doing now? And I will say, in Necrotia, she has the greatest little outfit. It's like a one piece, but it's got these cutouts. And she has a necklace that looks like it's like a million black pearls, like arranged into like sort of, it looks like kind of blood. It's so cool. She looks great. Uh, her hair is slicked back sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. And she's just vibing, like truly. She's yeah. just having a ball. Yeah, she's in her, what is it, peak era? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like with Celine, I enjoy the camp. I enjoy the camp of Necrotia, even though I think some of it is accidental. Necrotia's kind of bad, <laughs> but it's fun to read because it's stupid in exactly the way that a Celine story should be a little stupid. <laughs> yeah. Her plan, by the way, is to resurrect all of the people who died on Genosha and then eat them all simultaneously using the ritual that she tried to do with Elifus in ancient Rome to just suck them all down at once. Right. And become a goddess. Right. Which will make her ascend to divinity because she will have absorbed so much life force that she becomes like a mystical deity of some kind. Mm -hmm. X-Force, the Black Ops team, is trying to stop her. There are, in addition to the tie-ins, which are good, there are some great backup stories in this that are collected in the Necrotia trade where we see her recruiting each of her, like, minions. Mm -hmm. And they're all really good. Like, I really like those. The one where she recruits Mortis is really great, I think. Yeah. Necrotia is just like kind of ridiculous. She sends everyone. This is when the X-Men are on Utopia because it's like we're decimated now. So Mm. this is the other thing, though, like because of the decimation, Necrotia does actually feel high stakes because like several characters do die. And you're like, we've only got 198 mutants. So like Diamond Lil going thud is actually like a big loss. Whereas in a regular story that was not during the decimation era, like who cares about Diamond Lil dying? Not to be rude, like Alpha Flight fans, but she's not like a super important character. Also, the campiest thing that happens anywhere in Necrotia is Diamond Lil rushing into battle, Mortis tapping her, and she just falls <laughs> to the ground dead with a big thud sound effect, which is iconic. <laughs> but Wither makes Onyx explode. Onyx is a character that Milligan had introduced in the Fox arc of his run on X-Men as one of Bling's friends. Onyx is a character that Kyle Neos noted we absolutely hated. So they killed him off really quickly (laughs) in this arc. Wither makes him explode because he's like just a rock person. That makes Elixir freak out, though, and kill Wither. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the end of that arc and Wither is now back on Krakoa and I feel like like we saw him at the reunion of all the Academy X kids and I feel like I mean I get that we're doing amnesty but I do sort of feel like all of his friends might have some words for him yeah rather than like let's go to the party but I don't know yeah not my business yeah well it's they all kind of like set up like their own little like uh the one-on-ones (laughs) the one-on-ones at the very end of Necrotia where they're just like wow you guys are being bitches (laughs) 
Oh, I forgot to mention. This is the other thing. I forgot to mention this. So she's like, all right, where's the knife, Elisa? I need that ritual knife. (laughs) He's like, I'll be right back. And then he pulls Blink aside and he's like, hey, so I actually lost that when I was fighting on the reservation. So we need to go back and get it. And uh, can you do that with me? And just like, don't tell her. And Blink is like, like, hmm, okay. And then grabs him and teleports back into Celine's throne room. And he's like, wait, 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 what's going on? And Blink's like, hey, he lost the knife and tried to get me not to tell you. And he wanted me to just go get it myself. So... Okay, how do you feel about Blink snitching? (laughs) I love it, actually. I think it's so funny. She's, like, really traumatized and fucked up in this story. So, like, I, I, you know, she was barely a character who'd been developed. I think that Abnett and Lanning then do a lot of work to, like, try and fix her in their run on New Mutants after the Zeb Wells run. I just don't think 616 Blink is particularly interesting, and I wish that we could do, like, a Moondragon-style thing and just, like, merge her and Age of Apocalypse Blink into one character. I feel like that should be doable. Okay. Because that's the Blink everybody cares about, is the one who was on Exiles for, like, a million years, right? That's my favorite Blink. Yeah. But anyway, Eliphas lost Eli Bard. He lost the knife when he was fighting. So so when he resurrects the Apache that he had slaughtered upon his arrival in the New World to test the transmode virus, he angers their animal gods. And the animal gods start to fight him. And he creates a demon bear, which is a fun kind of moment, like callback to the classic New Mutant story. Mm-hmm. But he loses the knife. So then when he goes to get the knife, Blink snitches. Mm-hmm. But it's after, like, so <laughs> Blink snitches and it turns out the X-Men have the dagger. So Elifus goes and like... Basically, she's just like, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job, which was to get me this knife. Literally all of eternity. <laughs> like literally all of fucking eternity. And this is all I've really ever asked of you after <laughs> the fuck up in Rome. So this is disappointing, <laughs> frankly. I don't like that you're not satisfying my request. (laughs) They all go to Utopia to get the dagger from the X-Men and they manage to get it. And then Selene immediately turns around and just stabs him with it. And he disintegrates the dashes, which is great. He's like, oh my God. She's like, bye. So (laughs) that's funny. Well, it's like, I think it's very like never, if you're a Selene slave, Whatever you do, do not make her do it herself. Because Don't make her do it herself. She She hates that. I, it doesn't matter if you go missing for like a few years. Like, sh- just do not make her do it herself. She fully hates that. She fully hates that. So then she uses the dagger to like devour a million mutant souls, basically, because the X Men and the X Force are encroaching and they kill Senyaka and whatever. So she's just like, all right, let's just get this show on the road. She starts sucking down all the mutant souls. Right. And she grows to huge size. <laughs> there is an iconic panel. Where you just see Celine's giant god ass. <laughs> it's just like a gigantic, luminous, Wait, this, gleaming ass. Is this after before every wizard in, on the planet starts feeling like her ass? <laughs> Basically, like, Celine's mystical Brazilian butt lift is so profound right. that all the mystics and sages and warlocks and wizards around the world experience the agony of her ascension. <laughs> yeah, they all get they all get migraines. <laughs> yes, she starts to grow and grow and grow like one of those weird pieces of fetish art on DeviantArt. And 
her ass is just like the whole panel and it's Warpath <laughs> sneaks in. Here's so here's how it's resolved. We'll get into this in a Warpath episode at some point. Warpath talks to his brother Thunderbird and determines that the way to sneak into Celine's sanctum without being seen is to do the Apache ghost dance. So he paints all of his white friends on X-Force with war paint and they do the ghost dance. <laughs> uh, moving on. Yikes. They get into Celine's throne room. Celine is now just a giant ass as far as we can know. Like you see her face. She's like, ah! But, like, there's this great panel where Warpath's behind her, and you just see, I think it's Warpath that's behind her, and you just see, like, the bedonk <laughs> celestial. Like, truly, she has become one with the cosmos, and the cosmos is now in her glue. She's also blue. She's turned blue. Her little black thong is just, like, wedged between two <laughs> gigantic, colossal blue cheeks. And then Warpath stabs her with the dagger, and it kills her. She explodes into a million yeah. beams of light or whatever. And it is supposedly the end of Celine. It ends in Necrotia. Everybody goes back to the grave, except for Cypher. This is the fun part of the Zabwell's New Mutants thing. This is, again, like much like she's just trolling Emma for most of this story, she resurrects Doug Ramsey specifically so that she can give him a crowbar and have him go <laughs> beat Magma to death with a crowbar. <laughs> and so and like drag her I think, by like, her hair <laughs> by her hair and i think it's like beto like rounds the corner and just sees like doug clutch like pulling amara by the hair she's like bleeding from her skull and he's just holding a crowbar and he's like what the fuck is this what's going on and they're all like doug and doug's like yes i am i serve celine and it's like this whole fucking thing literally she's just like so, my flop granddaughter's still at it. I'm going to send her friend specifically to kill her. Mm. Petty. I just like that you could be 17,000 and that petty. I mean, if you aren't petty at 17,000 years old, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, like, what else is left for you besides, like, just pranks, basically? Like, again, <laughs> yeah. it's a shitpost. She's like, I'm just LOLing over here. I mean, she's probably, if, if Celine had Twitter... She like when she's getting killed, she's being like, LMAO, not this. Not not me being killed by <laughs> Not a, me being killed by a dagger made of the bones of my own mother. Not, not my killed, giant ass exploding. Not me being killed by a ghost dance. Not oh. an appropriate of ghost dance sneaking through my <laughs> mystical senses. With like crying emoji. Not Truly. The, not the crying like, emoji, the weeping one. Because Celine, this is the thing. Like when you recruit like the youths, like Wither, we're in a sliding time scale now. So I'm sure like he taught her how to use like TikTok. Because right? <laughs> yeah. like Wither's bored. He can't touch organic stuff. So he's probably on his phone all the time. Yeah. She was like, LMAO, not this. <laughs> LMAO, not this. <laughs> not me being killed. LMAO. Explodes. That's the end of that story. And then she comes back later in Brian Woods running the X-Men, but you truly don't need to worry about this at all. The Sisterhood of Mutants resurrects. Is it Sisterhood 2 or Sisterhood it's 1? It's the sec it's not the original Sisterhood. Yeah. It's which truly <laughs> we revisit the Ladies Mastermind episode if you want. Right. This Sisterhood, which does not feature a single Lady Mastermind, which I think is a significant oversight in any group calling a itself mistake. a sisterhood. A mistake. Big mistake. Huge. They're working for Archaea. Do not worry about it. Who mm. is John Sublime's ancient bacterial sister? <laughs> this character sucks. Will never appear again. Don't worry about it. But anyway, it's the all-female X-Men team. Archaea resurrects Madeline Pryor and Celine to like join her sisterhood. Well, they use I mean they use what what, what you call it? 
um, Amora? Is it Amora? Amora the Enchantress. And they're just... Yeah, she, like, does magic and stuff. And, like, it's, like, the vapors of Selene. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it turns out that when Selene's giant god ass exploded, her, like, essence... <laughs> her essence just, like, continued to exist as weird mystical vapor, and it's in a box. So they go find the box, <laughs> yeah. and they resurrect Selene. So even the, you know, the dagger did a really good job, but even then, she's an external. You can't really kill her. So They get the vapors of Selene. They get her back. And the funniest thing is, so they resurrect Selene and Maddie, and it's like they're on the cover. It's this whole thing. But what actually happens in the story is they walk in. Storm and Rachel Summers, they're like, oh, my God, you resurrected Selene and Madeline. And then Storm looks at them, and she's like, listen, we're just here to fight Arkea. (laughs) But if you guys just leave right now, we can do this later. And Madeline and Celine just look at each other and they're like, we don't really like Arkea. She's kind of annoying. So they leave. They're like, this girl sucks. So they leave. And that's it until Celine shows up in Ta-Nehisi Coates' Captain America. It was fun to see her outside the world of the X-Men because she is the kind of threat who should be like Doctor Doom style, like mm. bothering everybody. Oh, yeah. But I... Oh, wait, wait. But Doctor Doom was one of the people. Well, when Celine was getting her goddess, he was like when Celine was getting the "Ah, BBL. My head, right? Yeah, keeled over, like while her cheeks were inflating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! It's cool to see her like fighting the Avengers and stuff. Like that's cool to see because she should be like menacing lots of people. But it's during Secret Empire when Hydra has conquered the country and she becomes the like faith director of the United States and is posing as like a, as an evangelical Christian. I don't think it super works. I like Ta-Nehisi Coates's work and I like that he's such an X-Men fan that he was like, he could not stop himself from making Celine a major antagonist <laughs> of his Captain America run and the adversary a major antagonist of his Black Panther run. Like he just wants to write the X-Men and I love that about him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it does end with her being like, Nazis are dumb, actually, and eating Hydra Captain America, which I think is great. Then she pops up on Krakoa. Because Coates' book was delayed a lot, people were like, she did this after the Krakoa amnesty. And it's like, truly don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just going to assume she did this. Then she showed up and was like, I'm taking the amnesty now. We talked about it earlier, but now <laughs> I'm going to do it. It's established in data pages and stuff that Celine and M-Plate have been tasked with making sure Krakoa only takes a tiny bit of life force from everyone who lives on the island, a small enough amount that they replenish it naturally, and so Krakoa is no longer a parasite. Mm -hmm. The assumption is that they're also figuring out how to do that themselves so that they can snack without killing people because they do accept the amnesty, and that's when eventually she pivots into X-Corp, which we've already talked about. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think Celine in particular, if you are looking for good Celine content, it is great Celine content. Mm-hmm. So I recommend it. She shows up for a little bit in the uh, zom- plants versus zombies thing, right? Yeah, she pops up with the telepath team <laughs> when they come to Empire X-Men. It's actually like, she looks really cool. It's a beautiful like Lucas Vernack splash page where yeah. she's just gorgeous. And you're just like, hey, what's up? Hey, there she is. <laughs> there she is, boys. There she is, girls. It's Celine. It's like, you forgot about me, Celine. Forgot. <laughs> I just want to know, like, I want to see the X-Corp parties. Like, we've seen the Hellfire Gala, but I want to see Celine's theme parties that she is throwing <laughs> at X-Corp headquarters. Yeah, I want to know what theme she's made up. Like, I feel like Celine's scope is kind of limited when it comes to themes. 
But I, I, I mean, she does them well. Skulls, leather, <laughs> fucking death. death, ancient Rome. Yes, ancient Rome. Witchcraft. She has like very specific themes. Yeah. Bondage. <laughs> Lots of bondage. Sluts in bondage. <laughs> Skeletons maybe in bondage. Like she might truss up a skeleton in like a festive. Ancient Roman sluts in bondage. Ancient Roman sluts in bondage. <laughs> Feeding her their life force. It's kind of the vibe, you right. know? And frankly, I love that for her. I think here's the thing. If you know what you like, I have the same Chinese food order every time because right. I love that order. I want that. I don't want to try other stuff. I want the thing that I know I love. Mm -hmm. And Celine knows what she likes. She's a picky eater. And that's all she you know, wants to do. You and her are picky eaters. It's true. We are. <laughs> you only want the best. I will say she's not that picky though because she did like suck down that rapist in Central Park that one time. Yeah. It was just like, that was gross, but I needed a fix. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't been to like a bodega at? And bought something really <laughs> bad for you because you're just so hungry and it's the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. no, I get that. And then you I just look that. at yourself and you're like, well, this is the sacrifice I make. <laughs> <sighs> well, and she followed it up by eating the victim who was completely innocent. So it was like, okay, well... That's a thought she palate cleanser. She really thought she was like going to make it. Yeah, she was like, oh my God, a superhero just saved me. And it was like, <laughs> oh no, hon, that's not, that's not what just happened that's here. That's not what's happening. I am just looking at the Necrotia splash page where she becomes a god briefly. And she's just like floating around. And it says, Celine is risen. And there's nothing they could do to stop it. But more importantly, the speech bubble coming out of her <laughs> just says, ha 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 with two exclamation points. It's great. It's a great page. I love that for her. I love an evil haha. -ha. I want more Emma and Celine. Like I want I do too. I, want, I need it. I feel like they would What's weird is like they have this rivalry that we're told about all the time, yeah. but we haven't actually seen them on panels together very much. <laughs> or they they just need like a panel where they just talk about like, hey, remember when I tried to kill you via Firestar. <laughs> Remember when I killed all your students? Like you should just now that everybody's back from the dead. <laughs> yeah. They should just like yuck it up about it. They should yeah. have a laugh. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, what are you going to do? And she's like, have you met the mastermind sisters? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I need, well, because Celine's now hanging out with their dad. Right. So I need like an Auntie Celine and the mastermind sisters. Moment, <laughs> frankly. I'm your new mom. I'm your new mom. <laughs> I actually like, okay. Mastermind is creepy. And He's creepy, but you know, yeah. On X Corp, it's kind of, it's fun. I like them together. It was very fun. I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that the thing with Mastermind is he is one of the original members of the Brotherhood. That character is going to be around. Mm -hmm. There is that story in the 90s where he's dying of the legacy virus and he apologizes to Jean and she forgives him. Mm -hmm. And I think if Jean has forgiven him, we as readers probably need to like, let it go a little bit because that character is going to be around and I think we need to like mm -hmm. find a way to be okay with that I guess you know what I mean yeah yeah. but yeah. because his crimes are much more real I've talked about this a lot on the show like Celine eats people that's funny <laughs> mastermind like uses illusions to like sexually ensnare people that's not funny not and funny. so like it's a little bit more yeah. unpleasant but like Celine's bondage is funny it's funny, like, his is not, right? So I think that it was smart to, like, they don't have him doing any of that yeah. in the Krakoa era. In Hellions, he's just, like, this funny asshole, and that was great. Mm -hmm. 
and then X-Corp just kind of continues that characterization somewhat. And I think that like making him just like a funny asshole rather than a really creepy asshole is probably the best way to go. And helping with the cause too. Yeah, yeah. I do want to note this is there was nowhere else I could think of to slot this in, but there is this mini Doctor Doom and the Masters of Evil back in 2009 written by Paul Tobin. And in that, Celine implies that Pompeii was her. <laughs> I mean, who, who's to say? <laughs> she hated Pompeii, and so she arranged for Vesuvius to explode and kill them all because she was just like, I hate Pompeii. <laughs> and I think that's really funny. She's just, <laughs> she's just like, you know what? I hate that part in New Jersey. Can we get rid of it, please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I'm just done with... It's basically like Pompeii was like the Hamptons of Rome. Yeah. And clearly she like went to a bad party there and was just like, I'm out. And you know what? We need to restart this whole thing over. We're going to send some lava. <laughs> I mean, she's very into lava, right? Like in Nova Roma, she was all about volcano stuff. So, you know, yeah. why not? No, it's like... If you've ever played a Sim and done bad things to your Sims, you're basically Celine. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I, that's why I find it easy to not sympathize with her, but I guess to understand her because it's like, to her, we literally are insignificant. Like, mm -hmm. the span of her life is so vast. Yeah. We're like mosquitoes. Like, she can't conceive of us as important. Yeah. But she tries. Like she says to Rachel, everyone I kill and eat, I honor their mm -hmm. memories because I have them. And think of how many people she's done that. To. Like Rogue is always complaining about like absorbing psyches. Celine does it like for food weekly. Yeah. And Celine <laughs> has like a Rolodex memory. I hope. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I would love to see more funny moments of that. Of being like, oh, you know who would have loved this? <laughs> Janice, who I ate back in Yeah, exactly. You know who would have loved this? Uh, <laughs> You know, would have loved Lucius Marcus would have loved this. <laughs> I ate him in 250 AD. You know who is a big Dune fan? <laughs> <laughs> Cindy. I ate her back in the 80s. Yeah. I'm going to go to that movie and I'm going to think about Cindy because Cindy really would have loved this film. Cindy would have loved Zendaya. <laughs> yeah. Great casting. She like refers, she's like, Cindy, she like consults the like echoes of Cindy in her mind. She's like, what do you think of this casting? And she's like, I feel like casting Timmy Chalamet as Oscar Isaac's son is a little weird, but otherwise, solid cast. Well, I think now is a good time for us to get into the listener questions. Zach Wilson writes, hey, Connor and Alex, I'm writing this exceedingly early, but I just started listening to the Charles episode and I learned that I can finally get all the answers I crave about Celine, everyone's favorite immortal psychic cavewoman, goth vampire, black queen who has what? <laughs> two good stories? Three if we're counting X-Corp? Whatever. I love her. She's an icon. That's exactly right. Yes. So the theory of evolution is portrayed in the comic books doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And that's fine. That's not why we read it. However, if I recall correctly, Celine is old as balls, perhaps <laughs> older. If we were trying to make sense of Marvel Comics evolution, could she be the common ancestor from which all mutants come? Is she? <laughs> that could be a fun story, ignoring Aaron's shenanigans with the prehistoric X-Men or whatever. Speaking of her age, why does Celine go around letting old Ensaba Nur claim to be the first mutant when she predates him by how many millennia? <laughs> okay, now her powers, and specifically her immortality, because Celine has whatever powers are needed for the plot and that's totally fine so she's got to eat people to live typical vampire stuff but then i read in one of your tweets that the only way she can actually be killed is by a bone dagger made of her mama's <laughs> bones why does she have to eat people then all right that's it sorry about the length of the rambles i'm just very excited for celine thanks again for all of your hard work have a great day zach there are three questions there and we'll hit them all so is celine the common ancestor of all mutants honestly logically 
she has to be. If like, you know, all white people on earth today are descended from Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. So like, I think Celine's <laughs> DNA must be in there somewhere, right? Yeah. Like, you know what though? She would be so disappointed in all her grandchildren. I know. <laughs> like, Magma's close enough to her that she takes it personally. Yeah. But she's probably generally just like, Ugh, all of you? She's probably like, she probably, you know what? She probably is. She would never admit it. <laughs> She'd probably be like, here's what I would, I would be into if it turns out that after Genesis left for Ammonth, that Celine and Apocalypse had a kid, and that's where all the Kaba nonsense comes from. Mm -hmm. Like that would be fun. <laughs> and you know that Apocalypse would just be like, "We were drunk. <laughs> I was missing my wife. It was a mistake. Pe she only pegged me for like a little bit." She oh, he would. I think he's. <laughs> have you seen his wife? He's into that survival of the fittest, baby. I know, but his story would be it only happened for a little bit. Just a little bit. As for why she lets him claim to be the first, here's the thing about Celine. She doesn't like to brag unless she's going to kill you. Like, if she's going to kill you, she's going to be like, since time immemorial, mankind has feared the hunger of Celine. But generally speaking, she just like is going to show up to the Hellfire Club with a fake ID and be like, I'm Celine Gallio. I'm a business lady. Yeah. And like, let you think what you want to think, you know? She's also old enough that titles don't, like, that does not matter to her. She's just, she doesn't care that much. <laughs> she's just like, she knows he's wrong, and that probably is amusing to her. It's a lot like all the yeah. Kulan Gath stuff, where you're just like, LOL, Kulan Gath, forgot about <laughs> me, yeah. you know? Basically, like, it's like also she loves being forgotten, because she can pop up and be like, Exactly, Remember? out of a shadow. That's her favorite thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. So she doesn't favorite. really want to brag, because she just wants you to worship her sort of discreetly, and then when she's in the mood, she'll pop out of whatever amusement park she's created in a jungle somewhere and then be like hey me again just kidding just kidding the other thing is it's established in the 90s when she kills all the other externals that the reason she doesn't go after apocalypse is because she's scared of him because he is more powerful than her in some ways mm -hmm. i think that's part of it also is she's like you know what let's not rock the boat i'm good over here also it's reminding me of that time uh in the i think it's excalibur yeah in the excalibur that we're talking about like when 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 they're sacrificing all the externals to turn into yes. gay, she goes, I only eat the young people. You guys are so old and dying. Yeah. <laughs> I like when Apocalypse explains, like, so it's time for us to sacrifice some of our fellows, like, to make this gate. And a bunch of the externals, the ones who get turned to the gate, are like, what? No! And then Selene and Gideon immediately, like, great idea, let's do it. And are, like, just on his team immediately. They're like, Selene, why funny would me. you do this to us? And she's like, you guys She's like, old. I've done this, like, four times already. <laughs> she's like, they've eaten me so many times. Also, like, you know she hates Kandra. There's no way those two get along. <laughs> no, she absolutely hates Kandra. She's just like, oh, Kandra. <laughs> that fucking jewel, it's so tacky. <laughs> yeah, she's like, and Celine loves a big red jewel, but that one, she's just like, mm. it's like, I don't live in them. I put them on my cape as a clasp. It's like a brooch. Yeah, I don't get this whole, I live in a ruby thing. That's stupid. I'm laughing too hard. Okay. So why does she have to eat people if she can't be killed? And the answer is because she doesn't have eternal youth. And she would. Here's the thing that's interesting. So all the externals do seem to have eternal youth. Like, they are ageless. Mm -hmm. Except, like, some of them, like Saul, are old. But it's, like, they stay at the age that they were when they died and resurrected. Mm -hmm. That's, they're, like, frozen like that. It's like vampires, right? Right. However, the black magic that Celine uses ages her rapidly. So she has to eat people to 
stay hot. Right. But also, it's a source of power. Like, it's what empowers her sorcery. It's what empowers her generally. I think that she would go into, like, Vampire the Masquerade-style torpor if she, like, didn't eat people regularly. Like, she has to stay juiced up. Right. Like, it's very... It's also, I think, some of the writers' faults. Yeah, people don't really understand how her power works or don't look it up. And you know what? Like, that's fine. Because yeah. it doesn't really ever get explained properly. So it's Well, like, it's also, like, very cloudy in the beginning. And you're just like, what parts, yeah. what parts of her are mutant? Well, and we still don't really know. Like, what are her mutant... It's not like Megan that way, where it's like, what are her mutant powers and what's, like, what's in the, Megan's yeah. case, fairy magic, but in this case, like, evil hyborian sorcery i just pantomime like you, it's hard to pare down like where one stops and the other one starts and you're just like and some and i think a lot of the it's a little bit confusing when it, when you're re- when you're reading something and you're just like i don't know what <laughs> is this right an and it's like you could call power? chris claremont and ask but <laughs> i do not have three hours <laughs> well and nobody who's writing chris claremont's characters really wants to call him an ass no. because he would prefer that you not be writing his characters no so, he does yeah. not want that no he does not enjoy that nope. he does not want to chat about it no harini marchati writes hello connor and alex so excited to hear your discussion on celine i love the emma frost episode and the ladies mastermind episode is my comfort episode for when i'm feeling anxious and in need of a laugh my question has to do with the metaphorical and thematic implications of Celine. One common interpretation of vampires is their metaphors for labor exploitation and the general threat of the aristocracy to the working class. Celine, as a soul vampire who, from my understanding, is literal nobility, seems to fit this metaphor very well. Have writers ever played into this angle with Celine? If not, do you think that would be an interesting angle for the character going forward? Thanks, Harini. I think that's definitely the subtext to the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club period, is like she's literally in this elite financial institution secret society eyes wide shut style and also is a vampire but mm-hmm. one thing i think is interesting is that as she's initially presented in claremont's story in nova roma she's nobility because she married into it she is implied to be foreign she refers to her husband as roman meaning mm-hmm. that she's not and the implication in that story is that she's Inca, right? But when we get the broader story of her whole life, and particularly once we get to Necrotia and Kyle and Yost give her the tribal backstory that mm-hmm. she gets, she's actually a character that predates the concept of nobility, right? And has found a way to claw herself into it each and every time. So I think that in part, what she represents is the desire to subjugate others. You know what I mean? Like the desire to Mm -hmm. hunt and to be a predator. And so she naturally finds herself rising to the top of predatory societies. Right. And it's also like twisted into that is that whole dom thing yeah (laughs) like it's she doesn't want to just dom you sexually she wants to top you spiritually culturally (laughs) financially like yeah all of it yes yeah she is she is the total top yeah of them all she's chris claremont's darkest desire given ancient flesh and i think that's beautiful Mm mm-hmm Jesse Adkins writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. I was recently reading the Nova Roma arc of the original New Mutants book, and I was wondering if anyone had ever brought up Celine's supposedly Inca origins again. Was that just a dropped plot thread, or did they later explain it away by saying that Celine was lying? I know she's canonically much older than the Inca, but it seemed like too specific a detail to completely drop. Thanks, as always, Jesse. So, yeah, it's literally just never mentioned again because 
it no longer serves the plot once she's out of Nova Roma. Also, it's very possible that someone said to Claremont, hey, Chris, the Incas are on the west side of South America. And he just was like, oops. You know, like, I don't know. But it never comes up again. And we now know that she was lying. I mean, it's don't you think it's funny that, like, this whole character is basically, like, <laughs> just be like, you know what? She was fucking lying. <laughs> yeah, which, like, slightly problematic to claim to be indigenous when you're not, Sween. <laughs> more problematic than like slurping up people though i mean if you're slurping no up people, like that's the thing is if we're sort of weighing like all of the things selena's <laughs> done over the millennia i'm not sure that it ranks that high it's still you know not ideal but i do think that what's interesting about it is like first of all her name suggests foreignness like she has a greek name but they're in rome right mm-hmm. so like there is already that which is reminiscent of figures like Olympias, the mother of Alexander the Great, who was like Macedonian and married. Mm-hmm. There is this idea of like the foreign wife. It's really, it really all goes back to Jason and Medea. Selena the Nova Remark is very Medea. We know that Claremont loves the classics. Inferno and Maddie Pryor as the Goblin Queen is peak Medea. Mm-hmm. But the idea of this greco-roman leader has a foreign wife who does black magic is jason and medea like that's very classic (laughs) yeah so i think that that since it's set in south america it was like okay well she'll be native to south america when that changed and nova roma was no longer the focus of celine's story it makes a ton of sense the way that kyle and yost frame her as being basically from like Turkey or Greece or one of those places, but before any of these civilizations existed. So Mm -hmm. she is foreign because as we've mentioned earlier in this episode, and this is why I think she thinks Nazis are stupid, the conception of race in the ancient world was much more about nationality and much less about physical appearance or anything like that. So Celine is foreign because she existed before Rome and Greece ever existed at all, even if she's from the same area. So she kind of sets herself apart no matter what culture she's in. When she's in America, she's always emphasizing like, I am ancient from the ancient world of the past. (laughs) Like, because she, I mean, it's true, but she also wants to feel sort of exotic and mysterious because she knows that that is something that appeals to the kind of men who want to be her footstools. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really all she's looking for, is a footstool she can magically turn into a dog person. Yes, a barking, feral dog person who can sniff out blood scents. Exactly. Listen, sometimes... (laughs) Get you a man who can do both. (laughs) Run a jewelry store on Park Avenue and get you a great penthouse apartment and become a feral slavering dog monster who runs after blood scents. Yeah. You want both. Poor Eli Bard. Poor Eli Bard. Poor Friedrich von Rome. She loves... She loves it. She truly, truly loves that. And frankly, I love it for her, but it sucks for them. Mm -hmm. Sam Guido writes, Dear Connor and Alex, I really want to like Celine. She's a mutant vampire who's older than Apocalypse. That's a fundamentally cool concept. However, in my opinion, she hasn't had very many good stories. I think she suffers from being tied to Nova Roma, which is a very dumb X-Men location. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed her inclusion in X-Corp and thought the agriculture jokes helped distinguish her from other Claremont BDSM-themed villainesses. Why do you think it's been hard for writers to make this character work? What stories would you like to see her in in the future? Love the podcast in the Discord. The Ladies Mastermind episode is one of my favorites, and I'm looking forward to another chaotic gay (laughs) So, (laughs) what do you think about that? 
I mean, I, I we, we we talked about it uh, together. Yeah, remember when we when we I was saying like yeah, like when we were going over our readings, we were just like yeah, you know what? Like she, I like her, and I think it's a fun concept. But I think like she's kind of like misused and a kind of like it's kind of like if it's camp, it's always it seems almost accidental sometimes, and it's just like you wish that you would just lean into like almost like a ladies' mastermind type thing, like just. Let them be dumb and silly. And like, go be. for it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, again, what I thought X-Corp did that was really perfect with Selene was just lean into all of the dumbest, funniest, best things about Selene, which is <laughs> yeah. that she's 17,000 years old and a bitch and a dominatrix. <laughs> like, that's all you really need, right? Right. Like, and she's probably... She has Embrace so it, because that's fun. Right. All she wants to do is tell you stories about <laughs> 4,000 BC. Like, that's fun. Like, imagine, like, all this, like, what we were talking about this earlier, about, like, how, like, when she absorbs someone's life, she has all their memories. Like Right. Her- <laughs> and so now she has millions of people in her head. She could just pull them up and be like, it would be really great if she sat down at the Green Lagoon with Rachel at one point and was just like, hey, Rachel. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about Nick Damiano's first love? And Rachel's just like, you fucking bitch. And it's just like, she just starts recounting like Nick Damiano's gap year in London after college. Yeah. I mean, just, it is a very, there's a lot of rich stuff that can happen there with a very funny character. I think a lot of the problem is maybe they don't see the the inherent humor of this character. It's like, I want to know about her midlife crises. I want to know, like, right. when she got bored with what civilization. I want to like, know about, like, the century she went blonde for a change and looked horrible. <laughs> I just think, like... Like, I want to know what happened in Babylon. What was she doing in Babylon? What Did was she, she doing? Was she, she at the <laughs> tower? Did she watch them? But she was like, that's a mistake. Somebody's going to get pissed. Was she at? I want to know like what her conversations with Lot's wife were. Like <laughs> she was just like she was like, babe, you gotta turn around. You gotta, you gotta turn, turn around. around. If you look, you, like I, I'm promising you, you won't turn into a pillar. That was a total joke. He's just kidding. Just do it. Just look, I'm looking right now, and it's fine. Just do it. Just do it. Come on. Just a second. Just one second. Turn around. Oops. Oh, oh pillar oh, of salt. Oh. oh. Sorry, babe. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Wanted to test it. You know she was at Gamora. She was definitely at Gamora. Oh, Celine was the hostess with the most test in Gamora. Obviously. Yeah, she threw uh, she threw a theme party for the angels. A she rager. Was, she she was, the Nephilim were just like chilling out. <laughs> she, she had quaaludes. <laughs> she Before, <laughs> yes. Millennia in advance of quaaludes, she had mystically synthesized them. I bet... Like, I want to talk to her about every moment in human history. It's like, so, Hammurabi, <laughs> making a code. What did you think about that? Writing laws down, that was new. Did you really think they should be codified? You more into an oral tradition of law? <laughs> I want her to just be really annoyed with her scribe, which is what she calls her secretary. Mm-hmm. I want her to do poppers with, like, Socrates. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but she needs, like, I, th- I feel like in Congo, she needs to be like, this reminds me of the time I hung out with X, Y, and Z. Yeah, she needs to be name dropping constantly. <laughs> she needs yes. to be like Jamila Jamel on The Good Place, <laughs> but with people who've been dead for thousands of years. Yeah. Absolutely. Cleopatra? More like Cleopatra. And everybody's like, Celine. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. We don't body shame anymore. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm old. 
I'm getting used to all you Gen Z kids and your political correctness. I also want Celine to learn Instagram. Celine is already a baddie on Instagram. I think. <laughs> I think Celine is like Kyle Richards on Instagram, where it's like super hot in a bra and panties tagging Drake, but like she has a fedora on. And so it's like just a little off. You're like, what's with the fedora? And it's like, well, you know, Kyle's mm-hmm. trying to be hip with the kids. She saw a fedora somewhere. Love that yes. for her. Looks incredible. Body is snatched. She is like the sexy aunt that always rolls in. And yes. Like, she has, has like- very drunk aunt at the wedding vibes at the Hellfire Gala in particular when she's bothering Warren. It's yeah. very like he is the groom's friend and the groom's aunt is hammered. Is right. very much the vibe. Yeah. More of that, please, because I feel like yeah. there's there's so much potential with this character. And like we said, I, I think we talked about it earlier. It was just like, have her just fucking shoot the shit with Emma and just be like, <laughs> be like, isn't it funny this X, Y, Z? And it was or just like have her all make the fun times of- they tried to kill each other. Like, just make it funny. Just go for it. Or like, I would even love her in magic. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what I really want, I think that she should take Apocalypse's seat on the Quiet Council. <laughs> Krakoa would be gone. Can you like, imagine? Like, just... weeks, like, can you imagine Apocalypse coming back and everything's like on fire? <laughs> you seated <laughs> Celine? <laughs> They're like, well, she, I mean, we needed someone old. That was what that seat was for. And she's really fucking old. And he's like, yeah, have you noticed that every empire she rules has crumbled into dust or been buried under the oceans or has gone up in a fiery inferno? Oh, yeah, because she's not good at this. <laughs> Terrible. Celine's like, could Krakoa make a volcano? <laughs> just curious, because I would love to throw occasionally, okay, just once, and we can bring them back right after, move them up the queue. But if I could throw a virgin into the volcano every three months, that would be great for me personally. An amazing running joke would be her throwing magma into the volcano. Over and over. Over and over. Just like popping in. That could be like a bonding experience for them. Like maybe they're, you know. I also feel like Celine's daughter, who is magma's mother, probably was a mutant, right? Mm. What if Cerebro picked her up? (laughs) <laughs> deep in Nova Roma and like we just resurrect like Agrippina who's Amara's mother and she starts causing problems for Celine who she hates it could be like very Lindsay Bluth mm-hmm. and Lucille or um what you call it or it could be very hacks with uh could also be very hacks could also be very like Janice and Livia on the Sopranos I'm imagining now it's like I'm imagining <laughs> Celine in a Vegas show. Celine would have the most <laughs> elaborate cabaret. And honestly, actually, Celine should like guest host Cirque du Soleil <laughs> for like a bondage themed Cirque du Soleil. Yes, absolutely. I bet in universe in 616, she has actually done that. It's like, and Celine Gallio, socialite. <laughs> That's another thing. I think she needs to be a celebrity. Mm hmm. Like, in the same way that Monet and Warren are celebrities because they're, like, mutant socialites, especially now that she's on the X-Corp board, I think that Celine should just be, like, on the cover of Vogue. <laughs> yes. Like, she was already a famous socialite in the Hellfire Club. I mean, the Hellfire Club is very influential, is what we're supposed to understand. Right. Emma's super famous because of the Hellfire Club. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder who Celine's celebrity friends would be. Celine and Wendy Deng. Celine and Wendy <laughs> Deng are like best friends. Or would she just constantly be dropping like, oh, this one time. Celine is <laughs> constantly pictured on the Riviera with Naomi Campbell. <laughs> it's like a very specific social circle of like European and British ladies. Yes. I could also see her being like, <laughs> she's like, you know what? The real feud was me and Betty Davis. <laughs> Listen, I just want all of it. Like, every period of history. Like, she's just like, Hildegard of Bingen? What a fucking uptight bitch. Absolutely. Live a little, Hildegard. Hilly, come on. <laughs> that kind of veered into Candy Southern voice. But that's the other thing. I mean, I said in the Candy Southern episode that I think she would find Celine to be a hoot and a half. That's what I want. Like, I want Celine to be hobnobbing with the other society ladies. I just think mm. that would be super funny. Or also just, like, gossiping about Rachel. With Emma or with sure anyone. with anybody <laughs> with, with anybody. I mean, I'd love to... with Serge. <laughs> she just like oh what's god, your name? what's your name, Serge? Okay. Do you want to hear something about that fucking <laughs> rent free? Rent free. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you kids say? Rent free. Rent free. You want to hear all about this fucking <laughs> loser I pwned once? And everyone's like, we don't say pwned anymore, Celine. <laughs> Like, she's a total noob. Thinks she's the phoenix. He's like, that's not, it's not, that's not slang. Celine tries to stay on top of the trends, though. Like, she's always very, she's, like, on TikTok. She's, like, perusing hashtags. Mm. She, like, walked into the Hellfire Gala and, like, hoisted her boobs in her skin-tight catsuit and went, it's giving. <laughs> Mastermind looked at her and was like, what? And she was like, never mind. Who, wait, wait, wait. Who is Celine DMing on Instagram? Lisa Rinna. <laughs> which which men is Celine? Men. Oh, men. um, Celine is one of those people who just tags. <laughs> like <laughs> she'll just she just like is in the reply. You know how Lindsay Lohan just kind of is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Will be like under a a thing. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of what Celine does. But it's a combo. It's like well, one thing is Celine is all up in Kristen Stewart's DMs. I'm just gonna throw <laughs> that out right away. Does Kristen Stewart even have Instagram? Probably not. She doesn't seem like the type. <laughs> Selena's DMing fake Kristen Stewart. Selena's DMing a Kristen Stewart catfish account. <laughs> but in terms of men, do you think she's like DMing Timmy Chalamet? If we look at Wither, uh -huh. actually, she spent a lot of time trying to seduce Beto in the 90s, Sunspot. Yeah. She was all up on that. So I feel like maybe she's in a lot of like. I think Shawn Mendes. Yeah, oh! I think she saw... He's she Portuguese saw, even! That's perfect! <laughs> she saw, the, and he's 6'2". And like a little gay vibing. A, I'm not saying he is. Yes. God but, love you, Sean. I don't know anything about you and your personal life. I'm just saying, you vibe a little bit. You know you do. You've said this in interviews. And Celine is into that. She also saw the giving share meme. Her ears perked up. <laughs> She's like, I'm giving share all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's like, I That's all I do share. is give share. <laughs> That's all she does. Now I'm dying to see her in like that Mackie outfit from the Oscars. <laughs> Something like that with like a foofy headpiece. Yes. Why haven't we seen Celine in a big headdress? I can't remember ever seeing that. And it feels like a real oversight. We need, like, a fascinator. X-Men writers and artists, if you are listening. If you are listening, hire us for Giant Size X-Men Celine, which obviously would be a banger of a one-shot. 
You'll get the gay readership up 99%. Celine is a gay icon. and She, she is. Be. No, she, she literally is a gay icon. She, she is like Cher. She's one of those gay icons where it's like old gays are always trying to explain to like Gen <laughs> Z gays why they matter. And then like the Gen Z gays see something and they go, oh no, I get it now. It's like how the Judy Garland trolley song is a meme right now. Yeah, yeah. The best Sam Corbett said. <laughs> If you think about it, the trolley song was the vroom vroom of its time. <laughs> right. That made yeah. me laugh out loud. <laughs> but that's the thing is like all of these Gen Z kids on TikTok are like, okay, wait, no, Judy was fabulous. We get it now. And I'm like, thank you. We were just trying yeah. to explain. So I feel like Selena's one of those. Selena's definitely one of those. Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to think of like who's a young little gay character that should be like, oh my God, it's Selena. <laughs> uh, uh, hindsight and morph. Those little twinks. <laughs> They should be all about Celine. Right. But they would need like a, they would need North Star to explain Celine. Yes, no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like North Star explains Celine to them and then they're all in. Yeah. Hindsight has like K-pop hair. Like he would be into a diva. <laughs> well, no, it's like they're all at like a party, at, like the pool. At the, at the, the Green zombie. Lagoon, I guess, you know? Like the Green Lagoon, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there's this very like in that huge splash where we see everyone at the Green Lagoon, the Joshua uh-huh. Kasari did next for us. Celine is leaving with strong guy. <laughs> of course. Which is very funny to think about. <laughs> so I guess maybe she likes little beautiful twinks like Wither and Shawn Mendes and Bado, but also is into a big muscle man on occasion. That's very Roman of her. You know, like you want a beautiful youth and you also want a gladiator. Yes. I feel like Celine would have like a Jay Courtney looking henchman who just sort of follows her everywhere in very, very little clothing and carries her around on like a litter, you know? <laughs> I like that. I like that um, Jay Courtney cut. I listen, Jay Courtney, the bootleg Hemsworth. Oh, don't say that. I say that with love. I think he's so hot. Listen, I like sometimes an off brand moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want a Stoli, not a yes. Belvedere. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you don't need like the ultra smooth tequila. Like, you no, want it to it's like I want it to hurt a little bit. <laughs> and that's sort of Celine's whole deal, right? You know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, no, like she got so horny when she was just like, "Wow, Rachel could obliterate me." Rachel could kill me right now. (laughs) Wow, my nipples are so hard. This is really weird, but I like it. Oh, wow. (laughs) The phoenix has set my pussy aflame. Like, that's the vibe. She's just, like, so horned up for Fire and Life Incarnate. If the phoenix came back again, and we just forgot about what it did. Don't worry about it. Wouldn't it be funny if the phoenix was just like, oh, Celine's a host? Mm, I'm going to try that for a little bit. <laughs> oh, Celine, as the, that actually would be, that's, here's the thing, that should never happen in 616, but it would be a great what if for you and I to write. Because it wouldn't end well. The Phoenix would just be shivering and shuddering. <laughs> like, it would just leave. Phoenix found dead. So, <laughs> to get back to your question, Sam. Uh, <laughs> So I looked over a lot of Celine's publication history before this episode, just to refresh. Celine has nine Zaladanes, which is a lot of appearances, but most of them 
could basically be described by saying, and Celine was also there. Like she's in a group shot of the Hellfire Club or she's like around. Mm -hmm. I think that quite honestly, she is like pure Claremont. She's like the focus totality of Chris Claremont's libido. And I think that his personal interest in like bondage, humiliation, psychic control, mental invasion soul drinking and sharing and weird soul stuff and ancient goddesses with more power than anyone, Mm -hmm. certainly any man on the planet. I think she just felt very much like his character. I think it's a lot like what happens to Storm, actually, which is that no one post Claremont is quite sure what to do with these characters that were such perfect avatars for Chris Claremont's interests in the genre i'm joking around about the kinky stuff because it's a Celine episode but it's not just like in a prurient way like he also is just really into these themes of hyper powerful women who can't quite be explained who are somewhat supernatural who terrify but also enthrall the men around them Celine, i really do think is like the ultimate claremont villain and in the 90s which was a much more grr like man with a gun kind of vibe to Mm -hmm. the conflict like strife and apocalypse are the big x-men villains of the 90s and Celine, who is just as cool as apocalypse maybe cooler maybe cooler I mean, certainly, I will say his cool factor was significantly diminished by all the shitty stories he got used in. And Celine, by virtue of the fact that she has like three stories in which she is a major player, has had less of that. She's a less damaged character. Apocalypse, I do think they managed to really reset with the Krakoa era, and now he's super fucking cool again. But there was a long stretch where every time Apocalypse popped back up, it was like, nah, this shit again. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know... There's that. I, I mean, like, she's like, Celine's never had a The 12, right? Like, Necrotia isn't a top tier X Men event, but it's a fun read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most embarrassing thing she's ever done is turn into a gigantic godass. And personally, <laughs> I found that delightful. <laughs> I think that part of it is she pulls things outside the microcosm of the X Men. She's ancient, she predates the nuclear age, she predates the concept of anti-mutant bigotry as we know it in the modern era, because when she existed, she was seen as a monster, a vampire, a deity, all kinds of things, right? She feels to some writers like she belongs in another story, or like she's a character from a different genre. She's more like a Doctor Strange villain than like your typical X-Men villain. And so if you're doing stories about like the government wants to put mutants in re-education camps or whatever, Selene is kind of too big for those stories. And then she doesn't have the testosterone 90s flavor of some of the other villains who really rose to prominence in that time. Yeah, that's like a super, super good point. And that like it doesn't really fit. Like if you're trying to match up the allegory of religion and civil rights and the X-Men, it's like, who is this crazy bitch? What's like, this character about? Right. <laughs> and it's just like, she could just be herself. She could be her own things. Yeah. Well, and that's why I liked that Coates used her in Captain America, because I do feel like Celine is the kind of major player with a lot of thematic connections that could be a threat to lots of other Marvel franchises. Like, there's mm-hmm. no reason why the Midnight Suns never had to fight Celine. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool. 
And it's notable that when Claremont dragged her into like Fantastic Four or whatever, whenever he felt like it, where there's like a Hulk story actually where she tries to seduce the Hulk and he's not into it. <laughs> That's not a Claremont story, but it's funny. Those stories always show how seamlessly she can jump into other franchises. She's like arcade that way. She's not X-Men specific. Mm -hmm. She's like a high concept character who can be plucked out and taken to other places. The way that Doctor Doom isn't necessarily specific to the Fantastic Four. And I think that a lot of X-Men villains are very specific to X-Men. All of the human bigot villains like Reverend Stryker or Stephen Lang or the Trasks or whatever, by their very nature, they have to be specific to the X-Men. Cameron Hodge only really cares about the X-Men. He doesn't care what the Avengers are up to. Mm -hmm. And then the evil mutants, those stories are more about respectability politics, right? And like, we have to shut down the bad mutants who are making us look bad. Mm -hmm. Or are they the bad mutants with who actually have a point? Right, it's, it's one or the other. Uh, like, that's what I'm saying. Is it's about that tension between Xavierism and more radical politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like if you're trying to like be like well where does Celine fit on the, <laughs> the spectrum of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King you're just <laughs> right like, she's like Liberace like, it was like <laughs> Celine's like I don't know what you're talking about like Celine is just not yeah she doesn't fit neatly into these things in the same way that like Margalie Sardash does not make sense as like an, a recurring X-Men mm -hmm. figure but Claremont loves witches, and I relate to that. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, and like the stories where Claremont stretches outside of the world of the X Men are some of the best Claremont stuff. The stuff with the Shi'ar is crazy, and people I think underrate it. But that first arc with the Macron Crystal, where like Gene has to repair the universe as Phoenix, is so fucking good. Mm -hmm. All of the stuff with Limbo and Belasco is so good. The Magic miniseries is one of the best things Claremont ever wrote, in my opinion. And, like, that's very outside the mutant metaphor. And it creates characters like Ilyana, who we now have seen pop up in Avengers titles, pop up mm -hmm. in Strange Academy. She's a character who can bounce between. And I think that Selene is a similar character. But I do think that when a lot of X-Men stories, particularly in the 90s, were focused on the tension between mutants and the government or the tension between mutants and humans in general... Celine was not a character who fit that neatly into it. She also, though, was set up to play a huge role in the late 90s in the John Francis Moore X-Force stuff where she is... And, like, Claremont sort of teased this up also, like, with that Fantastic Four annual. She she hooks up with Blackheart. She's going to revitalize the club as, like, an actual infernal organization connected <laughs> to literal hell. Like, that would yes. have been super cool. But X-Force gets canceled, and the whole line relaunches into the Morrison era, and a lot of plots from that period just get dropped completely. Mm -hmm. And that's one of them. Yeah. I'm also trying to think, like, if in, like, the new X-Men, like, she wouldn't even fit in that, like, she doesn't fit neatly in that political narrative either. Right, because it's not... She doesn't care about politics so much. <laughs> She's like Apocalypse in the... There are long stretches where you can't have this character in the narrative. Like, Apocalypse disappears for years at a time because... Again, it complicates the mutant metaphor if there is a millennia-old mutant who is as powerful as a god, right? Mm -hmm. Because then 
why don't they just break everything down and liberate mutant kind forever? And the answer has to be because they're selfish or because they're not thinking in the same way. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse has to have his survival of the fittest creed because otherwise he could elevate all of the mutants who are suffering. His position is if you're suffering, it's because you deserve it because you haven't fought your way out. He has to have that motivator. Celine mm-hmm. has to not give a shit about any kind of racial solidarity with other mutants. And that's why her being on Krakoa is funny (laughs) because it's sort of like, well, you've all risen to my level now so we can hang out. Like she's only interested (laughs) if they can give her something. Right. And I also kind of, again, potential storyline. I want to know what happened. Like, and you said this, and we said this earlier, like what happened like in like Araco and Okara, is it Okara? It was Okara before it split. Yeah. yeah. So I want to know what ha- what was going on there. <laughs> was she just like kicking it? Was she just like, were, were the rest of them like being like, I think we should get rid of her. I really am attached now to the idea that Genesis thought she was a lot of fun and Apocalypse (laughs) found her insufferable and that it was sort of a constant back and forth that it was like something they fought about in their marriage, maybe. Like, he's like, (laughs) I hate your friend Celine. (laughs) Like, Apocalypse comes home after, like, a long day work and it's like Celine and Genesis are having, like, two glasses of rosé and she's like, "Ah." God, (laughs) Celine's over. And then he goes to Iska's house and they, like, watch the game because he just can't deal (laughs) with it. And then Genesis is like, you introduced us. She's part of your coven. He's like, that doesn't mean I'm friends with her. It means we made a dark pact centuries ago. Even Celine being like, oh, I saw this all go down she starts packing up her suitcase (laughs) also like the way i think like in hellions when wells writes sinister i would like that same humor with celine yeah that's what teeny was doing in x corp really was like sinister is fun because he's making jokes about how evil he is and celine is similarly fun when she's just making jokes about what a (laughs) stupid character she is and i mean stupid in like a great way but just like for her to say i mean that line that i was sold in x corp 2 she literally was like the problem is agriculture it made all of you men think you could control things we didn't used to let you do any of the counting or whatever that's really fucking funny because yeah celine is sold this is my problem with the one million bc stories that they did in Avengers is like that's not historic at all right but for Mm -hmm. Celine when you think about her like there was no human civilization 17,000 years ago so she has to literally predate civilization which means that she did see the agricultural revolution so that's a very funny idea that she's like ah the men are now trying to be in charge of (laughs) politics like that's annoying yes Little one-liners like that, or just some some kind of, like, just sarcasm or humor. They don't even listen to the oracles anymore. Like, you know, like, that's funny. (laughs) Yes. This is something that I think Zeb excels at, and Hellions was a real great example. Like, he made us love Nanny by just having Nanny talk very openly about the fact that she's obsessed with kidnapping children. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, it's funny. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's like, I love that child kidnapper. She's a delight. Mm-hmm. I want her to paint her egg in a million beautiful color lipsticks and never, ever leave me. Yeah. And it'd be fun to have, like, characters bounce off of her and not, like, just be like, give it to Celine as much as she gives them. I just want to see her interact with, like, everybody. <laughs> yes. Like, why have Celine and Boom Boom never had a story together? <laughs> Boom Boom. What would that Giant story size be? X-Men, Celine and Boom Boom. I don't even know. <laughs> I feel like Celine hires Boom Boom to run her social media. <laughs> And she's trying to go viral on the TikTok. And Boom Boom's like, okay, here's the dance. Like, you have to do the dance. 
Perfect. Yeah. I love this. I, I, I love, love this story. So and then, like, obviously, like, something, there's, like, an adventure that results from the viral TikTok. But, like, I think that's, I, I want Celine to be seen trying to keep up with the kids. Like, I want those moments. Celine gets to the point where she has too many followers, too many reactions. She's just like, <laughs> should I eat some? And then Boom like, no, Do you can't. some of these people need to go? And she's like, we don't do that anymore. It's like a rule. And she's like, right? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> I also really want to see how Celine is eating. <laughs> what do you I like to think that she just, well, I like to think they just make, like, extra husks for her to just, like, snack on. Like, does she have, like, Arbor Magna husk jerky? I don't mean husk the X-Man. I mean, like, the, the you know, right. the things that Egg and Proteus make with the five. Like a little, like, communion wafer? <laughs> yeah, like, she just, like, ch- or, like, like pork rinds, but it's, like, mutant flesh. Horrible. Just putting I, it out there. I, I don't understand how they haven't given her a little pill, but I think that would be potentially more thoughtful and funny if they were... We know that she and M played are helping Krakoa regulate its energy intake. And like yeah. the implication is that they're also, they're like getting some kickbacks basically. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but Like stuff, like stuff gets dropped off the van. Yeah. We're like paying <laughs> you in marrow and life force, you know, but I love that. Like, you know what? Make vampires a public good. Mm-hmm. Like that is sort of to go back to Harini's question. Like Selene is now using her knowledge of vampirism to benefit her entire society. And that's beautiful. <laughs> Even the lowliest poor person on Krakoa is enjoying the benefits of Selene's vampiric labor at this point. I want to know, speaking of vampires, I want to know what, what Selene's history of Dracula is. Yeah, we're going to get there. There's a question uh. about that. <laughs> Echo Blake writes, Hi Cerebro, I'm a big fan of the podcast and a longtime devotee of the Black Queen, Celine Gallio. Can't wait to hear your episode on her. It's sure to be full of thrills and chills. My questions, if you have time and wish to answer, are as follows. One, does Celine have fangs? In some panels, particularly during the Necrotia run, Celine is depicted a number of times looking more like a classical vampire than a psychic one. Is this merely an artist's choice or a canonical fact about her? If so, would you say they're retractable to make sense of why they aren't always on show? Let's answer that first. Celine does not have fangs. It is just artistic license on those covers. I think maybe her astral form, like maybe she like would give herself fangs to be spooky, but I don't think she has physical fangs. I think no, but I think there is a panel with Wither, isn't there? With like two oh, little yeah. marks. I mean, which is fine. I'm not gonna... I think maybe that's just like her doing a bit though. Like she doesn't actually <laughs> drink blood. Do you know what I mean? She's. It's just the theme. She was just like, oh... It was an illusion. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, vampires are like hot girl shit of like the horror. Yeah. I just feel like if she's doing literal (laughs) vampirism, it's like a telepathic thing that's like she's making them think she is. She's not actually doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she also has the power to turn someone into a vampire. That's true. But I think she just did that with like a spell. A spell. Yes. Just like the spell that she turned the man into a dog man. She loves a spell that turns you into a bestial creature. Yeah. She loves the transmutation. She loves all that old school magic. So just because she doesn't have fangs doesn't mean she can't turn you into a vampire. And she probably, if she wanted to commit to a bit. This is the thing about Celine. With a spell, <laughs> she can do pretty much whatever the fuck she wants. It's plot related. So I feel like if she was into a kinky blood play moment, she might just spell herself some fangs for like yeah. the night. Yeah, no. If she was just like for shits and gigs and she'd be like... Yeah, why not? I'm feeling fangy this evening. <laughs> She's like... You want to give, I will give you vampire and boom. I am giving you vampire this evening, sir. We are going <laughs> to do the full Nosferatu fantasy. 
Two, Selena's been shown a number of times having a penchant for trying to corrupt and make young psychic girls her dark protégés. See, <laughs> mostly Rachel Summers. However, I'm wondering why she never saw an opportunity to do this by targeting any of the Stepford Cuckoos, Esme in particular. Do you think this would be an interesting story to perhaps tell, especially when considering her long-standing history and rivalry with Emma? Thank you so much. All my support for the show. Your fan, Lady X. Oh my God, I love this so much. I love this so much too. If I ever write that, don't sue me. We'll talk. I'll slip you a fiver. <laughs> But no, I actually, I love that idea. I think it's because since the Cuckoos became really major characters, Celine has not been a really major character. Like apart from Necrotia, where they don't interact because the Cuckoos are the ones operating Cerebra at that time. Mm-hmm. And Necrotia is like not great for someone operating Cerebra because like millions of mutants start blinking back into existence really rapidly. <laughs> I think that it's just that they haven't really crossed paths, but I would love that now, especially now that we've gotten to know Esme better in the Krakoan age through the cable solo. <laughs> you know I love Esme Cuckoo. Like, although it drives me crazy that Austin gave them the last name Cuckoo. It should be Esme Stepford. Oh. They're the Stepford Cuckoos. Right. Got it. Yes. Otherwise, what the fuck is that name about? Like, well, now I'm going to be upset about it because you pointed it out. Well, sorry. It's like, <laughs> Listen, they fixed Ilyana Rasputina because they felt like it. They can just fix this if they want to. Yes. I like Stepford. I think it's unique for them and they should. it should be their civilian last name. That's just my two cents. We'll get to that in a Stepford Cuckoos episode at some point. Oh, I love them. Yeah, again, like I'm your mommy now <laughs> with Esme Cuckoo. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, Emma's being mean to you? Well, yeah, that's always fun. Or just like have her gossiping with Esme Cuckoo about, or Esme Stepford about Rachel. Yeah, but I actually think that a more fun character to do this with would be Pixie. (laughs) Yes. Because then we could loop in the ladies' mastermind. Like, this is, (laughs) it's my grand plan. Like, now that Celine and Jason are hanging out because of X Corp. She should be coming into contact more frequently with the ladies mastermind who obviously like stand Celine and have patterned themselves after her in many ways. Right. Absolutely. Also the ladies mastermind love a theme party too. Yes. Every they time. could help her. <laughs> they could use their illusions to help create the theme, the ambiance of the theme party. She should teach them a few things about psychic vampirism and yeah you could teach her a few things about theme parties and so then pixie comes around because they're trying to be a family now that they're all in krakoa and it's very awkward Mm -hmm. but pixie's just like oh god celine's here (laughs) and then celine tempts her with darkest magic i think that would be fun or i want gene to be some kind of triangle point but it's also like everyone gets along now and it's like (laughs) i feel like there's no way that emma and celine get along you know what i mean like i think that it's I mean, Emma and Jean get along. I mean, it's very Real Housewives of Krakoa, though. It's like, we're co-workers. We're not friends. We have to get along, you know? (laughs) Selena's a Karen Uger. (laughs) Giselle is the Emma. (laughs) There's just a lot going on, you know? Like, but they have to work together. I would like to see that dynamic of maybe Esme and Celine just play a lot of pranks on Jean for fun. That could be fun. Just like some stupid pranks. Well, because Celine did replace Jean as the Black Queen of the Hellfire. Like, there is that. I mean, honestly, like, literally, to get a Celine Marvel Legends figure, I had to buy the Hellfire Club four pack and pop Jean's head off and put on <laughs> the alternate Celine head. And if I were Celine, from a branding perspective, that would annoy me. So maybe she doesn't like that Jean's always in those fan arts when it should be her. Right. And it's also like, 
Rachel's pent up stuff is because yeah of right she also like targeting Jean because it will get Rachel's attention is very easily <laughs> yeah. perfect actually now I want her to go to other worlds and get into shenanigans with Betsy just to piss off Rachel <laughs> she could do it like the minute she finds out that Betsy and Rachel are dating which I do believe will someday happen mm-hmm. when she finds that out Selena's going to be jealous. <laughs> She's like, I'm Rachel's goth GF. Yeah. She is gonna, she is going to go through that gate ASAP. Oh, I was just visiting, darling. I just needed to see Avalon with my own eyes. <laughs> you know, I just want to visit my Iraqi friends and <laughs> You know, she goes to see pestilence and famine over in Dryador. Excellent. Excellent. And they're just Excellent. like, oh God, you? <laughs> We remember you. They haven't been to Krakoa yet. They're like, this? Oh, God, really? You? Great. (laughs) Cool. Good to see you, Auntie Celine. (laughs) I'm just here to meet someone. I just want to see Captain Britain for reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Trolling Betsy to get a rise out of Rachel. I would enjoy that very much. Kate Stevens writes, Salvate, Connor, and esteemed returning guest Alex, longtime listener, first-time caller. I just want to say the usual thanks for all of this. I didn't read X-Men comics before listening to this show. I listened Aww. for the fantastic... I know, right? That's crazy. Thank you for telling me that. I listened for the fantastic gay analysis and to keep myself going while pandemic dissertating. I'm still dissertating, but I now also read X-Men comics. Anyway, on to Celine. Celine's very clearly the witch of witches as conceived in Greco-Roman literature. She's the image of a woman in control, and her powers are intensely of the body, consumption, beauty, lust, and of pre-agricultural relationships to the earth, so delightfully laid out in Excourt, very Hesiod's works and days. I know, right? That was so fucking good. Sorry, I'm just like, Teeny's also a classic series, you can tell. Her imagery vacillates between the bewitching erotic beauty, a man-eater with the power to rejuvenate the body, a la Medea, Circe, and Pamphile, and the hungry, terrifying hag who literally eats people and has the ability <laughs> to control the spirits of the restless dead, a la Erichtho or Canidia. Her name is Selene. I bet she knows how to draw down the moon. A lot of Hecate energy in there. So, Selene's obsession with ancient Rome has come up multiple times and seems to have been a key part of her characterization. She's as into Rome as a British schoolboy. Based on the Nova Romans apparently being founded around end of Republic, era. I hope you've clarified how Nova Roma works by now. Truly, what? And Eliphas slash Eli Bard seeming to be from the early imperial period. I don't know, the Rome of the Necrotia arc is fully unhinged. She spent a long time hanging out there. Big into the idea of Roman decadence or something. Obviously, she partied, seduced, did witchcraft, ate a bunch of people, etc. while she was in Rome, but she must have enjoyed the decadence of the mind as well as of the body. All this to say, who were Celine's favorite Roman poets? I feel like Ovid would, of course, appeal for the drama of it all, but there's nothing like a little Seneca or Lucan for gratuitous violence and decadence. Virgil and Lucretius are a bit drippy, but Horace and Tibullus love a witchy dom. Thoughts? Sorry if that went a little long, but I have to use my classics degree for something all best from a fellow Oberlin classicist, Kate. Kate Styles on Discord, they, them. Thank you, Kate, for writing in. That made me laugh as it's a fellow so good. OB classicist. I am not an OB classicist, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand defer. this one over. I'm yeah. going to defer so strongly. I think that the Erichtho bit from Pharsalia is definitely a Cellini vibe for sure. I mean, Celine, like with like Celine esque, not Cellini pronounced correctly. So that was a good pull. Seneca, 100%, would be. She is a big Seneca fan because those plays are so bloody. Like Alex, Titus Andronicus is basically inspired by like Seneca plays because that's what Shakespeare had. They didn't have like the Euripides originals. He would Mm -hmm. have like Seneca's adaptations of the Euripides originals. And Seneca always added like some decapitations and stuff because Rome allowed a lot more violence on stage than Greece had. I mean, I want to, I want to ask though, do you think, (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, you could definitely write something that Celine was hanging out with all these poets and inspired all these poets. Yes. Well, that's what <laughs> I was going to say is like, I love the idea that she is one of the women Sappho was writing about. Mm-hmm. Like she is one of the goddesses that Euripides was writing about. She is one of the witches that Lucan was depicting. Like, I think that she should actually be these historical figures. I would love to see her past with the eternal Circe. Yes. Well, also, campy dialogue about her just, like, being, like, reminding, like, I originated the role. Yeah. (laughs) That was me, baby. Very like to like very like to Lula Bankhead shit. Like Absolutely. Like, yeah, we we did that. Yeah, we did that. He left out all the good stuff. That's based on me. <laughs> based on me. About <laughs> me. That's about me. <laughs> That's the thing, is like I think that the poets that were her favorites were the ones that she was the patron of, were the muse of. And I think that there were probably many of them. I mean, Elifus himself is a poet. That's part of the story there. Mm-hmm. I think that she would have been drawn to artists more than to philosophers because I think male philosophers would have annoyed Celine. Plato's Republic talking about how, and this was wildly feminist for the Athens of the time, how theoretically there could be a woman smart enough to be the philosopher king. Bold. That's still a little... <laughs> Celine's kind of way ahead of that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think Celine loves like the epic of Gilgamesh, though. Like, I think she likes pre-Roman stuff too. I think she's big into Euripides. I think that once we get to Rome, it is sort of like what is decadent and fun because I think that was like her sexy era, basically. Like, she. I mean, if you look at the Necrotia story, which you're right, the ancient Roman Necrotia is fully ahistorical and wild, but that's why it's kind of can't be fun. And we can just say it's like Eliphas' recollections of it rather than a literal historical accounting of what had happened. But Mm -hmm. the politics are odd for sure in that story. When she shows up and she's basically wearing like a barbarian sex goddess look, it's like very Thessalian, cultious, that kind of vibe. Like she is trying to evoke that Medea, Circe, Pacifici kind of vibe. I mean, Celine, the choice of name, right? Like she names herself after the moon goddess or so she claims they name the moon goddess after her. I think that that is telling. It's her claiming dominion over the night, claiming dominion over the sorcery that's connected to the night. Here's one. I like to think that she inspired Keats's Lamia. That's not Roman. And I like to think that she inspired La Belle Dame Sans Merci. I know that that's not Roman, but I like the idea that she is this muse that has inspired artists in the past because they've had, like, it would be very Sandman, but you could do that and it would be fun. It would be a fun one shot to explore Celine's relationships to all of these romantic artists over time. To go back, I think she would be into Horace. And I think that this is a great letter. I really, I really love this letter. So thank you for writing in. Yeah, you can't see about. the camera right now, but Connor is beaming. <laughs> yeah, it was just, well, it's nice. It's nice to stretch those old muscles. It's been a long time since I read any of those guys. And now I feel like I should dig out my books upstairs. 
Sean G writes, greetings to Connor and esteemed returning guest Alex Abad Santos, longtime listener and Discord member here. And the idea of a Celine episode is honestly one of the most hilariously fun things I can imagine coming out of this podcast. I'm so excited. So, Celine, she serves it ancient city style. She predates <laughs> Babylon. She's an evil goth icon. And when she does some sociopathic shit, I simply say, work. I absolutely loved her in Excort, but I'm not too familiar with her older appearances. My question is, is it possible for Celine to die? I know she's part of the externals, which means she's immortal on some level, but they also all got taken out during Excalibur, which was super embarrassing for them. If someone kills Celine, can she just get back up? Does she literally need psychic vampire energy to keep living? Is she eternally young or does she age? Thank you so much for the amazing podcast. Excited for my Candy Southern merch to arrive from Sean slash Mr. Mind on Discord. Aww. First of all, thank you. That's very sweet. We've addressed some of this already, but I wanted to get into like the nitty gritty of it. The answer is we don't super know how it works because it's however it works for the plot, right? Like we were told this dagger made from the bones of her mother will <laughs> finally for realsies kill her. But then of course, another writer wanted to use Celine and the answer was no, it didn't actually. Yeah. And like you could even resurrect her with a vapor of Celine and some fun magic. Right. Like you can bring her back with a tiny piece of her spirit that's trapped yeah. in a box. Like she can come back. <laughs> yeah. I think that's part of her appeal is that she's eternal and you can't really ever fully get rid of her. With the externals, that's why Apocalypse notes when he kills them all, besides Selene and Gideon, who join up with him because they're mm -hmm. not stupid. He says, the reason that I'm doing this is because we have been outmoded. All mutants are externals now. Mm -hmm. Our magic has been bested by their mutant magic that is newer and more comprehensive than ours but also not as primal in certain ways. Like the mutant magic that he works, while it's the same thing as Abigail Brand's mutant technology, is less precise, but seems to be able to do perhaps more broad general things, which is how magic and science function anthropologically, right? All that to say, she basically can't be killed, but it does take her some time to get back up. She ages when she uses magic, so she rejuvenates her youth with the life force. The life force does seem to be part of why she's so much more powerful than the others, generally. Like, apart mm -hmm. from Apocalypse, she outclasses them all by a pretty wide margin. And the externals dying in Excalibur 12, my understanding of that is that part of the deal and why it's so spooky for them and to think about is I think that Apocalypse has trapped them in those crystals alive in the way that like Kandra is alive in her ruby. Like I don't <laughs> think I don't think they're dead dead. Do you get what I'm saying? Because otherwise they could just go through the resurrection protocol. Right. So there's like, yes, some kind of essence is happening. And at some point Kandra's going to escape because Kandra loves to escape from a jewel. That's like her whole deal. <laughs> yeah. And she's also the only other external character anybody likes. So I'm sure we'll see her again at some point. But yeah, I think that basically they're in kind of a suspended animation, not unlike what Sabretooth's experiencing in the pit beneath Krakoa. Mm -hmm. And maybe some writer will want to tease out that thematic parallel at some point. But I don't think they're dead because I really don't think you can kill them. And I think Apocalypse knows that, so he's channeling them into liminal space to use their power indefinitely. I'm still trying to think of ways to kill Celine. <laughs> it's really hard. I'm like really, like you could atomize her, <laughs> and it seems like she just kind of hangs out as a ghost until she finds a way to come back. Yeah, and you know what? Killing Celine will only make her more attracted to you. Yeah, she's only going to be hornier <laughs> for you after that. <laughs> 
like she no i love that panel when she's just like she's on the brink of death and this excites her yeah and this excites her she is wet for her own murder she loves it yeah that's the thing about being an external it's like you're gonna come back so now it's just hot like if you're already into sadomasochism yeah kill me daddy or in her case kill me mommy really specifically she only really wants women to do it yeah, she does not want a man to do it. No, that would not be chic. That would not be fun. If you're a man that has to do it, though, like you have to like put on, a, you have to do a dance. <laughs> like, yeah, you have to really like be artful about it. She yeah. can appreciate some artistry. <laughs> it has to be camp. Like if a man does it, it has to be camp. When exactly. Does, like woman, Warpath woman. has to be literally doing a ghost dance. And it needs to be done in like this painterly style. She needs it, it to be high drama. She needs the drama. Yeah. And then, you know, like years later, Selena's on Twitter and she's just like, isn't this problematic? <laughs> I know. She's like, honestly, I thought it was a little bit outrageous to defeat me with a culturally appropriate dance. And then they're all protesting like Warpath taught us the dance. He painted our faces. It was it's like, you know, it was we were invited. It's cultural appreciation, not appropriation. And she <laughs> is like, you know, feuding with Domino on Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, so no, can't really kill her. That's sort of the bottom line. That's what makes her so fun. That is what makes her so fun. Stephen writes, hello, Connor and guest, longtime listener, first time caller. Now that we know Apocalypse is the first mutant of the second generation, where does that leave Celine? Is she the first mutant of the third generation? The first mutant of Earth? What's the deal? Also, on a completely unrelated note, is Unis the Untouchable okay? He got captured on Otherworld and we haven't heard back. Did someone touch him? Did they give him back? Is he still crucified somewhere on Araco? I'm worried about my boy. This is my favorite podcast. Thank you so much for all the work you do. So Unis did get brought back to Krakoa with Richter is my understanding. I think he's fine. And I would love to see him talk to his daughter, Unishone, all about it, because where's she at? All the other acolytes are doing stuff, and she has such a cool power. Also, I've never said that name out loud, and I'm glad I heard it out loud. You're welcome. I actually had to get corrected on it by an Italian listener. I think we went over this, but I'm all for the girl boss moment. I think she's the first mutant. I think, I think, think she predates. I want her to be the first mutant. I think that if she isn't, because of all this caveman era stuff that's annoying, yeah. but now exists. If she isn't, then I think the cool way to do it is Apocalypse is the first mutant of the second generation and Selene is the last mutant of the first generation. Because here's the thing, if you go back far enough in time, mm -hmm. no human civilization would have survived to influence the future. Spoilers for Battlestar Galactica. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> this is a complaint that a lot of people have about the finale of Battlestar Galactica because if they arrived 150,000 years in the past, then none of their culture could have survived to the present because of a series of ice ages and other things that would have precluded that, which is frustrating because the plan was they were supposed to arrive in ancient Greece and then the writers, I think, decided it felt too Eurocentric, except it's way more Eurocentric to have your mostly white cast land in 150,000 BC and influence the entire world than it would be to say aliens <laughs> yeah. influence ancient Greece specifically. So I think they should have kept it the way that it was going to be because if they landed in ancient Greece, their culture would have survived. It's just annoying. It's annoying. But anyway, I like to think that Selene is the first she's aware of. And I like to think that Selene is the first that anyone who is alive today would ever have met. And certainly the oldest that Apocalypse ever knew. Like, I think that if there are mutants in this 1 million BC culture that must have been completely eradicated by nature, it's annoying to me thematically, but I can deal with it as long as 
Celine retains her place as the oldest continuous mutant. <laughs> like she's been alive for all 17,000 of those years. The Iraqi, who are 5,000-ish, they were gone for, I don't remember. The point is they've been gone for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I want that second generation to look at Celine as someone much older than them. I think that that is important. The question that then people raise is the racial optics of her being a white lady. But I do think that if I were casting her, I would cast like a Middle Eastern actress, right? Like I would go to that kind of Mediterranean, Middle Eastern kind of place. And that also, though, sort of contributes to her theme a little bit because she is a colonist, right? Like that is Mm -hmm. what she Mm -hmm. does. She comes from the North. And builds empires, like, wherever she decides she likes. But they're, like, campy empires. Yeah, but it's, like, (laughs) but it is sort of, like, a predatory ancient European influence that I think is interesting Mm -hmm. in that way. And it's fun to think about the people of Akara warning their children about Selene. Like, she's a (laughs) boogeyman, you know what I mean? Like, the dark mother lurks in the shadows and she will eat you if you don't behave. And then when they meet her, they're just like, this is the Black Priestess? First of all, she's white. This is a confusing title. (laughs) Though I did say, if you were casting the MCU and you want to just totally change up her backstory and make her maybe even older and put her in Africa. Like I did say when Rashida Rainey Ward and I were talking about Storm in the Storm episode that like Naomi Campbell would kill the role of Celine in the MCU. (laughs) Yes, And you could do that. I'm just thinking about the comic character herself, who is clearly from a European Mediterranean area. Vaguely, yeah. Vaguely. It's kept vague on purpose because, listen, none of these countries existed 17,000 years ago. So it's all kind of subjective, right? Yeah, it's like Mesopotamia. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, she's a little west of that, but not by too much is my thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And she certainly was there. Like, I want to see Celine in Ur. (laughs) We all learned about Ur in middle school. What was Celine up to in Ur? Is the Bernie relief a portrait of Celine? I also want to know if Celine, like the whole idea of like caveman or like Neanderthal, or, like did Celine like was she just like you know what I'm gonna cast a spell? I need to look hot. I am not an expert on human evolution, but I think that she would have been a Homo sapiens at okay. fifteen thousand BC. Yeah. <laughs> We are Homo sapiens by then. We're not one million BC though, so it's. It, I get why you're asking. <laughs> I mean, the thing that's frustrating about the one million BC mutant or whatever fire hair is that it literally said in history of the Marvel Universe in 2019 that Celine was the first mutant. That was only a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. There is actually, it'll be in the cover art for this episode. There is a great panel of terrifying vampire cavewoman Celine. Mm-hmm. She's just naked with like Lady Godiva hair and <laughs> is scary and it's cool. I mean, I, I would love to see Celine alt I mean, I'm gonna guess she can alter the way she looks based on that and based on just like, okay, well She's probably used magic to, you know <laughs> to, to BB I mean we saw it we saw the BBL. Yeah. We saw her <laughs> make that ass clap using yeah. the souls of genocided mutants. Yeah, so cheekbones. She probably was like, I really want some good cheekbones. Yeah. Much better than last century's cheekbones. Yeah, she's just like, listen, you gotta stay. Yeah, yeah. Celine definitely thinks Bella Hadid is pretty. And <laughs> Oh, Bella Hadid looks like Celine to me. <laughs> like when I'm thinking about Celine, I mean, yeah. I will say that it's a little, I do actually think it's important to have her look like she could be ancient. Okay. And so you don't, I don't think you want her, if you were casting, I don't think you want her to look too done. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I think a Monica Bellucci type, more of an old school, sexy. I mean, for all I know, Monica Bellucci's had a ton of work done. I'm thinking about, like, back in the day, though, and, like, Malena and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or, like, The Matrix Reloaded, where it was, like, she looks like a real person, but, like, an astoundingly beautiful one, you know? Yeah. Akira King writes, Connor, Alex, happy Halloween. You both know my love for you. Now, on to Celine. Do you think we'll be seeing her old beefs come up now that she's taken on a bigger role in X-Corp? There's a lot of people who do not like her. (laughs) (laughs) Understatement. (laughs) The New Mutants, specifically Magma and Mirage, Rachel Summers, Sebastian Shaw, Trevor Fitzroy, possibly Empath. What about her weird, immortal, ancient Roman simp, Eliphas? Anyway, all this to say, we all want Celine to have a comeback, but do you feel that she will? Also, what do you think the importance of being the first mutant ever holds? And what do you think makes her different from Apocalypse? She's 12,000 years older than him, and yet he made his mark on all of mutantdom with Okara and things like that. Celine predates him by millennia, but her greatest achievement is being the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club? She's an external with immense power, and I think she should be on Apocalypse's level. His name even means the first one, which is just disrespectful to his elder. <laughs> do you think it's too late to remedy this? I think a Celine miniseries depicting how she secretly guided world history would be very interesting in contrast to Apocalypse's more hands-on approach. That's all for now. Excelsior, Akira. Emma fucking Frost on Twitter. That is something I would love to write. Like I, I, you know, I've intimated that I guess throughout this episode. But like a sort of history of Celine would be really, really fun to do, and I think could be a very easy story to self-contain into a miniseries. It could be really fun. So that's exactly right, though. Celine has different methods from Apocalypse. Celine likes to be the Eminence Gris. She likes to be the power behind the throne. She doesn't want to be out in front unless you are literally worshiping her as a goddess Mm -hmm. otherwise she wants to manipulate a man into taking on all of the risky public annoying stuff that's what she's doing in nova roma and presumably she's done it many 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 times throughout the history of nova roma because this certainly isn't her first senatorial husband if she's been living there since they founded it on and off right well it's also i kind of feel like Maybe she already tried the hands-on approach multiple times. Well, that's my, yes. And then just like got bored with that. Yeah, I feel like maybe by Cleopatra's time, she's like done playing the Game of Thrones. (laughs) She's like, I'm bored at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And she was perfectly happy to let Apocalypse and Genesis do their whole deal on Akara because she didn't feel threatened by it because she had no interest in political power. It's been referenced that she has ruled empires that she has watched crumble into dust over time, like this and that. She's been around for a long time. And I think at this point, because her drive primarily is hedonism and pleasure rather than like a political goal like Apocalypse's, I think that she has less interest in shaping mutant kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She doesn't really care to shape mutantkind. She wants to make herself comfortable. And so what I think would be interesting about her on the Quiet Council is that she would be like mutantkind's id. She just wants to maintain paradise and pleasure. That would be an interesting perspective to contrast with someone like Magneto, who has a pretty serious political mission. Mm-hmm. Like she wants all the other stuff (laughs) yeah like all the fun stuff right she wants the money she wants the power she doesn't need the glory Mm -hmm. the glory that she wants is the kind of worship and veneration 
that goddesses had in ancient times. She likes to shape mystery cults around herself. She likes to Mm -hmm. be the secret dark goddess of a sect somewhere. She likes that kind of influence. It's quiet power. She doesn't need to be the queen of a nation. She would rather be a power broker on a global scale. And maybe like she a little bit, Maybe she's just self-aware. Maybe she knows she's like. I'm I think not, she knows I, she's I, not really I'm, meant to do that. I'm not really good at running a country. I don't really want to do I'm that or care. I'd yeah. rather eat everyone in the country and become a god. Yeah, and make the country super fun. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just have a good time. As for Ensabanur, meaning the first one, it actually doesn't, which is a little bit embarrassing for the people who wrote that comic. (laughs) It it does say that it means the first one in the comic a couple times, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. So that solves that. It means my understanding is the seven lights, which refers to like the morning star. So it's like dawn, basically. So it's like means like the first minute of the Mm -hmm. day, but not like the first one in the sense that the comic would intimate. The thing about Ensab and Nur, though, is that it's Arabic and apocalypse predates Arabic as a language. So presumably that's a modern translation of whatever his name actually was. So we'll get into all of this in an apocalypse episode in 2022, which is coming. It's on the schedule. I have 2022. it planned. I know I'm far out at this point, babe. No, but like I was thinking you were talking about Celine being worshipped as a goddess and loves that. But I think it's kind of interesting also with Claremont is just like the other person that loves being called a goddess is Storm. Storm. Yeah. And it's like very, very opposite reactions to what I feel like Celine. Aurora is called a goddess and decides these people worship me, so I must protect and help them. (laughs) Yes. And Celine's just like, these people worship me. They will make delicious snacks. (laughs) It's a very different approach and it's also kind of funny because it's just like no one ever thinks about like i I mean the best writers when it comes to storm knows that she has like the same kind of like an ego when someone calls you a goddess yeah there's an ego trip to it for sure and it's just like celine is a full indulgence of that ego trip when she's written i love how ewing is writing storm in sword right now and i'm really just excited to see where all that because she is imperious she does believe herself to be a certain caliber of being. And I think that that is important to the character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't have, so you can't worship someone as a goddess without it getting to your head. Yeah. Storm can't be too nice is my thing (laughs) about storm is she needs to have an edge to her. And I like the way Ewing is writing that so far. Like storm is incredibly loving and compassionate, but she's not nice Mm -hmm. in that way. As for all of her old feuds, I don't know. Like, I'm excited to see if she makes a comeback. I think that most people felt she was the breakout most fun part of X-Corp. So if those characters turn back up somewhere else soon, I think that she's someone that other writers probably now are keen to play with, right? Because I think Teeny kind of gave her a shot in the arm in terms of, like, the fans thinking about her as a fun character because she hasn't done anything in a long time that was really important. Honestly, like, not since Necrotia. Yeah. Absolutely not. Because she was dead for a while. Then she pops up because Brian would resurrect her. But then they leave immediately and don't do anything. And then she just shows up for Hawksbox. Yeah. Eliphas is dead. He's not coming back. I don't <laughs> But otherwise, the others might. Womp womp. Womp womp. Sorry, buddy. Sorry to this man. <laughs> yes, truly. I would, I would love Celine. Like, there's a quiet I would love if Celine, like, there was, if there was, like, a portrait of Eliphas that someone found. They were like, I think this is yours. And she's like, I don't recognize it. 
just like, I don't think so. I wouldn't recognize him on the street. <laughs> Not sure who that man is in that portrait. Josh Halbachner writes, Dear Connor and esteemed guest, Celine is an immortal woman who loves to always be seen as the utmost in style, regardless of the era, but she's been alive for a very long time. Out of her entire lifespan to date, what's the historical period where Celine made her most gauche and embarrassing choices she'd want to hide from everybody today? Quinn from the Discord. That's funny. What do you think? Oh, she was, I'm going to say, she was around England in and probably partook in some, like, weird kinky queen shit and oh people, yeah and totally got and Anne Boleyn totally made fun of her <laughs> I love like, that it's like what is that old lady wearing what oh is my she God. wearing <laughs> it's the Tudor era baby it's time to get with the program and then Celine convinces everyone to chop off Anne Boleyn's head <laughs> yeah it's like I heard she's a slut <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Celine, Celine calling Amblin a slut. Iconic. This is what I'm doing. Hire me to write this. I, I'm, I'm completely like serious. I'm shooting my shot right now. Hire me. I will write this and it will be fun. I swear to God. Anyway, there are so many weird periods in fashion that you, like, if you start to think about it, like, I think definitely medieval lady times with, like, the pointy hats and stuff, like, with the ribbons coming off them, if that was, you know, like, I just am picturing a lot of really big outfits that she didn't want to wear. Like, the thing about Selena, she wants to be pretty much naked, so any culture where they're sexually repressed like that is going to be annoying to her, which is a lot mm. of cultures, <laughs> especially in Europe, for a really long time. I think she must have loved the Victorian period because, like, you were all buttoned up, but then you wore, like, Hellfire Club lingerie at parties, <laughs> right? So, like, that she would have been into. She's like, can I sleep in a bikini? <laughs> yes or no? Yes, finally. Thank God. <laughs> I haven't slept in a bikini since the Hyborian age. I will say that since she reemerged in the present, she has always been serving. And I don't think she really looks back on any of them with regret because she's mostly just worn that one outfit. But when she wasn't, it was always very chic. And fashion comes around. It's cyclical. Like those huge shoulder pads when she went to Friedrich on Rome's store, those look a little silly now. But every now and then, a shoulder pad blazer kind of comes back into style. So, you know, I think she sees herself as a perennial. <laughs> I want her to be reunited with her mannequin, with her dress for her. Yes, where is that mannequin? Where is it? I want to see. It? I want to see that little outfit on it. A comeback. <laughs> Ryan West writes, "Hi Connor and Alex, big fan of you both. Connor, as I mentioned in an email, I sent you for your forthcoming Jubilee episode, which I now realize I sent way too early. But what can I say? I'm excited for it. Thank you so much for this podcast. It's truly been a light and otherwise very dark last couple of years for me. I've never listened to a comics podcast that manages to be so smart, insightful, and hilarious all at once. You've done an excellent job. Not sorry. You shouldn't be. I love a pun." Alex, what can I say? I adore your writing. I first became no. aware of I first became aware of you when I read your piece for Vox, How Fox Failed the X-Men, sometime in 2019, and was immediately impressed. Your takes on pop culture and insights into everything from sex to politics to social justice are second to none. I constantly find myself saying, yes, oh my God, finally someone who gets it every time I read something that you wrote. Also, you're correct that shorts and a sweatshirt is the fit. <laughs> Anywho, on to Celine, my favorite villainess, and I think a severely underrated character in general. I have two questions for you both. One, is redemption for someone like Celine actually possible? I know Krakoa is a new era of forgiveness and amnesty and breaking the cycle of old behavioral patterns. Not to mention there's the argument that her powers, by their nature, make some of her actions only evil in quotation marks. 
But what about all of the stuff that she's done, which is, you know, really fucking evil? She's one of those villains who I think has always been written as enjoying herself when she's doing harm to others. So is redemption even an option for her? Two, if you were writing Celine and you were to give her a foil who is not Rachel or Magma, which character would it be and why? Thanks again and happy Halloween. Ryan, Settle Down West on Twitter. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I'm blushing. You can't he see is. me. I am blushing. He is. He's like looking away. He like can't, can't make I eye can't contact look. with me on the Zoom right now. I can't. I can't. Um, where, 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 I'm too flustered. Uh, what was it? The foil? Well, so the foil character that I would love to throw her up against more frequently is Apocalypse. I think that that is something, if we were to go to the history, that's what I would really want to do. In the present, I think that it actually would be really fun to see her crossing paths more with Kate. Now that Kate has sort of been doing her Hellfire thing. They never really have much interaction because Celine joins up with the Hellfire Club and then Kitty pivots off to Excalibur. So like they never really had a ton of stuff together. And I think that that would be interesting. Uh, my answer is always Emma. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think Emma is the obvious choice. Emma, I was trying to think outside the box a little bit. But sorry. I went just teasing. I, I just went teasing inside you. the box. I am the box within the box. That is like... You better watch out or Magneto will eat you. Yeah. <laughs> as for the redemption question, I'm very interested in the idea of Celine as someone like Empath, whose power meant there was no way they were going to be mentally well. Because by its very nature, the power has made them a predator mm -hmm. from an early age. In her case, from birth. That question is, to me, relevant. Because what does that mean about justice, Right. The question is how much she does this stuff because she likes being evil and how much she does this stuff because it's the way she learned to survive. And it's been thousands and thousands of years. Empath is this fucked up at like 25. Mm -hmm. I think that morally, what's more interesting than redemption, because I don't think it's possible when you've killed millions of people to be redeemed, right? Like, no, is the answer to that question. But... If she's going to be around, and we can't kill her, so she is going to be around, then what's interesting to me is seeing an immortal character who has done such evil be integrated into a society that she chooses to participate in. I like that she's trying to do something to further the species now. I like that she's decided, you know what? I'll play by your rules because this is fun. I would like to see her learning that it feels good to help people mm -hmm. like herself. Yeah, and it's also like the way Krakoa operates now is a lot of those things. She doesn't need to kill to survive anymore. Right. And it's like the morality of that is completely flipped. I don't think you can blame a lion for eating zebras. I think that that is their makeup as a living mm -hmm. thing. And I think that Celine is a carnivore in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think she can be blamed for that. I do think she can be blamed for taking pleasure in the hunt and the kill of sentient beings, for seeing other people as objects, for torturing people. Like there are things she does that she doesn't have to do because yeah. she likes it because she's a sadist. But I think in part she's a sadist because the world was cruel to her from the moment she was born mm -hmm. in a very specific way. It was cruel to her by taking away anyone who would have loved her while also saying, this is what you are. This is what you deserve. You should eat you must eat us because you are the goddess. I don't know. I think her psychology is fascinating. I think this is a character with a lot of potential. I don't think she's ever been given 
I think Teeny has done the most interior work with this character that we have ever had in those five issues of X-Corp. And she's only in three of them. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see more of it. I think that there's a lot under the surface there. And I think that she can be like Apocalypse, someone we don't necessarily forgive for all of the horrendous things that they've done over centuries and centuries and centuries, but someone who we come to understand and someone who can perhaps, if not be redeemed. I mean, like, this is the thing. The concept of redemption in this sense is like a very Christian idea, right? That you can like be absolved and all of that. And I don't believe in that. I think that Celine and Apocalypse, who are both much older than Christianity, would view it more in a pre-salvatory context. So in Judaism, the idea is more about atonement. You can't undo the things that you did, but you can try to make them right by doing good things for the people that you've wronged. Don't do it to be forgiven. Do it because it's righteous to change your behavior. And in pre-Christian, pre-Jewish so-called pagan cultures in Europe and stuff, it's similarly much more like make sacrifices as an apology, not because it will bring you, Mm -hmm. it, it won't cleanse you, you know, like, so I don't think that that's something that's on her radar, really. I think what she's decided is, all right, I think I'll try being a productive member of society this time, because she's lived so many lifetimes that Mm -hmm. spending 10 years on Krakoa being a team player is like going to be a week's vacation to her, you know? Yeah. And it's also, I think the like we were talking about, like how when she absorbs someone, like when she was first written, she she knows everything about their life. And it's yeah. just like, and she's like, this is the, ri-. like, in a weird fucked up way, she's kind of respectful <laughs> about that. Yeah, well, and I think that that's the thing is Celine uses every part of the animal, you know, like she, <laughs> like, I'm, but I'm serious. Like she, she does, she thinks of what she does as being sacred. Mm-hmm. And she does preserve those memories and those souls inside herself. And as far as she's concerned, that's a blessing to them. Mm-hmm. Cause they're now one with the goddess that is Celine. So I would love to dig into this character and, and see what makes her tick. Because I think once we move in the Krakoan era past the question of is this character a good person and start saying, how can this character benefit their fellow man? That's a different question that I think is interesting. I'm less interested in the question of forgiveness because. Celine cannot be forgiven. Apocalypse cannot be forgiven. Interpersonal things, like I think I said earlier, like I think that Jean forgave Mastermind and that was the writers asking the readership essentially to forgive Mastermind. That's an interpersonal thing between the two of them. We don't know for sure if Mastermind ever did that to anyone else. He probably did because he seems like a scuzzy guy, but that's something with a specific victim. Celine has victims who died screaming thousands of years before anyone on earth currently was born so no one is going to forgive Mm -hmm. Celine. it becomes about if Celine is here if Celine isn't going anywhere because she can't be killed then it's actually a lot like cassandra nova how can we redirect this force this powerful force into something that might be productive rather than destructive and i think that's interesting Casey Welsh writes, hello, Connor and Alex. First off, just wanted to say a big thanks for the inimitable Ladies Mastermind episode. It's become my go-to when I need cheering <laughs> up. Comedy genius. My question is, between Celine and Mastermind, the man one, obviously, is X-Corp going to make an enemy of the Grey Summers family? I think Rachel and Jean would be pretty upset to hear both those names on the board. Maybe once Maddie's resurrected, Monet and Warren will reach out to her, too, really round out the squad. <laughs> Until it's revealed that it's all just been illusions. Make mine Cerebro. Best Casey. So as I was just talking about, Gene did forgive Mastermind for what he did as he was dying of legacy virus. So I think she's over that. 
Jean also is someone who like gets over things. I think Jean had more trouble forgiving Emma for that, for Emma's role in that. Because I think Jean was offended that Emma did that to her as a woman. That is an undercurrent, I think, to some of their interaction. Like, you victimized me, and mm-hmm. you should feel remorse for that. And I think Emma does. And I do think that with a woman writer, that is a scene I would one day like to see, is them having that conversation, sort of, a little bit. If someone could handle it with, like, a deft hand. But I think that Jean is over the mastermind thing because she's like, he's just pathetic and I have forgiven him because he apologized and begged for my forgiveness. And, you know, the Phoenix is above such things. I don't know if Jean right at this moment would say that, but that's what Morrison era Jean would say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Celine, yeah. I mean, I think Rachel's probably super pissed that Celine is on the island at all. That's one of the things about Krakoa that's interesting. I would like to see more of that. I'd like to see more conversations between Apocalypse and Angel if Apocalypse does end up coming back at some point. Barring that, I want to see conversations between Cyclops and Sinister. I want to see conversations between Emma and Celine. I want to see conversations between these characters who were arch enemies and now have to live together for the good of mutant kind. That, I think is part of the rich plot potential of Krakoa. Some of these people killed each other. Some of these people tortured each other. Some of these people killed each other's loved ones. Like, that is a lot. It's heavy, and I I would love to see more of it. I want to see Rachel confront Celine. I mean, maybe Celine. well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to say that, because that's an idea I would like to write, maybe someday. (laughs) Anthony keeps telling me, he's like, you cannot give away every plot idea you have on your show because someday <laughs> you might get to write that comic so stop yeah cut it out no it it's it's definitely i'm glad that the tension exists there and i'm glad yeah. that we all pick up on it i am happy for the potential for it i would like to see it also rachel probably like you said gene doesn't hold a grudge probably as not quite like that yeah. yeah not against him i think yeah. that she is over it Rachel holds a grudge. Yes. <laughs> Rachel loves a grudge. So yes, it's like you victimized my mother. Yeah. She's forgiven you. I didn't. Yeah. It's definitely that. That I think is, yeah, I think that's potentially interesting also. Like Krakoa, Big Little Lies. <laughs> it would be interesting to see Warren and Jean talk about it. I don't know. Like these are the problem with a lot of these scenes that I would love to see is that it's just people sitting around talking, which is great in the fan fiction that we all write in our heads, but isn't necessarily the best use of page space in a 20 page comic that you only get to put out once a month. So yeah. I understand why a lot of these conversations were like, why haven't we seen them talk about this? Like, because we don't have time right mm-hmm. now. It's a limited amount of pages. You only get like 240 pages a year, basically. And in the last couple of years, they've gotten less than that because there have been skip months because of the printing shortages. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can't always get these things, but I do think that that would be interesting. I think it depends on where these characters go next, if X-Corp is going to have a presence in another book or whatever. So I'm intrigued to see how things are looking in terms of Krakoan society after Inferno. And I would also, I think, like, going off of, like, the the grudges and whatnot, I would, I, I think that one of the funny things is uh, in X-Corp and how, like, her and Monet have bonded by being girl bosses, I would love to see Monet jump in and be like, Rachel, <laughs> she's actually kind of cool once you get to know her and then Rachel yeah like, what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like actually i disagree <laughs> she's like actually she's really cool <laughs> you should hang out with her more i would just love celine to be like listen your mother ate a star system <laughs> 
Don't get fresh with me. But I want to know like who Celine's friends would end up being. Because I they would probably Absolutely. Who are her gays? Who are Celine's <laughs> gays? That's what I want to know. I mean They're out there. If you're gay, you're Celine's gay. She would be my problematic fave, definitely. I would be like, I know I shouldn't, but I'm having drinks with Celine. Extremely. Like if you think Azealia Banks is a problematic fave. You, she's got nothing on Celine. Nothing. Celine probably dropped the effort so many times in the 80s. Celine could say faggot. No, please. <laughs> Celine could say faggot right now. Celine could call me a stupid little faggot and I would say thank you, ma'am. And then we would have a stig. Yes. It would be good. It's like when Faye Dunaway was accused of calling that guy who was assisting her a little homosexual boy. And I was like, <laughs> I understand that that's homophobic, but also I would die to have Faye Dunaway call me a little homosexual boy. Yes. So. Faye Dunaway is Celine. Oh, man. <laughs> Actually, I would cast Faye Dunaway as Amanda Mueller. <laughs> Just a thought. Jason Shawhan writes, Greetings, hope you're well. You've spoken in the past about Celine's name playing fast and loose with Latin rules, and I would agree. Some might say her name is meant as evocative, but I just can't see her tolerating that kind of linguistic intimacy. What I can see her doing is being such an important, famous, or infamous individual that she has irregular declension. Sort of how Aeneas and other important figures with Greek names would take a Greek declension in some cases. See what I did there? I can absolutely see Celine as the kind of Leo, and she has crazy, toxic Leo energy <laughs> who would demand from Rome her own grammatical rules. Like Cher Madonna and other mononymic stars of today who eschew the traditions of language. I love that. I love that idea and I'm into it. That's also why she would change it from Cellini to Celine when she got to America because she would want, it would be like Enya changing the spelling of her name so that it was phonetic. Like she wants you to be able to say it very easily. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A great Celine story that could also be an interesting way to bring the X-Men characters into the MCU, I think, is the Cool and Gas story in the late <laughs> 180s. <laughs> My fucking favorite. I am with you on this. You get a weird fantasy epic that transforms everything for a very short period of time. And when it's over, thankfully no more dragons. But oh wait, what? We have mutants now? That would be really funny, actually. Like, you could just do it with Cooling Gap. I do think regardless of however they bring mutants in... They absolutely should do the Selene and Kool and Gath plot. You might not be able to use Kool and Gath because he's like a Conan character, but you could definitely use someone, like make up an ancient wizard and then do Kool and Gath as like a Thor movie or something. Like everyone, or it's like an Avengers movie, but suddenly everyone becomes a fantasy version of themselves and like have Selene be the bad guy. That would be super fun. So funny. Also, if Selene's a Leo, what's her rising? Scorpio. I thought so too. She, yeah. she, she death has, as a Scorpio. <laughs> Moon and Cancer, I think. Moon and Cancer. Moon and Cancer. Wow, so lots of fire, lots of water. Yeah, that's me. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm a Pisces with Sag rising, which is just dark sided. Like that's I am, not. Um, I normal. am a Scorpio sun with Cancer rising Aries Moon. And they were just like, you are so... That's really true, though. Okay, I'm sorry. This is not an astrology podcast. And astrology obviously isn't real, but also it is. My moon is an Aquarius. Okay. So... Three, these are all comments rather than questions, Jason, but I like them, so it's fine. Three, there's a movie coming to Netflix on 1020 called Night Teeth. I guess it's out now if anybody oh, wants to watch Night Teeth. And good. Megan Fox has a one-scene cameo as a vampire queen crime boss named Grace. Her outfit is straight-up Hellfire Club lingerie and a jeweled shawl, and she strikes the perfect portrait of jaded patrician predator, and it's iconic. Couple that with her turn as a succubus in Jennifer's body, and I think she might be a great Celine. Many thanks, and have a great rest of the day or evening, Jason Shawhan. 
I like Megan Fox. I think I have two thoughts on Megan Fox. One is I don't think she has the gravitas to play Celine. Like, I think you want a real, like, wicked evil queen type. And Megan Fox is a little more down to earth, I think, like, in terms of how she acts. <laughs> the bigger thing, though, is that Megan Fox's face looks like an Instagram filter. Like, she has had so much work and it's all great work and she looks fantastic but that's not a face that exists in 17,000 BC mm -hmm. and I do feel like we said about Bella Hadid earlier that while Celine would be like wow Megan Fox looks incredible as she's scrolling <laughs> through Instagram I don't think that's what an actress playing Celine should look like I think that an actress playing Celine frankly I want an actress with like a schnozzle someone who has like a strong Roman profile you know what I mean yes but when I think of Roman noses, because I only think, I only think of men, because I'm attracted to big Roman noses. Right, no, I get what you're saying, right? But like... I'm trying to think. Who's the John Bernthal of hot chicks? Oh, man. <laughs> Who is that? Lesbians, weigh you, in. You cannot ask a homosexual person. <laughs> I know. We can't, like, we can't figure like, this but out, do, but... Do, 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 do. <laughs> Suddenly, my brain's malfunctioning. I'm just saying. I'm like C-3PO. I'm like, oh my God, too many thoughts. I mean, you know who actually, you know who I really would, if they hadn't already used her in the MCU, think would make a great Selena is Rachel Weisz. Oh, absolutely. She has a classic kind of look to her. I mean, I, again, if, if it were up to me, I would want to cast like Greek or Persian or Arab actress with like that kind of Near East slash Middle East look. Mm -hmm. But if you were casting like a white Hollywood celeb, I think someone like that who could play a period character without it looking strange is more the role you want. Because she should look out of time. Yeah. Also, like, it's all, obviously Charlize fits every single MCU person. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like... When I said the gravitas, I almost said like Charlize Theron in that terrible <laughs> Snow White and the Huntsman movie. Like, but that's what you want is you want that energy, right? Yeah. You want like, yeah, you want like someone who's could be from like thirty to sixty, but they look thirty. <laughs> yeah, looking snatched, but you could be seventy-five. <laughs> I think plastic surgery is cool if it's something that makes you feel good about yourself. I'm not dogging on plastic surgery at all. I just think Celine should look like someone who is a quote unquote like natural beauty. She should look like an ancient statue, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want it to be that vibe. Mm -hmm. Russ Zam writes, hi, Connor and Alex. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on external queen Celine, patron goddess of Evanescence fans and questionable <laughs> Amazon rainforest theme parks. Celine, like countless X-related women, is one of the many characters from my youth who proved to be a tastemaker or signpost for the very queer adulthood that lay ahead of me. Camp Factor, high. Glamour, extreme. Ties to myths of antiquity. Yes, little gay boy who watches too much Xena, you're all set. My question has two parts. With Apocalypse presumably out of the picture for a good long while, and Daddy A deserves it, do you think Celine can or should occupy a more prominent role on Krakoa? Her view of time and mutant human history provides a unique perspective. Krakoa or the Quiet Council seems to be preoccupied with responding to external, LOL, threats only. <laughs> Presumably Inferno will see this bite them in the collective ass. However, Celine's lived through the fall of countless civilizations right alongside Apocalypse. Her experience seems invaluable to X-Corp, even if her morality and temperament may leave everyone a little chilly. Do you think X-Corp or the Quiet Council are a better fit for her? If not, is there a better fit for her? Two, as noted, Celine seems to gravitate to her young, impressionable mutants in search of an heir or a tool. Rachel, in particular, was a wild choice, not because of her power, but because her morality is the exact opposite of Celine's. Pleasure in the hunt for mutants as food versus shame and pain over being forced to hunt mutants. 
The infamous Uncanny X-Men 184 is a heliqueer story which presents Selina as somewhat of a predatory or frightening elder gay hunting down Rachel. In New X-Men, she plays a twisted psychological game to seduce the centuries younger Wither to obtain his servitude. That's Academy X, not the Morrison New X-Men, for listeners, to be clear. And Magma, well, yeah, Magma. <laughs> Given her... <laughs> Given her history, are we concerned about the fact Celine and Monet have appeared to click? <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Monet heading into Otherworld and mentioning Saturnine's job as a gig she might want one day. The potential to see Monet pushed or pitted against the Black Queen and the Platinum Magistrix sounds thrilling. In an infographic, we were told Emplate and Celine monitor Krakoa's need to feed on mutant energies. Celine adding another string to the Sanquois family doesn't read as a coincidence for someone so ancient and savvy. I feel like Rachel, Blink, and Amara need to have a sit-down with Monet, and I would like to see it. Excited to hear your thoughts i'm a proud patreon supporter and i could not be more excited to hear what this next season has in store xoxo russ these are all great questions and a great intro great letter we obviously agree that her motivation is different because we were talking about that and i think that she does deserve a seat on the quiet council i think that if you're a mutant who has survived for seventeen thousand years in a world that is constantly trying to destroy you as an aberration you have a perspective that is valuable if we're going to let mr sinister who is just an asshole sit on the council because he has the genetic knowledge that's more advanced than anybody else besides moira herself then Celine deserves a seat at the table by virtue of the fact that she has survived. Yeah. If mutant survival is something that we're especially concerned with, she's the expert in a lot of ways. Now, you right. might not like her methods, but she has a perspective that you should factor in, I think. And I always feel like with her, it, <laughs> I could see a running thing being like, well, why didn't you tell us about this? And she's like, you guys didn't ask. <laughs> you never asked me anything. Because they don't. They never consult her. But I mean, like, I feel like she wouldn't. She has the information, but no one asked her. And she's just like, I'm just going to live my life. You guys didn't ask. (laughs) I could have told told you this was a shitty, shitty plan. But no one asked me. I will say it's been established that each of the externals represent a higher concept in their coven. And Celine represents corruption. So that is the thing that she enjoys most is finding people who are good and noble and bringing them down to her level. I think that's part of why Rachel was so enticing to her. Mm -hmm. And so Monet is an interesting character for her to be influencing because Monet is not a good girl in the way that a lot of those other heroes are. Monet is also somewhat selfish. Monet can be violent. Monet can be self-absorbed. Oh my god, Monet is the biggest egomaniac. (laughs) Yeah, but she's also very moral. Mm -hmm. So I do think that Celine probably has taken an interest, perhaps, in corrupting Monet a little bit. I mean, their attack on Noblesse was very much a Celine kind of move. (laughs) And Monet thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And listen, it got results. So I'm interested to see where that goes. I'm hopeful that wherever Monet is going to be next after the line shakes up, her relationship with Celine will continue to be something we see in the comics because I do think that's an interesting pairing. And obviously it will piss Emma off to no end. So that Mm -hmm. will be fun. And Monet like Celine, knows what it's like when people don't like her. And she doesn't really fucking care. Doesn't really care. Doesn't really care. (laughs) David Welsh writes, I really love the podcast and I get lots of repeat listening value out of the episodes that feature you and Alex really leaning into the high drag (laughs) energy of characters like Emma Frost, the ladies' mastermind, and now Celine. My question goes back a bit and it's sparked by my reread of the Claremont run. When Rachel attacks Celine, there's a fantastic bit where Celine reads Rachel to filth because Rachel can't remember the name of the man who helped her, Nick Damiano. (laughs) Nick Damiano. 
But Celine can remember everything about him because she ate him, which admittedly makes it less warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Rereading that sequence, I found myself wondering if any subsequent stories have ever highlighted that aspect of Celine's vampirism, the fact that she has perfect recall of her victims. I think that would be an incredible ethically suspect advantage for X-Corp now that Celine is working with them. How could you see this ability of Celine's being used in stories going forward, even if she just uses it to mess with magma? Thanks for all the great listening, David Welsh. There haven't really been any stories post Claremont that address this at all, which is a huge missed opportunity, I think, because it is so cool. It's a lot like Rogue's role in the Age of X timeline as legacy, where when the soldiers would die, she would absorb them so that part of them stayed with the group. Imagine if, like, the mutants go to war and Celine's like, well, this general I ate once <laughs> did this thing. <laughs> That would be fun. Like, you, it, it could be a way that she's developed expertise on a number of things. I mean, she leaves Nova Roma, and she's been there for at least a couple hundred years when she leaves, right? It's been established now that she left Nova Roma. It was like she went back and forth, kind of, which makes sense because Senator Domitius did not know, her husband did not know that she was an immortal mutant when he was married to her. So she has to disappear for a while, I imagine, and then come back. It's a vampire dilemma that you have as an immortal. But she was clearly there for like a while before coming to New York City in the 80s. And I have to imagine that she learned how to hail a taxi by eating somebody. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And it's also like a weird like, it must be such a weird PTSD. Like, at some point, you have to... <laughs> the thing that I would love to explore is that she therefore must remember what it feels like to be killed by her. Yeah. If she has their memories. And I think at this point, she's done it so many times that she probably compartmentalizes them really well, but she clearly can retrieve them if she cares to. Mm-hmm. But yes. I love that panel. I think we should see it's more of that. Incredible. I would love to see more of that. Very Tom. <laughs> Tom's house is broken into. <laughs> yeah, God. Tom's house is broken into. He confronted the burglar. He had eye surgery. <laughs> I do feel like this episode is going to be somewhat opaque for listeners who do not watch any of the Real Housewives franchises. But sorry. I'm sorry. We're still in the <laughs> pandemic. And frankly, if you're working from home and you have Hulu, you have no excuse not to. Watch some old seasons of Real Housewives. I can give you Rex. That should be a Patreon episode. Let me know if you would like a Patreon episode that's just like, here's how to break into the Real Housewives franchise. Because that could actually be fun. And Alex and I could maybe do that together. That would be cute. Just a thought. Real Housewives of Krakoa. The Real Housewives of Krakoa. That was almost the name of this podcast, but I decided it was too niche. Jay Brown writes, Hello, Connor and Alex. I'm Jay from New York City, so no accent attempts required, though I do enjoy your impressions very much. I hope this email finds you both in a sufficiently spooky atmosphere given the subject matter and time of year. I know Celine's an ancient mutant who's a psychic vampire, and her whole deal is being parasitic and antithetical to life and fruitfulness. But my question is this. Is Celine similar to DC's Vandal Savage in that over the course of her extremely long life, she's had many kids? Or, by virtue of her selfishness and complete lack of empathy for just about everyone but herself, has she been living a child-free life for 17,000 years? If so, one, that's goals. And two, how did she make that work for so long before reliable birth control? (laughs) I mean, she's not undead like a blood vampire, right? She has a functioning reproductive system. It would be pretty metal in a horrific way if she was just absorbing her children over the years to drive home the point of her next level self-interest. Maybe you've addressed this in the episode already, but it's been on my mind. Side note, she might be too old now, but Monica Bellucci is always who I picture as Celine when you talk about her. I think it would be good casting. I agree. That was always my dream casting. She might now be a little too old to emphasize the like eternal youth thing that Celine does mm-hmm. but I would want an actress who's at least like 40 in this part for sure 
Sorry for the long email, and thanks for everything you do. You two are a killer combo, and I replay the ladies' mastermind episode more than is probably healthy. LOL. Happy Halloween, and stay safe. Jay. How old is Monica Bellucci now? Mm. Googling it. She's still hot as hell. Yeah. 57. 57. Yeah, I think that's probably a little older than they'd want to go. But I would say, like, someone in their 40s. Because if you cast someone in the MCU, you're, like, locking them in for 20 years, right? Is, like, the goal. Yeah. So, like, you know, like, Six I don't think you want to play Celine at 77, right? Like, probably not. <laughs> Although, if anybody could, I think Monica Bellucci is going to age like Sophia Loren. Like, she's just I always. I mean, you could be... also do de aging. Uh, let's not. <laughs> it's so creepy. It's so creepy. I mean, it will get better, but then it will probably only get creepier, like, as we creep closer and closer to the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. So it is implied that Magma's mother was a child of Celine. So I think she probably has had a whole lot of kids over the centuries, but only when she wanted to. And Celine's found a way to make it painless and very labor-free. Oh, yeah. No. Like, she's very, using... like, magic, spooky Well, style. the thing is, if you go back to ancient magic, which is what Celine is sort of based on at core, midwifery was part of a witch's practice in the ancient world. Like, all of that stuff, women's magic, the word for a witch in ancient Greek is pharmacus, mm-hmm. which is where we get the word pharmacist from now, because pharmacy comes out of pharmaka, which is magic in ancient Greek. And it's because they were using drugs, potions, all kinds of shit that we would now consider medicinal. But it was like, you know, alternative medicine. It was sort of like the goop before goop, right? Mm -hmm. And some of it worked is the thing. Like, there was no reliable birth control in the way that the birth control pill or an IUD or whatever is much more reliable now. But there have always been abortifacents in nature that you can use if you don't want to get pregnant. You have to know how to use them in such a way as to do that for birth control without poisoning yourself, which is what a witch's job was. It's like, no, don't mix those two things or you're going to die. Like, you know, so I think that that would be part of the magic that Celine has. But I think that she would want to have children. I mean, I would love to see a lineage of Celine that has existed to the present. Friedrich von Rome, honestly, might be a descendant of Celine. Because this hereditary line of priests that she has cultivated over centuries, maybe it was started by one of her children. Like, we don't know, but I think it would be interesting. And I think it would be fun if a lot of characters we know now discovered, much like Chamber and Blink at one point discovered that they are distant descendants of Apocalypse, Mm -hmm. that characters we know now might also be descendants of Selene. Like, you know thousands and thousands of years removed but still it would be fun because again she likes to manipulate events subtly if she as a complete narcissist sees children as an extension of herself and i think she does which is why magma disappoints her because magma doesn't behave like a daughter of hers should behave or a granddaughter or whatever if she sees one of her descendants become a world leader does she get a kick out of that i bet she does she's like that's me (laughs) You know? So I'd like to see that. I think it would be fun. That's my thought on that. I just think it would be cool if there was like a house of Selene that had descended subtly through century and like they had been people influencing global politics who were descended from this woman. And she's old enough that it could be people of all races. It could be all kinds of different characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect because it's been thousands of years. So the phenotype could be, they don't have to look like her at all. Mm-hmm. It would be a fun conspiracy that you could kind of build out around her that would be kind of neat. And she loves a party that's weird. Like she loves a weird theme. 
And the theme there would be like, we're reuniting the family. <laughs> it's a family reunion. She would have a whole, it would be tree themed. She would do a whole thing. Yeah. It would be cool if Celine has placed descendants loyal to her throughout various places of power in the Marvel universe. I think that would be cool and very plausible. Mm-hmm. Monet could be her long lost daughter. Monet could be a descendant through her mother's side because, you know, Algeria is not that far from Turkey. Like, that would be very plausible. 23 and me and Celine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be fun, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Kathleen D writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. I was super excited to hear you be doing a Celine episode together. One, because I adore the Ladies Mastermind episode. And two, as a bi person who grew up reading X-Men and any vampire novel I could get my hands on, Celine is one of my all-time favorite X-Men characters. One of the reasons I love her is that a lot of Celine's dynamics with other women through the various X-Books really seem to pull from sapphic vampire tropes, which I know are problematic, but I still love them. Whether it's more of the hunter-hunted dynamic she has with Rachel in the classic X-Men, or the mentor-mentee relationship she now has with Monet in X-Corp, and Madeline back in the X-Men solo, literally the only good thing about that book, Major Carmilla vibes. Honestly, even some of the stuff she's in outside of X-Books, like her working relationship with Alexa Ludkin in the Coates Captain America run, kind of had those vibes. And being a Claremont dame through and through, Celine really just exudes bi-femdom energy. She even has the fetish wear to show for it. Which brings me to my question. Since Krakoa allows for Celine to no longer have to actually kill people to remain in her youthful or powered up state, do you think there are ways to still play up these tropes? It definitely seems like something that could be cool in any book she pops up in next. Maybe in Marauders because of her Hellfire connection or Excalibur due to the magic and external stuff. Absolutely love the pod and can't wait to hear your insight on this fun, iconic character. Kind regards, Cat. P.S. The announcement of this episode got me to go back and reread some of the X-Man solo, and I'm now of the belief that if Maddie comes back for good, her and Celine should make out or work together or something. <laughs> Their dynamic is really fun and super gay. I would love that for them. I think the way you play it up is by doing the sort of temptress thing, whether it's with Monet or with other characters. Because if you go to La Fanus Carmilla, as you mentioned, which is absolutely Celine's primary vibe, especially in the 80s, it is about like corruption of the virgin, right? Like that is sort of, and that's why, as you note, it's problematic, but I also love those stories. They're mm. fun. I think you make her feel predatory whether or not she's actually preying on people. Because if we want her to be a character who can operate in a somewhat slightly heroic framework, she can't be actively preying on people, right? But I loved the way that she dealt with Warren at the gala when she like leaned in and bit his ear while she was giving him shit and teasing him. Like there's a very playful energy to her. And I think that's what you play up is the idea that she could devour you at any moment is how it should always feel. And like, not only could she, she would enjoy doing it, Mm -hmm. but she's not going to do it. But maybe part of you kind of wants her to. Yeah. That's the vibe that you want. It's the tease. I think. It's yeah. the ultimate tease. A little bit horny, a little bit scary. Yeah, scary, horny. Horny, scary. Yeah, you're just like horny, slutty, scary, Russian roulette of which one, of like how it all shakes out at any given moment. Yeah. Anybody attracted to women on Krakoa should have a fear boner at all times about <laughs> Celine, basically, is I think the way I see it. Thomas Corbin writes, Hey, Connor and Alex, writing in from Quebec, if you want to try your hand at the French-Canadian accent. I'm thrilled that you're taking this spooky season to go over the most interesting vampire in the ex-franchise. Sorry, Jubilee. Considering Celine's source of sustenance, do you think she has any secret comfort foods that she enjoys simply for the taste, texture, or experience? And what, or who, is she bringing to the Hellfire Potluck? Great question. I think that she prefers to hunt women. Like, it's a chase for her. But I think that, like, snack food is just, like, hot guys she can just eat, like, jalapeno poppers. 
Mm-hmm. Just like toss them in, you know? <laughs> sure. I think she's less interested in like the hunt with men. Wither is the only one she's really like gone to great pains to manipulate. And I feel like that was really just a troll on Emma. Yeah. More than anything else. Yeah. If she's going to put in a chase for a man, there's a woman at the end of the equation that she's yeah. trying to fuck with. Mm-hmm. Comfort food. Yes. Hot dudes. Hot twinks. It's a snack, you know. Yeah. It's like a Slim Jim. I do want to know what Celine's non-human food is. Just like regular food. like When she just like regularly eats and is yeah. not sucking souls out of people. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she loves like a rare steak. Yes. I was going to say steak tartare. <laughs> yeah. She just has like pounds and pounds of steak tartare. Yeah, no, I think that she definitely should be always seen like eating meat so that even if we know that she's not a literal cannibal, we're just constantly reminded of the fact that she is a cannibal. Mm-hmm. She who eats! <laughs> Khalid came up with that. Like It makes me laugh every time I think it. Turtle Power from the Discord asks, the character of Celine is consistently referred to as a psychic vampire. I was really going to ask how Celine feels about the portrayal of vampires in popular culture within the Marvel Universe before I remember that actual vampires such as Dracula are absolutely running around doing their thing all over the place. So my question is this, how does Celine feel about these non-psychic vampires? Does she feel a kinship with them or does she find drinking blood as opposed to merely draining life force to be tacky? Is she always making fun of them because they can't go out during the day? Is she mad because they stole her bit? Happy spooky month, Turtle Power. Yes, absolutely. She's a little mad that they stole her bet. She originated the role. I do find it funny in that, like, do you watch What We Do in the Shadows, the show? I haven't yet. I've been told I have to, and I will at some point. It's on my list. Well, they have an energy vampire there, and it's just gotcha. like a very funny riff on that, and I just can't not think about calling Is it like it. a vampire who does Reiki? No, it's just like a vampire that just like- Because Celine should do Reiki. I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. He just kind of like lulls around and asks you just a lot of just innocuous, annoying questions and steals your energy, and that's- That's how- funny. <laughs> but in, in it's hard to think of Celine. Like, I would love to see Celine cameo in that show as a psychic vampire and whatever sure. that means but yeah i don't I, I think that she probably may like i i think that she's too much for dracula to handle just like she's too much for apocalypse to handle dracula and his wives were Drac- dracula comes home his wives are hanging out with Celine, and they're like he's like oh my fucking god she's listen <laughs> as you've pointed out storm and Celine are sort of opposite numbers in the claremont pantheon just as much as rachel and Celine are and dracula couldn't handle storm <laughs> yeah at all so <laughs> no. he would not handle Celine well he would probably you know what though but part of me is like she's such a dom she's such a dom top that he kind of would just a little bit if he let himself but like so is storm is what i'm saying like he doesn't want that because dracula wants to be like dracula is a dumb yeah and so he can't deal with a claremont dame he just can't make it work <laughs> i would like to see her talk to the countesses of sebalith who teeny created as part of the other world thing because we just got some backstory for them in the most recent issue of excalibur where we learned that they came from an earth that has died and their blood extremely diluted is basically what earth vampires may be. Or maybe like they see earth vampires as like vampire trash, basically. And so Celine encountering these potentially older than her vampires would probably really annoy her. And I think that would be funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, she turns Eliphas into a vampire to punish him. So I think that she sees them as lesser than her. Absolutely. Because they are so ruled by literal physical bloodlust, which she probably finds... 
Like Celine doesn't really like to get her hands dirty that yeah. much. She, so she would definitely find it tacky. She'd yeah, like, like just a little gauche, you know? Yeah. Vulgar to be sucking blood out of people's necks <laughs> for realsies instead of just as like a telepathic kink fantasy. Like Celine is so old that vampires are new money. <laughs> 100%. Zach Wolf writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. I'm so excited about another episode from the two of you. Your episodes on Emma and the Ladies Mastermind truly made me love all three of those characters, which brings me to Celine. As someone who's still fairly new to X-Comics, I'm still learning a lot about her. Though what I've seen from the Krakoa era and what you mentioned in other episodes has already made me a fan. My question is in regards to the iconic girl does some sociopathic shit, her gaze, <laughs> honestly work, meme. Who of mutant kind are the gays saying honestly work to Celine's actions over the years? Is there someone who's consistently been Celine's hype person? If not, who would or should be the mutant with the honor of saying honestly work about Celine? Thank you so much for all that you do and for this amazing podcast, Best Zach. Mm. I think her best gay should have been lost to Amenth with Arako, and now he's back. <laughs> it's been 5,000 years, but for her, that's like 20 years to us, right? So. Yeah. I think she would be, like, so thrilled to see him. She'd be like, oh, my God, Thoth, it's so good to see you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Northstar has likes Selene. Northstar refuses to admit how pussy he finds Selene. Yeah. Like, he won't, he's like, oh, my God, she's so cool. But he would never say it because he's, like, trying to be, you know, a good, good. guy. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely has, like, a Selene poster has been following her for years. Yeah. I mean, Wither is kind of Selene's gay, but they were fucking. So it's, like, a weird <laughs> dynamic. But, like, dating Selene is gay on some level, you know? So who knows oh. what that... He and Elixir just had such a... At the very least, that's a bisexual yeah. Selene hype man. I mean, and her hype man, she just kind of disposes of very quickly. Well, yeah, when they piss her off. I mean, like, you know, but I do think that she would have more fun with a gay than with Eli Bard, who she clearly was just sort of, like, exhausted by. Mm -hmm. Friedrich von Roem honestly gave off big-time <laughs> gay bestie vibes. Like, he definitely well, was... she needs to bring back... She's, she'll, she'll figure out a way to bring back Nick Damiano. Yeah! I, I don't think he would be a fan, <laughs> I think she should bring him back, though. I have an idea that would be really funny. I'm trying to think of her gay. You know, we need better gays. Well, this is the real problem is that we don't have enough gay characters. So many of them are like Academy X kids that nobody gives a shit about. Not to be rude. Sorry, Academy X fans. There's a Dust episode coming. I love Dust. There are good characters in that bunch. Mercury. Mercury is pretty who's good. Who's checking for Grey Malkin? Nobody is. Be real. Admit. <laughs> You know what? Exodus would be a good... Oh, answer. that's a great answer. <laughs> Exodus absolutely looks at Celine and says, honestly, work. That's the correct answer. Great answer. Lewis Roger writes, I'm Scottish, so feel free to do an accent. Oh, God. We'll try. Okay. Hi, Connor. Beyond huge fan of the podcast. I owe my resurgence of love for the X-Men to you. Celine has always interested, interested me. Interested. Celine has always interested me ever since I first read her in Necrotia. She gives off boss-ass bitch vibes, plain and simple. But I'm curious, do you think Celine should show a softer side? Like, would Celine taking on a mental role to say, well, Magma, much like Apocalypse Rector, be a good way of showing a side to a character that was maybe thought as nothing but evil, or at least nothing but self-oriented? P.S. I'm we on the Discord server, so don't feel bad if you don't remember... I haven't actually said anything apart from my introduction. I think I just got a little Irish there, actually, because I was trying so hard in the Siren episode, but it was so fucking bad that I have an Irish accent. I watched like a whole video. I bet it was still bad, but I you know what? I, I think tried. The, I think the effort was there. I always try. Softer side, Celine. 
I think that it would be fun to see her. I mean, we've already a little bit in X Corp saw with Monet the way that she can be maternal. And I think that that would be interesting to see more of because it would be extra funny when that is like really twisted. Like I like Celine as a mother of mutants, but someone who is not nurturing. Okay. I think like, you know, she's your mom, but she isn't comforting. Yeah. But she could give you advice. We need to make her funny. Like, I don't think she should be soft. She's too old to be sentimental about things. Mm-hmm. What's more fun is to have lighter moments rather than softer moments. Like, let us laugh at the ludicrousness of Celine. Like, let it be funny, which is what I really enjoyed about her role in X Corp. Riley Daniels writes, the most hardworking of podcast hosts and most esteemed of guests. In all her 17,000 years of life, what do you think is the one thing Celine misses the most? Is it a cocktail she could only get from a prohibition era speakeasy? The poetry of Atlantis? That beefcake Conan? As ever, love the show. Hey, I'm Riley. Hey. I think it is insane that Celine and Conan have never been on the page together. She's from the Hyborian age. Let's do it. Conan's back. They've got the license. They're doing Savage Avengers. Throw Celine in there. Throw Celine in there. I am begging you. I think that that would be so funny because you could really just give them like a history from the Hyborian age that is hilarious. And you could have them just reference it vaguely. Like we don't need to know all the details. Like a one night stand that went sideways. Right. Or like she's just (laughs) one of the countless evil witch queens from Conan stories. Like there are a bazillion of those. And you Mm. could just pretend that one happened that we don't know about. I mean, she and Conan, those are contemporary stories. It's the same pulp adventure genre. So they fit very neatly together, her inspirations and Conan himself. So I would love to see that. As for what she misses the most... I don't know. What do you think? Like, in all of history, what does Selene wish that she could get? I, w- I think she wishes she could kill Kulan Goth for the first time again. Because they've just been killing each other for centuries, <laughs> probably. And that first time was so delicious. Yes, that is what I... She, she's just like, I just wish I could kill him for the first time again. I bet there is some, like, extinct animals she thought were cool. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, annoyed that they don't <laughs> exist anymore. She's like, humans made all these things extinct, and I thought they were neat. Mm-hmm. Like, she probably would love to just have a saber-toothed tiger, like, chilling in her house. Yeah. Like, maybe she liked dodos. She thought they were cute. She was annoyed (laughs) when they went extinct. Caleb Warren writes, what would Celine's drag race workroom entrance line be? I've only ever thought about her Real Housewives line. Let's do that instead, because I also think this is too hard because I wasn't prepared for it. But I have thought about her Real Housewives line. So go for it. Living in your head rent-free, I'm in the penthouse. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. I think. (laughs) And they all hold the Krakone flower. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the little blue periwinkle kind of blossom thing, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever I eat, so do the gays. (laughs) Is my thought. That one's pretty good. There's something with fed and eat there. Yeah. (laughs) She's giving. Whenever I eat, the gays get fed, right? Like there's something... It's something like that. That was very good. I feel like there's also like a welcome to the jungle <laughs> pun one season, but I, I can't quite get there in my head right now. Justin Park writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. So glad to see one of my favorite guests return to the pod. As I've just read the issue with the panel where Celine bears an uncanny resemblance to Jane Krakowski, I have to ask, <laughs> what Jenna Maroney quote best exemplifies Celine? Thanks, Justin. 
That is Uncanny X-Men 217, by the way. If you have not read it, it is extremely funny. She has a little cameo at the end. What do you think? Sometimes they sing too beautifully. Also, what if the theme was sluts? What if the theme was sluts was going to be my answer because <laughs> that is, I, I think I've said it already on the show, this yeah. episode, because that is her whole vibe. What if the theme was sluts, parentheses, and death? Sluts and death, and right. Death. Like the, you, It needs to be like goth sluts specifically. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically what she's doing. I also like the secret plan song that Jenna sings. Because secret plan! <laughs> That's a very Celine song. Tree writes, hey, howdy, I have a question inspired by your Babylon tweet. Oh, I said, I said that Celine is Babylon, the original mix from the album. <laughs> and then Zaladane is Babylon House Labs remix. And then Iska the Unbeaten is the Brie Runway remix from the remix album. I have a question inspired by your Babylon tweet. What kind of music is Celine into? Does she have a Spotify playlist specifically for eating gay people that's just full of Charlie XCX and Lady Gaga? Does she think Evanescence is cheesy? Would she be fun at a rave? I feel like she would wear something atrocious and ruin the party by gobbling up the lead singer, but it would be the best night of my life. Hungrily, Tree. I know Celine, like, loved disco. <laughs> Celine is a disco queen. That is sort of my, like, and Celine loves house music. Like, Celine is at the rave, I do feel. Celine vibes. Celine is in the middle of the dance floor underneath the disco ball, fucking just vibing. Yes. And then she's just like, are you on Molly? Are you rolling? Are you? No. She's, she's high on life. She's force. fucking vibing, vibing, vibing. Vibing out. But I do think that she particularly loved like Studio 54 disco. That yeah. is my fantasy. No, her. I'm with you on this. That's absolutely like her era for sure. Eric Strom writes, Hi, Connor and Gash. It seems like there are a bunch of mutants who've lived for more than a century at this point, but Celine is one of only a few mutants who have lived thousands of years chronologically, including Apocalypse, Sink, or Moira. There are also some who have lived thousands of years simultaneously, like Multiple Man or Moira again, and maybe a few who've lived them vicariously, advanced telepaths like Xavier and Jean, or precogs like Destiny and Blindfold. What are the threads that connect the members of this exclusive thousand-plus years club? Let's call them the Millennials. And how does it show in the way they interact with the world and the people they encounter within it? Looking forward to another great episode. Cheers, Eric. I don't know. I think the interplay there would be really interesting. I would love to see her talk to Destiny. I mean, I would love to see a lot of characters talk to Destiny. There is a lot of parallelism between Moira X and Celine in the sense of being this mutant mother who's very long-lived but is not a nurturer. She is just a maternal figure by virtue of the role she's taken in their species, not because it's part of her temperament. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an interesting thing to tease out. Walter Llewellyn writes, Hi, Connor, an esteemed guest. First time writer, long time flat scan here with an obligatory thank you. Until Cerebro came out, I've been more X-curious than experienced. Going through the backlog, one of the things you can't help but notice about the X-Men is their remarkable graciousness. They've offered redemption to the likes of Magneto, Frenzy, and countless others. And the Krakoan amnesty has cemented that de facto acceptance into mutant law. My question is, short of unrepentant monsters like Sabretooth and Fenris, are there any mutants out there who are just too fucking evil to hack it on Krakoa? Selene seems smart enough to play ball, but she doesn't bring anything vital to the table like Sinister. And unlike, say, Apocalypse, couldn't convincingly argue that she's dedicated to anything or anyone but herself. In a meta sense, do the over-the-top villains of X-Men comics past have a place in this new status quo? Quo. Is there room for an unreconstructed villain like Celine, or do you necessarily have to rewrite her to make her seem more nuanced and believable? As nuanced and believable as an ancient dominatrix vampire mutant can be, anyway. Thanks for all your hard work and for the hours of entertainment, and best of luck in seasons two through X. Your pal, Walt. I get it, two through ten, or two through X. <laughs> yes, I answer this absolutely yes. X Corp, X Corp, X Corp. Read X Corp. Some of these questions were sent in before X Corp concluded, mm -hmm. because I've had this... I wanted to got solicit it, questions it, in it, advance. It, 
So, yeah, I think we've seen that it's possible to write a Celine who is evil, but who is using her evil for productive purposes, who is very fun and who you don't really have to reconstruct that much. I do think it's notable that Tini has her say to Fenris, your values are stupid and I reject them because yeah. you want to set up boundaries between yes, yes, some yes. kinds of evil and other kinds of evil. Yeah. You want her to be fun evil, not an evil that's a little too close to reality. She should be a funny vampire who's evil. Absurd she, absurd evil versus like... She's camp. I mean, she's fun because she's camp. So yeah. I don't think you should take her down a notch, but I do think that it would be interesting to explore more about her past, about what makes her the way she is, and then you could sort of explain why she has this campy affect, why she is so... Like, I think that like how Excalibur and Ten of Swords recontextualized Apocalypse, I think there is a story that could really wonderfully recontextualize Celine without making her any less fun. And that's, I think, the goal that you would want. Mm -hmm. Grant Hanna writes, Hi, Connor and Alex. This question's a little tangential to Celine, but I'm thinking about her long life and her subsequent disdain for it and utilitarian take on human mortals. They're literally just snacks. Now that mutants in general are functionally immortal, how do you see our faves' attitudes and outlooks changing as, barring further AI catastrophe, they finally age out of their eternal late 20s and live 100, 500, or 1,000 years? Do you think some might choose to die of old age, or would they really become a dynasty of immortal gods? And what would be the repercussions of that? Thanks. Big fan of the podcast. I've wanted to be into X all my life, but never had a good in until I found Cerebro. Heart Grant. Well, that makes me really happy. Thank you for saying that. I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't think realistically that the status quo of eternal resurrection will last forever because it feels like a story that at some point will have to come to an end. Yes. I feel like it will definitely something. It feels too comfortable at this. Point. Yeah. Like whatever's going to happen with Charles in Inferno, who knows? Like we really don't know anything. Inferno issue two is coming out tomorrow as we're recording this. And I am hyped. I mean, I might stay up actually and just like read it at 3 a.m. because I'm on the East Coast this week, which was a mistake a week that Inferno is coming out. I should have just gone back to L.A. specifically so that Inferno would come out at midnight my time. <laughs> I think that realistically that's not the story direction that's going to happen. But if it were a what if, mm -hmm. I think that would be really interesting to see how all of these characters react to being immortal. I mean, that was the question posed in Cannonball's external storyline. Like, what is it going to be like for him to watch all of the people he loves age and die? Mm -hmm. What Sam decided was that all that matters is the time you spend with people, not how long you have with them. And then, of course, he turned out not to be an external anyway, so it didn't matter. But Celine obviously took a different perspective. And I think that different characters would react different ways. I think that Monet, and this is again why I think the pairing of Monet and Celine is really interesting. I think it would be hard for Monet over thousands of years not to become something of a predator like Celine because she has that instinct. But I don't think that someone like Doug Ramsey is ever going <laughs> to do that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Monet and Doug are very explicitly juxtaposed in that giant size issue when she calls him Bambi, which is funny. So it made me think of the two of them. But I think that would be interesting and it would be a great like AU or what if. I also think that like magic would be an interesting because of the way time works down there and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I I'm always into a what if magic, <laughs> which leads into next week's episode when Leah Williams would join me to talk about magic. Oh, love magic. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's going to be great.
But like, this is just something we have to see. I've enjoyed in certain future stories when like Emma has turned to diamond permanently to live forever and like has no emotions. Like there's cool stuff like that that you can do with characters who become immortal. Mm -hmm. If the story were to continue in a way where the characters were actually allowed to age, that would be interesting. Unfortunately, I don't think it's possible because it's a sliding time scale where the characters are never going to age too much. And then at some point, I think this status quo, at least in f- so far as resurrection is concerned, will end. Last question. Krakoa Welcomes asks, has Celine ever done anything wrong? <laughs> uh, you're asking two cigarette emojis. Honestly, work, work is my answer <laughs> to that question. Well, Alex, is there anything else you'd like to say about Celine before we start to wrap? I love this character so much. I just want the best for her. I want the most for her. I want better for her than for me. Yeah, I want the most for her so that we can enjoy. Like, I en- I'm happy when Celine's happy. You right. know what I mean? Because we're, I'm we're, enjoying we're, reading we're the comics. We're two Celine simps, basically. We are, truly. Yeah. Use us as a footstool, please. Please, queen. To better stories. Yeah, exactly. Step on top of me to climb to yeah. the story that you deserve. Like, queen. Celine is stan culture. She is. She, she originated it. She originated I I was asked once whether Celine picked Brazil for a reason. And I do think that Celine went to Brazil hundreds of years before the rise of stan culture because through divination magic, she understood <laughs> that it would be the heart of stan culture and so she came to brazil hundreds of years before anyone ever <laughs> uttered the phrase come to brazil it wasn't even called brazil yet she yeah. knew she, she knew. knew absolutely she knew well alex why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything that you would like to plug follow me online on twitter alex underscore a b a d s and uh i'm at vox twitter is also sometimes the hellscape so follow me on instagram too yeah I post a lot of gay stuff there. Yeah, give them your Instagram handle. Oh, right. One guy named Alex. There's a lot of gym photos. If oh, you're into, yeah. If you're into gym. Little shorts. If you're into little shorts and like little, I'm trying to be, someone posted like this art of like Remy and I think, I forgot who the artist is. Maybe we could figure it out. In Excalibur with the Marcus Toe crop top? Someone's fan art. Oh, okay. I believe. It's like Remy, and they're all going to a beach. It's Remy, Iceman, and Beast. And it's like, Remy looks like such a little disco dancer. And I just, that is my goal, to look like a complete cartoon of myself. (laughs) A cartoon, a, a cartoon gambit. I fully support you. Go off, King. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, the Patreon, and the Discord server at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. A note from the Discord moderators. It's a new rule. Sorry for any inconvenience, but to join the Discord server, we're on the honor system here, but please be 18 and up. The mods do not feel like they are comfortable policing interactions between adults and minors. So if you're a minor, please feel free to reach out on your 18th birthday to join the Discord. But before that, please don't. Meanwhile, next week, the Cerebro Halloween Spooktacular concludes with an episode on Ileana Rasputina, Magic, the Dark Child, Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo with X-Men writer Leah Williams, currently writing The Trial of Magneto. I'm really excited for this episode. I hope you are too. It is too late to send questions. Do not send questions. But you can send questions for the rest of November, which was announced in the Siren episode and then again on Twitter. If you have questions about Dust 
Warlock, Sauron, or Dr. Valerie Cooper, please email Cerebrocast at gmail.com. I will be joined by Dr. Kaladin Nas, Dr. Stephanie Burt, my dad, Jim, and Zach Rabaroff of Comics XF. So very excited about this whole lineup. November is going to be a banger month, but October was just a banger month. Season two so far has been a real thrill. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And until next time, everybody, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men.